sound off one two three four <laughs> <laughs> all right well i mean we got a bunch of people so i'll introduce you quick and this is joe simpson and you i don't you said you have a co-owner in something but you basically own and operate tempest performance yeah so tempest racing is all me and then uh, sequence manufacturing is kind of like my newest thing we've been kind of working towards okay and uh, i work with uh, tycon industries and stainless bros on a few products and we have some like joint items with that so, oh, i've heard of them yeah yeah it's still like all of you know the sequence thing is still on me but uh you know we have like again we have some some joint stuff that we work on together okay and then you're in i don't know exactly where but maryland yep waldorf maryland so i'm like 20, 30 minutes south of Washington, D.C., and then like 15 or 20 minutes north of Maryland International Raceway. Oh, okay, right near MIR. If you, yeah, if you drive to MIR, if you've ever been to MIR, like you basically drive right past me. Oh, nice. If you're heading so. south, you drive right past. Mm -hmm. All right, cool. Well, I have a bunch of questions here, and then we're going to go into other people's questions. So I figure it'd be funny to... I'm trying to establish, like, when I have people on, to ask them the same questions. So people can... So I'm trying to figure that out. So I always want to ask mine quick. Uh, so that's, what is your business and what do you do? So I can make an assumption, but it'd be nice to hear you explain it. So I guess, like, uh, like any, like, shirts or I think even, like, the website, like, it basically says, uh, like, dyno tuning and fabrication. Um, so I, have been at this for like, I don't even know, maybe like close to 15 years Okay. and things have changed quite a bit over the years. Like started off like doing more like installs and quote unquote builds. Uh, and then that transitioned into like nothing that you ever bought ever fit. So <laughs> of course you had to, you had to cut it and weld it and modify it. So then that turned into, to doing like more fabrication stuff. And then we would tune, you know, the stuff that we worked on. And then eventually, like, kind of phased out a lot of the installs and was we're doing more just, like, fabrication almost exclusively with a little bit of tuning. And then I just kind of decided one day, like, let's swap that. Instead of being 90% fabrication, 10% tuning, like, let's do 90% tuning, 10% fabrication. And that's kind of where I've been for the last, I don't know, year and a half, maybe probably two years now. I feel like those kind of go hand in hand. So you get parts and they suck and then you have someone tune and it sucks. And then, so you just end up doing it all. So you don't have to struggle with any of it. Right. That's yeah, that's, that's basically it. And, um, I currently actually probably the last three years, I've just been here by myself. So like, there's only so many hours in the day yeah. and people know that like I can fabricate stuff and you know, guys are like, Hey, can you tune my car? And then they'll show up and it's kind of like, well, hey, while it's here, can you modify my exhaust or, you know, make my <laughs> headers don't fit? I didn't mention that before. And it's like I got a couple of lifts and some space, but it's always just blocked. So, like, you want to put a car in the lift and now you got to move four other cars and, you know, you schedule this much time for tuning. And Yeah, now so you're running into someone else's time. Yeah, so it, that's always like a little bit of a, a hassle. So really with the fabrication stuff, like, if somebody needs like somebody brought like a BMW titanium muffler the other day that needed to be repaired and some brackets and stuff like it's not on the car like it's easy enough just to okay yeah yeah to, you know kind of bring that in and do it in between stuff and then other than that like 
usually if it's something that I find fun, like somebody wants to do like a cool turbo kit. Uh, but the like one of the biggest hurdles with fabrication is a lot of guys think that like something custom is going to be cheaper than something that you can buy when it's kind of like the exact other way, especially nowadays with all the you know stuff you get from China. Like you can buy a fully finished set of like LS headers for cheaper than you can buy head flanges. Yeah. And that doesn't include the time, the labor, the collectors, the tubing, the O2 bungs, like any of that stuff. So it is pretty um, crazy. Yeah, it's, it's, it's wild. So, uh, yeah, so I say no to a lot more fabrication work than I say yes to, but I still do it and I still really enjoy it. But it, uh, I don't know, now that I got a daughter and a family to feed and all that good stuff, like you got to spend your time a little more wisely, I guess you could say. Yeah, I used to tune like five cars a week, like five nights a week. I do like one car per night. Now I, I don't really, I do like some Sundays and I'll schedule two cars and that's it. That's perfect. And I like to give them like a four-hour window, and yep. If it doesn't work out, I give them a bunch of homework, and you know, people are always kind of like uh, disappointed, and I'm like, well, this is maybe the first time the car ran, or and you have no clue. It's not, it's not that big of a deal. I'm like, the vast majority are not ready perfectly, so don't feel bad. <laughs> it's so funny. I've probably said this to you like eight times in the last few days. We've been talking to like how similar we handle a lot of different things but like i almost have like this like scripted speech i give people when they just did like a whole you know it's a new car a new engine a new fuel system a new ecu and i'm like don't get your hopes up man like the odds of this going smooth are pretty low like if you leave out of here with a car that's tuned like you should be extremely happy but like don't like threaten to sell everything. Like if two hours into this, we realize that like something's not going to work and you're going to have to. It doesn't go well sometimes. Yeah. This is where we find the problems is what I, I always say to people, they laugh, like we'll put it on. They, they have a serious setup and they're kind of, they got a little ego about it and they're like, yeah. And I'm like, and they're like, what do you think it's going to do? They want to hear like 1100 horsepower. And I'm like, yes. I go, hopefully we make 300 and they laugh. They laugh. And they think I'm bullshitting. And I'm like, hopefully we make 300, literally. And they're like, what? Uh, I'm like, that's serious. Like, that's the low goal for the day. And we work from there. <laughs> yep. I, yeah, do exactly the same thing. And, like, even if I think that, like, something's going to make 700 horsepower. Like, don't I say don't, it. Never I don't say, say it. it. You're just, you know. I had a guy one time. It was a Honda. And he wanted to make 800 horsepower, which... Back then, 800 horsepower would be like probably 1,400 horsepower now. Yeah. We made uh, 798 horsepower, and this thing was like full-blown, like John Force burnout. Like, it was probably making 900 horsepower. And we got to eight, uh, 798, and we probably made 15 runs at that power level, and it just – you couldn't get it to quit spinning. And this guy left as disappointed as they come. I'm like, <laughs> dude, your car is making way more than 800 horsepower. I promise you that. But it's, yeah, people people really get locked into numbers. And and then you got the whole, like, different dynos that read differently. So, you know, like, that's a whole different oh, conversation. Oh, yeah, that's a dumpster fire right there. Because everyone comes, I would say, for the last 15 years, I, I like to say my dyno it's my friend's shop his dyno but i have taken care of it and done everything with it for 15 years but uh there's certain cars i just don't dyno anymore because those owners get so butthurt bmw owners and big block guys are the worst oh yeah because they're yeah, like I, oh go ahead i was gonna say the very first like 
old school, like big block car that we ever had on our Dyna jet way back when, like, I, I forget the numbers. Like, I think it was supposed to make like 700. Of course. It made like 320 mm-hmm. and like legitimately like straight up watched like a grown man cry. Like he's saying like his wife was going to divorce him and he didn't have the money to fix it. And I'm like, like on one side of it, it's like, man, that's really like kind of sad and depressing. And then on the other hand, it's like, how does a big block make 300 horsepower? Like, how do you mess that up that bad? And then at the end of it, like you still like this dude's like crying and you still got to be like, well, man, I'm sorry, but like, you owe me some money like this <laughs> this wasn't free so yeah, at the same time yeah yeah that was a that was a very awkward day well yeah that's awful but uh oh, so i don't want to get we'll get into the questions a little bit more uh, i could go on tangents too obviously but uh <laughs> people have heard them all about like the me making fun of big blocks and everything else so uh it says do you i asked i wanted to ask uh can anyone just call in or is it like uh is it like open business? So you, anybody can just be like, Hey, I want to tune and schedule with you. Yeah, pretty much. Okay. Um, you know, email is always preferred. I like doing most stuff through email because everyone can go back and look yes. at things. You know, people ask you 30 questions in a phone call and then call you back two days later and ask 28 of the same questions. Cause they don't remember. I guess that's so I what I mean is preferred method of contact. I'm sorry. Yeah. So email and then probably Facebook messenger and then Instagram, and then if I know you personally text message and then like, I don't know if your house is on fire or something, then you can like call, but it's tough every time when you're like, on the dyno to answer the phone. Yeah. Like, you know, I probably hear like 18 times a day. Like you finally answer the phone cause you have a free minute and it's like, man, you're a hard person to get a hold of. And it's like, I can either answer the phone or, or work. So it's, it's tough. And then you try and hire somebody just to answer the phone and everyone that calls like, doesn't want to talk to the person that answered the phone. They want to talk to you directly. And they don't know sometimes. So it's kind of a waste. Exactly. Not that they may not be talented, but you hear about like uh, an 01 Camaro that all the casing on the wires have rotted off. And he's like, it doesn't idle. And you're like, stay away. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to touch that. Thanks. Yep. Exactly. And they don't know. All right. Mm -hmm. I I was going to ask then, do you specialize in any particular cars or engines? So probably like 13 of those 15 years were like Hondas and like there for a while we did some like S2000s and, and whatnot, but primarily it's been like B-series Honda stuff. Oh, wow. Okay. Not what I was and, expecting. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and then I tuned one Camaro with a cam in it, HP tuners, and put a video on Instagram. And from that day forward, all domestic cars like hmm. primarily like ls based stuff and like so many people kind of like we've been waiting for you to get into this like what took you so long and um so there's like the last like year year and a half of my life it's like going to work every day and it you sort of feel like you don't know anything like you're starting from square one again yeah and uh you know it's luckily everything that you learned beforehand like it all transfers over but mostly yeah, yeah. a big learning curve and but HP tuners, like I, uh, I did some classes like a year or two ago, and uh, I did like HP tuners and Megasquirt stuff because it's kind of mysterious. So I would just explain how to use them, and I would I would lead with uh, a stock ECU is a federally mandated emissions control device where horsepower is a byproduct. 
And that sounds ridiculous, but that's totally true. Like if it wants to run a 9-0 air fuel, it will if it thinks emissions need to run a 9-0 air fuel. So you, there's a lot of, as you know, tricking it and doing dumb things. And uh, just like where you have to scale a PO1, you have to just screw the injector size and everything else to get a, a usable spark table. And then what's happening is your cruise and idle is like this big. And then the rest of the map is kind of not used, but it blazes through it. But yeah. Uh, I always say to people, there's a lot of, there's 65 idle tables and 700 transmission tables. and But yeah. I use that uh, tricking the ECU as like one of my sales pitches when I try and get people to use like anything other than the OEM ECU. Yes. Like three quarters of what you're doing when you're tuning like the HP tuner stuff is like tricking this and maxing this out and zeroing that out. And it's like it feels like a very small window of what you're doing is, is tuning as opposed to just knowing what you need to do to trick it, to do what you want it to do. And then I explain like you have three cars in a row and they have three completely different base tunes and require three different strategies to get right. Yep. Identical. It's, it's frustrating as all hell, especially when you're like first getting into it and uh, you know, you start getting busy and then you get that one car that like, Maybe you don't get it sorted out on the first day and it carries over into the next day, but you got two more cars coming and like trying to juggle all of that is, has been interesting. Yeah, they stack. And then uh, another one is uh, what's your favorite type of vehicle? Like if you tune a specific one or is it just any car with a particular ECU? <laughs> Lately, and especially with this whole YouTube thing, like if you search any of like the YouTube, like how people find my garbage on there, like it's 100% Holly, like Holly, 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 you know, even more so Terminator X. Um, and just like anything, the more you do, the more you get familiar with it, like the more you just like it by default because it kind of makes your life easier. But mm -hmm. um, I like it because it's, it's like super affordable and it's super easy and it's becoming, I, I figured with the price point on it, I thought it would become pretty popular, but it's like far exceeding what I was expecting. So, like, I'm at the point now where if I decided tomorrow, like, I only want to do Holly, I, I think I could sustain what I need to do just off of that. So, I guess the short answer to that question is, I mean, shit, with this LS stuff, it doesn't matter what car it's in anymore. It's just the engine. You know, they end up yeah. in everything. So the, uh, the LS stuff with the Holly on it is probably, like, the primary thing that goes through here. Um, but with our mainline dyno, uh, I rent it out a lot to all kinds of different tuners and different cars and i've had a lot of like really cool stuff come through here like pro mods and you know crazy nitrous cars i saw that like f3 crank driven blower car the other day i was catching up on a bunch of your videos and, that, uh, thing. That, that was cool yeah so obviously you know kind of know going into it that a big black car with a protractor on it's going to be loud but like it's like top fuel car loud like there's like hoods in the parking lot, like things are blowing over. Like there's a brick wall, like right behind the door. Like I thought for sure, like the brick wall was going to get knocked down. Like the pressure that came out of the exhaust on that thing was way more like dramatic than I, uh, I anticipated. My friend back in the day, my buddy Frank had a 565 inch crank driven F3 car that made like 1600 to the tire. And that was the first thing I ever heard like, it was very close, like you said, to top fuel. It shattered lights uh, in all of the every bay of where the dyno was. It it blew. It almost blew the computer over where the like the Mustang dyno cart 
Like it just wanted to throw everything apart. And I was like, holy shit, it ripped everything off the walls. I was like, okay, wow. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a whole, it's a different experience, that's for sure. And then, uh, oh man, all right. I got another one. Uh, do you have any like proven combos? Like when people ask uh, specifically, like, do you get a lot of turbo stuff? I do anymore. And uh, is there like a, when someone, does anyone ever be like, what should I do? Or do they already have the card done? And that's an irrelevant question. So with the Honda stuff, it was like three quarters of my day. I was telling people like what they should go with, what they should get. Um, but now with like the LS stuff, like and a lot of it's, you know, because of your help, it seems like a majority of people kind of have their mind made up on what they want before they ever really make it to this point. Uh, what I get asked day in and day out, and I just made a video on it recently, is like, what ECU should I go with? Um, and that's, yeah, that that's where I try and help out a lot of people. Um, yeah, I feel yeah. like a lot of Honda people know exactly what they're doing, or they have no clue and they make it worse all day. Yeah, yeah, there's, there isn't a whole lot of an in-between. Or like, the guy in-between is trying to like, call and talk to 15 different people and he gets 15 different answers doesn't so trust put, any of them yeah yeah he tries to put like 15 random combinations together and it just doesn't work at all yeah well and then uh i think i know the answer to this one there's a video on it what's the worst <laughs> car you've ever seen or worst setup oh. probably pretty the terrible one, the worst one i saw probably i think it was an impala ls swap and the guy like paid a tow truck and brought it here from like two hours away so i know it was like a really expensive tow and like the tow truck guy was like where do you want i'm like i yeah, just throw it out in like one of those parking spots and the tow truck left and then like maybe a half an hour later i went and looked at it and i popped the hood and like immediately called the dude and it was just like hey like this come and get like, it <laughs> yeah the get one that boy. you saw was like significantly better than this one like the headers didn't fit, so they just like totally smashed them. Like not even to the point where they were flat, like to where they like, you know, indented. And there's, I don't know if enough exhaust could flow through the headers for the car to physically start. And then you know the wiring matched, and that that was the worst car for sure. And then uh, the inverse of that is what's the easiest job and best results in like a short amount of time. Uh, the Chevy trucks, uh, you just, you know, throw a little bit of fuel at them. They pick up a ton of power. The thing oh, drives. yeah. I didn't even yeah. think of that. You're right. Like a 2500 with PE disabled. You're like, boop, boop, 56 wheel. Yeah, exactly. Those those are always. It's nice rewarding, to too, because people did nothing. And then you do that and they're like yeah. brand new truck. It's cool. Yeah. That's the biggest thing is like, who cares what the number is? The fact that it like actually drives like acceptable now yeah like, if you roll into it it pulls something instead of yeah. just making noise it's yeah, like, a Harley. Day, like a random like steak body truck like this thing had to weigh fifty thousand pounds and i think the dude was kind of like bummed out that he it is dually and like i think he was just like bummed out he didn't get a diesel so he's like well let's try this and, and see if it you know will do anything and between you know actually getting a little bit of fuel in it and changing the way that the trans like downshifted he called me up like an hour after he picked it up and you know how that goes you something leaves and they call and you're like oh great here we yeah, go cool he was like yeah man this did like exactly what i needed it to do it's so much better now I'm like huh, that's awesome nice and then uh 
It says, have you ever heard of Sloppy Mechanics? And if so, how did you hear about it? I think I first heard of it when my, like, you know, I started getting a little bit older. My Honda customers started, like, going to, like, more adult cars and getting some V8 stuff. And, uh, you know, those guys were asking me to tune them. I don't know anything about HP tuners. I looked at this, you know, you look at the software, it's, like, crazy intimidating. You're like, what the hell is all this stuff? What are you used to standalones? Uh, so they actually drove from here to you, and then you tuned like a handful of their cars, uh, and that's you know where you became familiar with it. And now at this point, like I don't think there's anybody, regardless of you know, you could probably go into like a Lamborghini forum or something. I'm sure <laughs> those guys are familiar with sloppy mechanics. Like, funny enough, I was just at like a. I'm I'm not, I'm a little bit hesitant about being called famous but i can't really deny it too much i would like to say infamous uh you know maybe not good or bad but known <laughs> and i was at gtr world cup recently and the amount of people that knew who i was or uh i was in an elevator and some guy was like holy shit uh my buddy arnie was there the former co-founder of ams performance and he goes he says like the guy's name i can't even remember his name that's how terrible i am and he's like, hey, Jim, this is Matt that owns Sloppy Mechanics. And the guy was like, holy shit, I need to get a picture with you. Arnie, take our picture. And we got off the elevator, and Arnie's like, that's the guy that builds engines for T1 race. Oh, no shit. Yeah. And so, like, that would happen all the time. And, like, I was like, okay, this is very uh, – it makes me uncomfortable more than – I got off at my floor then, and Arnie was making fun of me, like, haha, people know who you are, and you can't accept compliments, you know deal with it the rest of your night and i'm like i'm gonna stay awake all night thinking about this i don't like it but i am absolutely the same way like, <laughs> give you like a compliment or whatever and you're like i don't like you don't even know what to say it's just awkward and, i'm getting yeah. better at it before people would be like i want to take a picture with you and it would like be painful and now i'm like don't be a jerk just people are asking just do it shut up be it stop being a baby <laughs> i tell myself because they're like, I know you don't, I know, because I explained that, and I'm like, I just need to STFU, let's do it. Yeah, that's kind of like when people call and they're like, hey, I know you're busy, but yeah. it's like... <laughs> Never say that to people, why? You don't want to do why? it, but they're going to make you do it anyways. Why do people say that? Anyway, <laughs> uh, next question is, uh, is sloppy mechanics good or bad for hot riding and tuning and building in general? Somebody was in here just the other day, like going off on a rant on how like bad it is for everything. And I can see both sides of it. And especially like going through your, you know, your Facebook groups and stuff. Like there's people that take it like way too extreme, <laughs> like maybe borderline dangerous of like trying to make just the worst stuff work. Yeah, of course. But, uh, I think as a whole, like it's, you can, do your stuff quote unquote sloppy, but still have it functional and safe and have a ton of fun with it. Like, you know, you build a car that runs eights for eight, ten thousand dollars like that's going to be like probably like the most fun car you ever have. Like, I'd rather have that than have a seven second car that I have six figures into it. I think uh, people get lost in the ideal there is it's, it becomes a competition for some people to do the worst job they can and share it for mm -hmm. some sort of, uh, they like the attention, good or bad. And I always saw it as like guidelines. And if you like to do neat work, you can take that and apply it because uh, spending a quarter million dollars doesn't mean it's even gonna start a move. Yep. 
people lose that. And uh, I, I got into hot rodding on my own and I would see people be like, yeah, it just costs money. Just, just keep doing this until it, and I'm like, well, uh, I had like a weird mindset where I'm like, it's probably way easier than that. And you're all stupid and you just remember repeating <laughs> the same thing forever. So I was never taught any nuances or I'd never heard any rhetoric. And, uh, anytime someone would say something, I would ask them why, and no one could answer. And I'm like, well, this is, sounds like a lot of BS. So, uh, if you can't explain it, then you have no clue. And then people are yeah, like, oh, it's a secret. I'm like, why is a 350 small block with a carburetor that's too big a secret i don't understand <laughs> and then as soon as we as soon as i met up with my friend that owns the dyno now uh we would put on like we get 150 dollar cars before cash for clunkers and put a wet kit on them everyone was scared of nitrous oxide and we would spray like double the horsepower out of stuff and drive it in fields and never hurt it and we're like why is everyone so intimidated by this and then we would put on uh powerful cars and they would make less than a grand marquee on spray the best part about nitrous is like if you put a 50 shot on a car that makes like sub 100 horsepower it feels amazing yeah but you put 50 shot on you know four or five hundred horsepower car it's like eh, it's a little bit more fun yeah it's spraying nitrous on like the worst car like a ford escort or something so is like fun. so much more fun We've especially a... if it's like at the end of the life of the car and if it blows up like you don't have to worry about fixing it. You just get rid of it entirely. It's funny. And then you scrap it for the money you bought it for or more. You made yep. money being a jackass all weekend. Yeah, that's what we would do. <laughs> a perfect example of uh, of the you know the formula you speak of and then like doing a decent job is that, uh, that gray S10 I just did recently. I saw it, yep. Yeah, that was like your whole like package and they did a really nice job doing it. It's like a father-son project, like, there's some Votech students involved in it. Like, uh, yeah, that, I think that's like textbook of kind of what I think about when I think about, you know, sloppy mechanics, not, you know, the guy that's using beer cans for intercooler piping and duct tape and stuff. Like, I yeah. think that's like far extreme and yeah, that, that's a whole different uh, thing. I mean, there was, there was a lot of stuff I think that instigated that or influenced that in the beginning because people were like, it has to be stainless and titanium and it has to be beautiful. And, and I'm like, it doesn't. And I build like reverse T hot sides that were like doing this. And the <laughs> car went like 1050. And I'm like, see, like it doesn't. And it was ugly. It was so ugly. And I, I do a trick I call the shoulder. So if I, I'm terrible at fitting pipes. So if I had a gap in the pipes like that big. I would take another piece of exhaust piping and cut like not not a lobster or a miter or a and I would just open it like a can like this so it was like this and uh -huh. I'd stick that over the open part and <laughs> weld that I call it a shoulder because it just would cover and uh, people are like that can't that won't do anything and it would reliably go high tens on a foot brake with a four eight and a and a seventy six sixty five which is too small for a V eight. And, yep. uh, and I did burnouts all day and blew tires on it. And, and people are like, that's disgusting. And I'm like, but it works. Yeah. That's one of the biggest differences I've seen between this LS stuff and like the Honda stuff. Like if you put a log manifold on a, like on a, a B series Honda with big cams in it, you'll lose like 300 horsepower. But on the LS stuff, like oh, as long yeah. as the exhaust makes it from the head into the turbocharger, it doesn't matter how it does it. As long as it makes it in there, it's going to work. I think that's what people didn't believe me about. I'm like, you can do anything and it'll make for something. 
but then like the the don't bs me combo will do at least 500 on pump and with the billet turbo it's capable of like almost right around 800 wheel on a lot of setups it's disgusting yeah it's it's awesome it's it's just so much of like car stuff for so long it's just been all about like spending the most amount of money and like i had a a boss like way back when i was like 16 or 17 i worked for a shop called uh, vw sport it was like volkswagen stuff and the owner had a vr6 turbo gti that made i mean it probably only made like 400 horsepower but like as far as like back when he did it it was like the best of the best and then he also had this $200 Volkswagen Fox and he swore up and down that the Fox was more fun just because you could just beat on it and you know launch it off of bumps and do whatever you wanted so yeah I think uh, having something that's not crazy expensive can be a ton of fun that's why I would always buy like all dinged up kind of you know not attractive looking cars because you could like I could do a burnout and the SM would slide into like some like a yard or grass and you'd stay in it and just it didn't matter or drive it over curbs or do dumb things. Like if someone else you knew had a crappy car, you just push it into them and like, and just do dumb things. <laughs> like it doesn't matter. Like you can take it somewhere and someone a door ding it. You wouldn't even notice. It doesn't, you know. Yeah, exactly. You get a car that's too perfect. Like scared way back when I had a, I don't even know why I bought it, but I had a just randomly got hair up my ass and bought like a C5 Corvette. And I was like, well, oh, just, like this LS mark is like huge. Like I'll tinker with this. I'll play with it, learn some stuff. But the car was just like absolutely flawless. And I couldn't bring myself to ruin it, hack it all up. So like I had it for like a few months. I'm like, this is stupid. I'm just going to get rid of it. So definitely like a downside to having something that's too nice. But at the same time, like I think in the, it, a perfect world, you'd kind of have both like something that's really nice that you, that you like and that you're proud of. And then something that's just fun. And you know, if you flip it off a mountain, you don't really care. Yeah, it's always nice. Well, we'll go into Facebook questions now. We have uh, Andrew asks, "What is the big thing that you got to, that got you to switch from fabrication over to tuning?" I think, like uh, you said, custom fab—the money isn't there. People don't want to pay for it. Yeah. So, like, for a while, I was doing a lot of production stuff, like turbo manifolds, and basically stuff that I can make here and then just ship out, and. Uh, that market's so saturated that the price of everything just kept going down and down and down. And then uh, I started doing some more like exotic stuff, like uh, some R8s and Vipers. And then I did some like Lamborghini Murcielago, like V12 headers and exhaust. And I was spending so much money in like Argon and belt sanding belts and consumables and material and all that. I'm like, it just got to the point where I'm like, I don't think this is like, you would like to think that once you get to the point of working on those cars that you're going to start making a little bit more money on it. But it just took so long that it was the exact opposite. And then sort of like the deal breaker in like when I finally like made the decision is I had somebody, I want to say it was an R8 maybe. And we agreed on a price for a titanium exhaust and made it. And like taking the bumper off of one of those cars is like a half a day like ordeal. And then finished it all up. He came to pick it up. And, like, after everything was done, he wanted, he tried to, like, beat me up on the, the price that we agreed on. And his reasoning for doing so is that he needed the cash so he could go put a down payment on a McLaren. Hmm. So I'm like, 
man, like you're kind of working on, I guess, what you could sort of consider to be like top level cars. And then, you know, like you just really feel like you get kicked in the nuts, like so that you can go buy like an even nicer car. And I'm like, I can't I can't do this every day. Um, and then, uh, yeah, that's kind of I don't want to say slowly transitioned over to just tuning. It just kind of worked out like right around there. I was like so mad at like all that stuff. That's when I took that Camaro in um, that I said, you know, made one video of it and then everything changed. So it was like almost like an overnight transformation. So I, I still really enjoy fabricating. I like it a lot, but not necessarily from I want to do it every day to, you know, pay the bills type of thing. Yeah, I would say you people are asking like uh, a bunch of questions you already answered. So I'll just tell them it's in the beginning. They're like, how'd you get started? When did you decide? Like we just I mean, when I asked you this, I was like, man, maybe we shouldn't answer this because you already kind of said like there's Chinese parts and no one wants to pay anybody. <laughs> and yeah, you already. All right. Uh, let me look at this one. Oh, okay. Uh, it says, do you tune or build differently for manual versus automatic, blow-off valve or not? Like a must-do versus required. Last Saturday, Matt and Robert touched on blow-off valve was a must for manual trans, which is to keep turbo speed up. If it's an auto, that really doesn't matter. And I'm building a 79Z28 with LQ4, 7875 Gen2, keeping the four speed. I don't see a lot of manual specific advice because if it has a manual trans, it's four times the price. That's my answer. <laughs> yeah. Um, so back in the day when I was racing my Honda, uh, just for, you know, the hell of it, I was like, let's just try no blow off valve and see what happens. And everyone like swore I was going to shoot the compressor wheel out of it and kill everybody around me. But I ran that car for like two seasons, manual trans, no blow off valve, I think 45, 50 pounds of boost and never had a problem. Turbo was perfectly fine afterwards. Um, as far as manual versus auto, like maybe a camshaft selection will change a little bit. Um, and other than that, not really. It, I think it's just going to come down more to like what you're planning on using the car for. Like, are you trying to make a manual trans go faster than the drag strip or are you trying to autocross it or just drive it around town? So it, it's not an auto to manual specific question, just kind of like, what are you going to use the car for? Like I always say to people, goals, goals. Yeah. It's at the top of the flow chart is the goal. And then everything else leads up to that. And if you start screwing up, uh, you know, you end up without the whole picture or the goal. Well, so many people, I think that's where a lot of people go wrong with their projects. They don't have a goal. Like, and it could be that way for a lot of different reasons. Like sometimes someone gets a car, like, thrown in their lap and like, well, I guess I'll build something. Or it's like they find like random deals on certain parts. So they pick them up and they buy them. But then it's like they don't they don't know what they're shooting for. So they just have like a whole stack of parts that just kind of with no goal in mind. And then you sort of end up with something that, you know, doesn't do what you want it to do. Yeah, of course. Um... The big one's a thousand horsepower. Everyone wants a thousand horsepower yes. for no reason whatsoever. And that's what I always go over. There's, I would say a lot of Honda guys have go to sloppy because they do have, they have had a B series turbo and all it does is shatter transmissions or it just doesn't make enough and they just want to do something different. And a lot of them I'll tune. Everybody wants like 850 also. They want a Fox with 850. And I'm mm -hmm. like 850 wheel through an auto in a 3,300 pound Fox. If it makes 850 wheel on my dyno and most of them weigh 3,300 with a driver 
uh, it's like an 850 car, at least. If it has mm-hmm. a decent suspension and you have a trans brake, it's like a 820 car. And uh, people are like, what? Uh, and a, a bunch of them, because uh, I always suggest the ADE, unless you're going to do a trans brake, the ADE is cheaper. Like all you need is a decent converter and the tranny is really capable. And if you have a computer, like a stock one or a Terminator, that can do electronic overdrive and lockup, it makes the car like almost stock car livable. Like it's incredible. So a bunch of those guys, like the car will make 650 through the auto. And then that's usually like where we'll quit. And then I'm like, hey, have you ever owned anything like this? <laughs> I always have to have like a dad talk with them yep. because uh, they're like, yeah, I had a turbo Honda or they're like nothing anywhere near like this. And I'm like, OK, you stab this car from a 40 roll and you have it in fourth. It's going to upshift to like 200 miles an hour. And uh, when you say, oh, shit, and you lift that, that was 400 feet ago. <laughs> yeah. You're going to need another 400 feet for the tire to slow down enough for you to get control. And if you touch the brakes, you're going to crash. That's I had a customer. I knew him well enough. I guess you could call him a friend, but he was hell bent that he needed like 700 horsepower in his Honda in his streetcar street tires. I'm like, why? It's completely unusable. But he just he wouldn't take no for an answer. So it made it the power he wanted. But when I gave it back to him, I I cut the power like in half and just told him to go and drive it. And he came back like white knuckled, shaking. I'm like, dude, like, it just that was literally half the power that you you think that you need. Like, so yeah, it's I definitely have that conversation with a lot of people too. Like, please don't kill yourself on the way home. It's gonna be much more. I would do that all the time. I'd turn my truck down to like 450 wheel. It did make 800, 850 pretty easily. My Colorado, and uh, I would take someone for a drive with 450 and do like a thousand foot roller. And people are like, this is so wild. I'm like, that's 450. Absolutely. And they're like, yeah. what? I'm like, that's it's 450. <laughs> like the Hondas, I think like 350 to 400 is like the max that you really want on the street. Anything more than that just does more harm than good. And then, you know, like you're saying, 450, 500 and like a, you know, street rear-wheel drive car is just plenty. And, you know, it costs, it's like, it seems like you can make like, I don't know, 800 horsepower, like pretty reliably for like next to nothing. And then you want to make like a thousand or twelve hundred, and then the cost like just goes up in like a crazy amount. Yeah. But it's you're spending all that money, and it's it's not any more usable now. Like obviously, like going to the track and you know racing it, that's a different ball game. But as far as the streetcar goes, like I think a lot of people spend a lot more money than they need to make a lot more power than what's usable. So there's a fine line there. That's why I started that don't BS me build. I'm like 500 horsepower to the tire through an auto is a clear line in the sand for cost versus, you know, everything else, what you're going to get out of it. All right. Uh, People ask, have you ever used AEM V2 software? My tuner buddy swears by the V2. And he thought he could tune my friend's Infinity powered 2J. And he was shocked to how poor the Infinity software was. And that ended up being a guy tuning it... uh, on the dyno was more familiar with the software. It's nuclear hot garbage. I, you did a video where you were like AEM and you tore it off the wall and you were like, no. <laughs> yeah. So I, I've done a little bit of AEM stuff. It's just the way that it's late. The software is laid out. I don't care for. And there's like, if you're going through tuning software and you click like on a menu, like Holly, for example, like all, everything that it can do is there. Like you can physically see it. And if you want to change it, like, it's there but with AEM there's like all this hidden stuff or like I, I forget like there's one one place where you like click on this like list of options and it's like 
900,000 things. You have to turn like, them on and off before you can yeah, see like them? Yeah, three quarters of them like might not do anything, but then some of them do. But if like, if I said like overall fuel trim, like anybody can make sense of what that is. But I think like the same thing in like the AEM like V2 is called like micro bit per second or something like that. Yeah. So like if you're searching through this list of 90,000 things for like an overall fuel trim, like you would never click on that and know that that's what it is. And that type of stuff just drives me crazy. Like the terminology throughout all of these ECUs like should be pretty similar. Like there's no reason for it to be just out left field. Yeah, I, I and then you know there's the whole like hardware thing. So again, my my Civic back in the day had AEM in it. Actually went from Electromotive, probably haven't heard that one in a while, and then went to AEM, and the car was like a nine sixty nine seventy car, and like all of a sudden out of the blue it started running like ten thirties ten forties. Okay, like something's wrong. Like you start pulling wastegates and checking diaphragms and boost leak testing and compression testing, like all that good stuff. And like, I went through all of it. I couldn't figure it out. And, um, a friend's car was at the shop and I was like, Hey, can I borrow your ECU? Like just for the hell of it. So I put his ECU on my car, exactly the same part number, loaded the same calibration into that ECU, went to the track and the car went nine seventies again. And I sent the ECU back to AEM and like, they said everything checked out fine. I'm like, this is, this is too weird for me. So at that point, I think I, I might have switched over. At that point, I might have switched to Motec, I think. But, yeah, I've AM is not my favorite. I, like, I still do a little bit. I think I might actually have to do an AM Infinity car next week. Uh, so it, it still trickles through here, but I can't say. And actually, now that I think about it, that car on the lift right there has got Infinity in it. But, um, you know, for the Honda stuff, like, it just, you know, you just plug it in, and it kind of is what it is. So I wouldn't necessarily tell somebody to go out of the way to put it in the car, but... Some people like it. A lot of people don't. So, But you can say that about any of the ECUs, really. Yeah, of course. All right. Uh, someone asks out of nowhere. I don't know. Oh, I think this was for me. Did you have to swap your K member and your SN95 to a 4.6 K member to use the swap mounts? And I'm not sure what That's all that me. means. <laughs> yeah, I think it had an AJE, which has universal mounts and... Uh, I can't even remember what I did, to be honest. Uh, sometimes I make mounts. If stuff I have fits, I use that. Uh, a lot of times AJE has their specific mount. So if it's an AJEK, there's AJELS mounts. And that's it. That's literally it. So I don't, that's just, uh, we'll just skip <laughs> over that one. Here's a good one. Do you, my question is on knock sensors. Could someone please do a video on setting them upright? Uh, I know people don't need to rely on them, but why wouldn't someone set them up for safety? So now here's, this is a, there's a rabbit hole and a can of worms for every question. Sure. What ECU are you plugging the knock sensors into and uh, whatever else, but I'll let you, I have my, whatever I would say, but this is about guests. So <laughs> I'll, <laughs> I'll shut up. It depends on like what it is. I'd say a majority of the cars don't really, it's like the HP tuner stuff, like the factory ECU stuff, like generally they're there and you set them up. Um, the Holly stuff, like the single wire knock sensors don't really seem to work all that great. Uh, the dual wires, uh, I've played with those a little bit, um, but I've, 
I don't know, like you get into like Link ECUs or like Motec or something that's doing like individual cylinder knock control. Like it can be very lengthy to set it up, but it works out pretty well. But a majority of the stuff, like I've done so many cars without knock sensors that I don't necessarily care if they're there or not. They almost seem to do more harm than good in the majority of the time, especially if something starts making a lot of power, whereas like super modified or solid mounts or, you know, half the car's falling off and rattling around. And Yeah, I think a lot of people don't understand that there's so much block noise that all they're doing is yanking all the time. And then in my opinion, most of these stock bottom end turbo cars will dynamite before you see knock. Or when they do see knock, they're gone. The knock sensor <laughs> can't yank it. If it pings with a 900 wheel, it's gone already. It's like already off the cliff side. <laughs> And then yeah, what I've also what I, learned... Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, I have a uh, a Tuner Nerd, like, knock monitor. Uh, you know, you can record the audio and headphones and graph it all out and all that. And just for the hell of it, I threw it on a uh, LS deal. It made, like, a thousand wheel. And, uh, I like, it didn't really pick up anything. Now, granted, like, this stock bottom end deal, so you weren't, you know, trying to hammer it to death with timing, but it kind of like confirmed that what I thought was working like was. Um, and then uh, I've used that on some other combinations. Like if it's something I'm not familiar with, I'll throw it on there just to see. And I just, I almost feel like, and there's probably people that won't agree with me on this one, but I almost feel it's like there's a power level where it just doesn't seem to matter. Like, like you said, so you're going to get yourself, yeah, you're going to get yourself into trouble like well before you're going to pick up any knock and I or, think it's just going to pull pull timing the whole time. You're going to spend your whole day trying to figure out why. Yeah, they're going to be this ringing the whole time. And like one thing I've learned over the years, I just taught myself, was uh, most of the time, 90% of the time, a car will quit making power four or six degrees before it pings. You have to be asking for knock. So when you So there's, you, you see like uh, if a car goes to from like 25 horsepower per pound to 10, and then it goes to five, and then it goes to none, past that is where it's going to knock. So there's no reason to get anywhere near that. Well, actually, so I've seen a bunch of cars where we've keep pushing it and you get pumping loss. You still don't get knock. It just starts yep. making less horsepower because the ignition is slowing down the piston. It's so far over center of perfect ignition. So I think people miss out on a lot of that. When you're actually tuning a car, you're looking for a big delta. And then when it, depending on if you know the person's going to just beat it like a drift car you you soften it up quite a bit and if it's someone that's going to cool it off all the time you try to get that five or ten for them i say man people like look at me like i'm crazy a lot of times like when i'd say like you have to tune the you have to tune the car to like how it's going to be used and i always joke around and say that like owning a business like this like three quarters of it is like being a psychologist and being able to figure out like how these people are going to treat their stuff and it, you know, it, it really makes a difference. And I, I've made videos on it too, like leaning, like really leaning on a car, like tune-up wise, like whether it's air fuel or timing versus making it like where you know that it's safe and reasonable. One percent. There's such a small difference in power. It's not worth like really, really pushing on them. Um, you know, very few instances have I seen where it's like, all right, I think we're pretty close on timing like let's put another two or three degrees in it and see what it does it like it never makes enough power like 
ever that I can remember that it was justifiable. Yeah, the per, I always say to people the percentage gain has to be there. I try to explain it as much as possible before it happens because if, if it's a small turbine car or something, I'm like, this thing's going to quit at like 13 pounds and 600 wheel and it's not going to do anything else. And it's probably uh, usually like what I see is if a car wants single digit amount of ignition timing immediately, it's just has an incredible backup somewhere or it's, it's just, that's totally a quit situation. If it's like, if it's down to like 12 degrees of timing on almost no boost, you're like, okay, this thing's garbage somewhere. So what's yeah. going on? Where knock sensors probably become the most valuable is like manual transmission cars. Cause the converters just, you never really will drive in there, but that's if you're absorbing. at like 1800 RPM and like full throttle, like going up a mountain, like that's where like maybe a knock sensor is going to come and be handy. You know, you get like old crappy, like eight valve, like Volkswagen motor that makes 120 horsepower. Like you can audibly hear those things just knocking themselves to death. Uh, so that's, yeah, I, I don't know. Like if a car doesn't have knock sensors on it, it doesn't bother me at all, but you know, I don't know if it's like a GTR and you're road racing it and you got Motec on it and you can do like all these crazy stuff. Then yeah, at that point it'd be, you know, pretty worthwhile to set up, but yeah, otherwise. All right. Well, uh, well, I think we went over this just now. A guy says, Joe and you have talked about different points regarding diminishing horsepower returns with more timing. Can you share any rules of thumb, including something that applies to small displacement? I think like what we both said is you're looking for a percentage gain. So you start kind of soft. And then if you see, like I always say, a, a good, a decent turbo setup, like a China setup, if it's making 25 horsepower per pound, that's on the top upper setup. Unless it has like a gigantic turbo or something else, but like two quali like a quality twin turbo car with fairly big turbos make 50, 100 horsepower per pound. And then after that, if you're making much less, you can see the percentage is falling off. And the same with ignition. Once you get a decent amount of gain out of the turbo, you move the ignition around and I've seen about 30 horsepower per degree on a lot of turbo autos. And then obviously it goes to like 10. And mm -hmm. then most of the time you back off two of that because you want it to be safe. Oh yeah, I was gonna say psychology, because you ask someone, you're like, are you gonna trash this car? And they're like, no. <laughs> and you're like, uh, the reason I'm asking is if you are, I will soften it up so you don't pop it on the way home. And they're like, oh, yeah, I'm going to beat the shit out of it. I'm like, okay, yeah. thanks. <laughs> well, the other thing is you always got to, like, be aware of, because, like, one out of every 100 people that's going to beat the hell out of the car is going to tell you that. So, I don't know, you can, you just got to feel them out. And, like, you can, the you know, the over-hyper guy that's taking 4,000 videos of it and, you know, making 200 Facebook posts, like, while he's on the dyno. And yeah, he's probably the one that's going to beat the crap out of the car. Versus the guy that's like real quiet and, you know, pulls out his laptop and, you know, does some computer work while you're tuning his car. Like he's probably going to be a little more tame with it. All right. Yeah. So that, I mean, like he said, uh, for small displacement turbo, I would say across the board that works as far as everything I've touched. You, you shoot for a, a good percentage positive gain. And when it stops, uh, that's where you usually stop. Yeah. It seems like. As long as you have a basic idea of what that particular engine is going to want, like naturally aspirated. So like if 
you know, if it didn't have any forced induction on it and it made peak power at like 28 degrees, then you, you sort of know like roughly where you're going to be once you start throwing some boost at it as where, you know, if it's a big, huge motor and it makes peak power at 38 degrees, then, you know, the numbers that you're going to end up with at that point are going to be a little bit higher, obviously. So it seems like engine size plays a big role in it. And then obviously efficiency and a thousand other variables, fuel. Yeah. Fuel's all right. Have you ever messed with any cylinder pressure monitoring sensors and change ignition around to see how timing affects pressure? I have not. I have a friend who bought a whole bunch of fancy stuff and like called me all excited about it. And uh, we were going to get together and play with it on an engine dyno, but uh, it just kind of never worked out. And then I kind of talked to him later about it. Like, hey, like, how, how did that work out for you? And he was like, yeah, it was pretty fun to play around with, but it sounded like it was spend a bunch of money and then kind of like a one and done type of thing. You can probably I see just, like right where gains, like on the dyno, you can see that, all of that. And then you see cylinder pressure rise and then you're like, okay. And if you have something as simple as a coolant pressure sensor and you're really leaning on something and you know the head bolts aren't going to hold it and then you see coolant pressure, you're like, okay, there's my yeah. way too much cylinder pressure sensor right there. Yeah. I think like stuff like that might be cool, like not in applications that like you or me would ever really see. But if you're like a damn near like F1 style car and everything is just absolute like maximum, you know, then maybe in that situation it would be. I assume they important. have them already. Yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly. And the other thing I've always heard on those is that they don't like offer those with spark plugs that are cold enough to be able to use them on anything that makes real power. I don't know if that still holds true nowadays or not, but. Well, yeah. I got another one from my buddy Cameron. It says, what was your first car and who helped you influence you getting into cars in the first place? And what was the first high performance aftermarket part, part you ever bought for a car? So I had mentioned actually working at that Volkswagen shop way back when. So right around that time, I, my first car was a Volkswagen Corrado, which, you know, at that point, like you thought you were doing something cool, buying some like kind of oddball car that you didn't see a lot of. But what they don't tell you about those things is that they're pieces of crap and they break down every five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that was, uh, you know, and, and of course you're young and dumb, so you throw money at it trying to make it fast. And it's, you know, you're making noise, but you're not going anywhere. And I think the first thing that I bought for that was uh, like a cold air intake. I was going to say, uh, first mod you bought, I was going to say in-gen filter on a stick. <laughs> I was pretty yeah. close. Yeah, pretty close. I think that was back in the, the new speed days. All right. Well, this person asked pretty much the same thing. I would love to hear a strategy on how to tune an NA daily driver for not only maximum power, but also how to maximize fuel economy and overall drivability and specifically where to start spark or fuel or working. Be and like I, you and I would say people don't get it. I think they're all different parts of the fuel map. I was just about to say the greatest part about fuel injection is you don't have to make that decision. Like you ha you can make the best of all situations. You can idle good, get great fuel economy and then make maximum power, like all within one map. Um, as far as like starting out, like I typically, you know, will try and get a car to idle well. Uh, so that's not shutting off every time you, you know, make a dyno run or whatever. And that makes Start it drivable. <laughs> yeah. And then cruise it around and, and, you know, kind of deal with that. And then I'll usually pull, 
four, five, six degrees out of where I think it's going to be out of it. Uh, then get my fuel dialed in. And once I get the fuel good, then I'll start playing with the timing. And I think like the biggest thing that you got to keep in mind, if you're really trying to like see what's doing what, is just you can only change one thing at a time. If you change your target air fuel ratio and put three degrees of timing in it, and it picks up 20 horsepower, like you don't know which one, which one of those things picked it up. So just, yeah, do them all individually. Oh, he said, uh, there's another part to this. It was all spaced out. He says, coming from carbs and old technology, the sheer amount of control and options available in an EFI system can be overwhelming to say the least. Well, that's where like you and I say, a holly fixes all that because you're just telling it what to do. And the tables, in my opinion, are very simple. And you can have your cake and eat it too with something like that, especially if it's naturally aspirated. Because even if you have a wild engine and you have like 200 millimeter throttle bodies, if you have drive-by-wire, you can make an exponential curve and actually make something stupid like that semi-drivable. But I would think, you know, most people that are asking this question, I don't think realize even a 4.8 with a cam and long tubes makes 350 wheel on like E85 with a truck intake and is twice the power that something they might have had with a carb on it. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, the uh, being able to program the pedal with the drive-by-wire stuff, nobody touches that table and it's like the most fun one there is in there and it's so like kind of like easy you just like drag some dots around and it just completely changes the way that the truck drives and uh yeah that, that's that one that's overlooked a lot i definitely see how people think that the efi stuff is overwhelming like i actually had uh geez just in the last couple of days like probably about two hours ago somebody buddy of mine did a uh his first holly car I think it made like 1500 horsepower. He usually does like Motec, Haltech, some other stuff. And he's like, man, the software is like, it's so basic. Like there was nothing in there. Like, I'm so glad that I have, you know, Haltech and I kind of want Motec. I'm like, exactly. Like you just proved my point of like why I think Holly is such a good option for people. You don't need like, all that stuff in it, my opinion. It does. Yeah. It does what you need it to do, but you don't need a rocket science degree to, to figure it out. And then like on the other side of that, a buddy of mine sent me a Motec map. Uh, last night and like he was just having an issue where the the boost controller was either off or it was a hundred percent like wide open and he's hmm. kind of struggling to figure out why and like you just open up the software and there's probably like 60 parameters that you have to set up just for the boost controller to like work or do anything and when you think about that like all that is controlling is two wires to one solenoid and it's changing like how much that pulse is and now you've introduced 75 tables to do that like for somebody that you know like the guy asking the question maybe going from a carburetor to to efi for the first time like if you put that in front of him like his head would explode like there's like hp tuners or one of those other pieces of that's why you and i would recommend holly to a lot of people because especially the terminator i call it a game boy tune i've had people who game boy beep boop beep boop, and then drove it to the dyno and they're like, it's never run so good. And I connect to it to do like flex fuel. And I'm like, okay, their flex fuel sensor wasn't working at all. So it was adding 35% <laughs> the whole way. And yep. they had internal maps set up instead of their three bar. And it still drove, it just it just drove here. And I'm like, uh, everything, like all the main fuel stuff was completely screwed up. And they're like, it's never run so good. I'm like, okay. Yep. It's yeah, a little bit of a double-edged sword. Like for the guy that understands that, like, I think Holly should maybe change their marketing like i understand like they're trying to sell stuff so it makes sense to be like self-tuning and you know 
type your Game Boy stuff in and like go racing and everything's great. But like, I think if they were to market it as like, you can use this to get the car up and running to get it to somebody that can actually set it up for you properly and, and tune it. Like, I think that would clear up a lot of the kind of confusion and, and frustration that some people have. Have you run into like the, the so many people that seem to be having so many like cam and crank sensor problems? Yeah, and like, I've never had. I've put it on like forty cars and never had a exactly. problem. Exactly, I, I haven't experienced any. Of, I had one car that had no cam sensor input, but if you saw the car, like I'm pretty sure they probably use like an engine hoist, like on the engine harness to lift the car out, and like the pins are pulled out of it and stuff. But that was the only one. And other than that, it's you know you see all these guys having issues and. Well, I laughed when you showed people putting the O2s in the wrong spot because they always want to hide them. And a Bosch is like instantly dead when you put water on it like that. Unless it's hot and you're warming up the car. Like mm -hmm. on off, on off, like water, rust, gone. People are like, these wide bands are junk. And I had a, like, I don't, I don't think I've, I had a car, uh, my Colorado was on Holly for like a year and a half. Never had a problem. Sold the entire Dominator setup. Did the stock ECU Don't BS Me build. I went on my friend's car. He didn't have any O2 sensor problems. Race gas, ethanol, pump gas, uh, never any problems. And then when I make that joke, my buddy Cameron had one go bad, but uh, you know he didn't do anything dumb with it, but it could have been <laughs> anything at that point. But his went bad because I talk shit about nothing ever happening to mine. That's absolutely the way that that works. So I tell a lot of people too, like if you got a couple extra dollars, like throw an extra O2 sensor in your glove box, just for when the time comes. And it isn't because I've had any problems. I've had zero failures. It's just because I've seen a lot of other people and it does make sense, you know, um, I'd like to know if the hardware between like a Dominator and HP versus the Terminator X is any different inside as far as the O2 control goes. Because, um, you know, you can run Both. like an AEM wideband with a Bosch sensor or like a Motec PLM with the same sensor. And the Motec, you keep the same sensor for three years as where the AEM, you might go through two sensors a month if it's, you know, not in an ideal situation. So I think something from the controller side itself has to make a difference there. Hmm. Oh, but, here's, this is just funny. So we're going to ask from live chat, how many 10 volt GM axles have you killed on the dyno? Well, there's a difference. There's a seven and a half, which is absolute glass garbage. And the eight and a half really isn't that bad. So how many have you shattered 10 volts? I just think that's funny. The one, uh, the most recent video that broke on the dyno, that's the first rear I've ever had break on the dyno. Hmm. I would say yeah. I get drive shafts that come flying out way more than anything else. I've never broken a rear on the dyno. I would say when you break a rear is when you're dumping it in first. I don't think I've ever seen anybody. I'm sure it's happened. I don't want to mm -hmm. blanket that statement, but it's always someone dumping from a stop. Yeah, I thought for sure on that one when it broke. Well, at first, just by default, based on everything else going on with it, I figured just all the rods came out. But um, after I realized it wasn't that, and I was like, it kind of felt like drivetrain. I figured it was the, the drive shaft, but I didn't hear it clanking around and everything else. And it just broke the ring gear or something? I, I didn't even manage. It, it was kind of like game over at that point. Put it the had no drive, on. so you were like, come get it. Yeah, push, you know, as you're pushing it outside, you just hear everything clanking around, eating itself up in, in the backside of the car. All right. Well, I have a, uh, so that one's pretty good. How to do a daily driver. Oh, I think, uh, I think we went over this, uh, from Kiwi Boosted Garage. He says, would I, I would like to hear 
Joe, elaborate on how to get the Holly fuel map right with tuning, learn, and closed loop uh, for a don't BS me setup. And uh, I think we went over that a little bit. Like, I would assume you and I, like, I can hit a car and go, like, I can look at a VE table and be, like, 50, 100, interpolate, you know, whatever, it's a 200, interpolate, and roll in and out, like, at my boost threshold. And if I see the correction isn't ridiculous, or if I see it, uh, I think people get caught up in the learn does everything like you said and what that is is there's the closed loop and then if there's enough closed loop action the learn takes a bit of that every time so if you just apply learn you're still missing more than half of the closed loop amount that you actually need to hit the target so I'll roll in and out and if I see positive 35 I highlight everything from like 80 kPa you know point negative 2 psi all the way up and I whack it with like 40 and then I roll in and out because I want to see negative numbers. You know, uh, no one wants to see a 1380 when they smack 20 pounds. Uh, what they <laughs> want to see is uh, almost coughing would be okay. And then yep. move on. You always want to have too much initially. Yeah, absolutely. I was I, I, right before like we connected with this. I just someone asked me to make a video on like target air fuel ratios, and I just made that like right before you did that. And that's basically the way I ended that video is like. If, if you're unsure or you want it to live and you need the car to go to work, like air on the safe, like on the safe side, like throw some extra fuel at it. You, you might give up a couple of horsepower, but in exchange for the thing living twice as long. But my approach is I usually turn the learn off uh, when I'm starting from scratch on one and uh, just drive around and, and watch what the closed loop is doing. I, it just seems like you said how like, if it's way off, it's going to take forever for long-term or learn to fix that. And what it's going to do is draw a whale penis of fixed air fuel. Our fuel table is going to be disgusting. So that's like what I say. If it's off a percentage, I take everything and adjust that major percentage. Because what people are not doing when they're applying learn, 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 is they're not, they're getting... Maybe if it was lean and this is fixed, anywhere outside of there is completely lean. And then you're yep. going to get that stumble. I mean, the Holly is incredibly fast with the closed loop, but it's going to be something's going to be awful and then it's going to clear up because you're going to hit where it is tuned. And if you never get there, it's going to be really bad on transitions. The throttle is going to feel bad when you stab it and it goes to totally fat or lean. But yeah, I think they, you know, I think like you showed it too, where it just draws an awful plot that's fixed but nothing else is yeah exactly and then you go in and you try and use their like smooth like little click button thing and then it just basically like where it didn't touch and where it did touch it it brings both of them like this so it wiped out everything that you did and then kind of brought the other the stuff that you didn't touch up so now you got to do you know you got to make 14 other revisions to kind of go back and then the other thing like i turned the 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 learn off because if you watch the closed loop it'll be like i don't know 10 and then the learn becomes like three so now your closed loop is at seven and it's like you're kind of constantly having to add the two back and forth to figure out like what you need to, to do to the table so i just turn learn off use closed loop and then um, my dyno has load control so you know i'll just hold the, the dyno at 2500 rpm and then just hit all the cells like going up. And the biggest thing is like the more you do, the more you can notice trends. And like you said, like if it needs more fuel here, it's going to need more fuel everywhere else. 
So that's where you can start highlighting and making big changes. And that's why I get so frustrated that with the Holly, you can't look at the fuel table and the fuel graph at the same time. So if you can lay them side by side, you can highlight like large portions of the fuel table and then actually like watch the changes happening in real time over on the fuel graph. So then like rather than having to like click back and forth a hundred times, you can just do it, you know, all at once. So that's one thing with Holly that, that drives me nuts. And I really wish and hope that they'll uh, take care of that one of these days. And also I would say to people uh, like, you know, uh, without being like weirdly egotistical, uh, you, we can look at a VE table and be like fuel pump or something else. Or if it's insanely low but runs okay, we know like injector data is awful or something. Like from those numbers, you can see a lot going on. Unless it's something absurd, like I've learned from my buddy Frank, like a mechanically fuel pump uh, alcohol M1 car, when you're spinning the fuel pump at 7,000, 8,000 RPM versus idle, your VE gets smaller sometimes because the pump is just going insane at high RPM and like other weird stuff happens. But yeah. Uh, yeah, not not many people are doing mechanical methanol stuff, so. No, actually, and it's funny, like in the video that uh, I just did, like I said, like a lot of people use speed density with Holly and I prefer VE and like everyone asks why. And I, I said like, if you're familiar with one, there isn't a right or a wrong answer. Use whatever you're familiar with. But I like VE because the numbers are going to be the same. Like, I don't care what engines in the car. I don't care how many cylinders. I don't care what force induction it is. Like, I don't, the numbers are going to be very, very similar for like every single setup. So you can instantly look at something and tell if there's a problem. All right. I saw some decent ones uh, in the chat. I was going to see what did Hunter ask? Uh, oh man. Oh, I can't find it. Oh, it says, Matt, it's hard to hear you. Turn up your volume or drink more. Drink more <laughs> Coke Zero. I start yelling at some uh, point. Who's, who's hard to hear, you or me? Oh, they said me. It says Matt is pretty hard to hear. Like I said yeah. to you, he's the, there's always somebody that has trouble. <laughs> if no yeah. one else says it and that yeah. person does. You called that one. Oh, this is a good one. We're going to skip right ahead. This guy, Potato, just asked, uh, what should the regular asshole do when bringing a car before coming to a tuner? At what point should you stop doing stuff yourself and pay for dyno time? Well, I think you have a video where you go over, someone told me I didn't get to it yet, uh, where you go over post or pre-dyno checklist and what you should do and expect. Yeah, so that uh, that list actually on my on my website I have two lists. Uh, one is for Dyno Rental and one is for Dyno Tuning. And then the video that I made was basically me going over the Dyno Tuning checklist. And I made that a long time ago, so I don't really remember like what's in it. But uh, a lot of people. So YouTube has been like one of the craziest things I've ever really experienced. Like my channel is really new. It's really small. I have a very small like amount of subscribers and stuff, but like I make these videos and like show the, the problems that cars are having. And then the next like hundred people that come through the door, like I learned this and this, and because of your video, I did this. And like it, I can like honestly say that like, it's like legitimately helps people and saves people money by showing them like what to do. Like I can't even, 
I would say a solid 90% of any of the inquiries that I get nowadays from anything come like all of the conversations start off with like, I've been watching your YouTube videos and with like, I don't know, like I have like 3000 subscribers or something like that. Like I can't, even be, I can't even begin to imagine like what these guys like with like even yourself, hundred thousand or like, you know, I think Brent from PFI speed. I think last time I saw his channel, he had like 300,000, like, like, oh my God, like you must get like 50,000 people a day, like wanting you to either answer questions or, you know, want you to do something, you know, do some work for them or whatever. Like it, it's, it's hard to believe it's a ton of, ton of time and a ton of work and a ton of effort that goes into it. Like you sometimes sit down and try and edit a video and it's like 12 hours or something. And then especially early on, like 40 people see it and you're like man i just want to go lay in the road right now like this is the biggest waste of time of my life but like in the last month so i think the youtube gives you the stats like every 28 days or something like that yeah and i was usually like between like 100 120 subscribers and then like this morning it was like 1500 so like either something i'm doing is working or like i'm kind of like over that hump or maybe people are starting to see it a little bit or you never right. know, like sometimes it gets a bunch of clicks and then it gets suggestions and then people click it as suggested and then it just keeps going. Every now and then, like once a year, I make a ridiculous clickbait thing. And even then it's not clickbait because I do what it says, but it's that stupid text and implied and like a fireball. And like uh, oh, yeah, yeah. people are like, uh, most recently I get between like three and 5,000 per video. And what's funny is I have, like, you do better video editing definitely than I do. Because that's how I try to keep, like, uh, my time and tuning and videos and everything to a sane level. And then, yeah, yeah. I think people people are like, I'm just going to do YouTube. And they don't understand, like, when you have, especially you, you have in-car, out-of-car, screen capture. That's three completely separate files. And then your, you know, your your timeline is, like, eight layers. And then you're putting text in it. And then you have to proof watch it all of it because if your volume's off in one spot people are going to be like can't hear it hate you delete Absolutely. stupid you know they're going to go <laughs> ballistic uh, every now and then i forget to listen to mine ahead of time and like i didn't normalize and it's it's popping it's too it's clipping the mic or it's too it's quiet as hell actually the video i did for you i really quickly filmed it and put it up i did not have a lot of time and i was like he's coming on ask questions and i never read it i just uploaded it and people are like can't hear you at all i'm like cool <laughs> I, I got it i still got it i still can't control my volume uh but yeah anyway i said uh, recently it's like three to five thousand per video and i did the stupid it's a 16 second clip of a f-150 throwing a drive shaft <laughs> and it got like very quickly it had sixteen thousand. Oh wow it's like substantially more and i didn't even i didn't even uh do anything i didn't even do like what people the, they'll clickbait like with their ferrari video and it's nine and a half minutes of vlogging with a shaky out of focus dslr and yep. the person sound being ridiculous and it's 50 seconds of what happened and most of it's on-screen advertisements for shaving or other, <laughs> other stuff it's very disappointing that's why i can't even stand those people if i watched myself i would probably not stand myself either so that's like i try and make my videos a little bit funny like one to keep me entertained like while i'm editing it and two like 
I made a whole bunch of videos and like no one watched them. And the thought of being on camera is just the worst thing in the world. And I was like trying to watch some other channels to like see like what are they doing that's maybe working, like trying, you know, not copy obviously, but like learn. And I'm like, these videos are all so boring. Like I can't stand to watch them. Like, all right. So, and then you go back and watch your own. You're like, yep, mine are every bit just as boring. So I'm like, how how can I try and make these a little bit like more entertaining? And then like early on too, like you don't realize how often, like you talk to a person and you talk like a normal human being. And at least for me, like I would talk to the video camera and it was like, I forgot three quarters of anything that I know. And like every other word that comes out of your mouth is like, uh, um, uh, and then totally, it makes me nuts. I always try to tell people like constructively, like, please, if you have to pause, pause, don't fill it with, um, my, my wife started doing YouTube to kind of grow thicker skin and be better at talking in front of people and get over some anxiety. And, uh, she did a video the other day and she said, um, so, and, and so like she said it like every five seconds. And she was like, how's my video? And I had to be like, you need to refilm it. Cause <laughs> I couldn't like, uh, I was laughing at the amount of times. Uh, I'm like, I don't mean to be insensitive, but it's, it's, uh, once, and I always say to people on, I actually made a comment or I always make, uh, asshole comments about stuff like this on sloppy. Like <laughs> don't say, um, and don't say what's up guys and stuff, stuff like that. Just immediately, uh, everybody, everybody does it now, but it's one of those things where, uh, I'm like, please say anything else. Why are 99.9% of you saying that? It drives me nuts. At least mm-hmm. say like AV, like keep your dick in a vice and all that stuff. Like AVE, you ever listen to that guy? No. Say something like BI, at least like uh, Cletus is like, hell yeah, brother. All the time. And people make fun of him, but I'm like, he's the only guy that says that. So uh, <laughs> I, I don't know why you're mad. Like that's his catchphrase. I don't anyway. But yeah, you say... It's uh, And then what I found out when I first started doing them, I don't really have difficulty talking in front of people, which is hilarious. But uh, given my anxiety and other social issues, but <laughs> I could talk to a room of 100 people and be no problem. But then like when I meet somebody and they're like too excited to meet me, I'm um, like, uh, it's like when someone's dog is jump, not calling people dogs, <laughs> yeah. but their their dog's excited. And you're like, I don't really want your dog to jump on me. Uh, my brain's like retracting. But uh, absolutely same thing like i found out once you're talking on camera for a while you get out of breath and you're like what am i like a uh, am i (laughs) that out of shape that talking takes my breath you don't realize uh how much you're not breathing normally and then you're like you're like gasping and you're like why can't i talk it's it's weird like i've noticed too like i try and watch other people's videos and it's like something that should take 30 seconds they drag it out for three minutes just like how slow they're talking so i find myself talking to the camera like like I'm speed walking, like with my voice and it's like everything like you, you play it back and you listen to it and you're like, who the hell is this person? Like, it's mind blowing to me, like how different talking to a camera is than no one's there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's weird. I, it's, it's, it's definitely been a learning curve. That's for sure. Uh, here's another one where people are like talking about ignition timing versus, I mean, I think we, we beat that horse. We answered that people are always like, how do I do this? And I'm like experience and knowing, like you said, a combination. And if something doesn't seem right. And like you said, people are like, what do I do first? And you do the same thing I do is where you 
try to overdo the fuel and underdo the ignition and walk it around and like if it's doing what I think it should do right away, I'll pull two. And if it doesn't do anything, I know I was over, blah, blah, blah. So the problem I found with timing is that with air fuel ratio, there's a sensor and it spits out a number and you can sort of make sense of that. But with timing, even if there's a knock sensor, like that needs to be calibrated. And if you don't know how to calibrate the ignition timing without the knock sensor, you're not going to be able to calibrate the knock sensor. So then now it becomes this like mysterious thing that for people without experience, they're like, yeah, I don't know where to do. Like I've run in my dyno to guys that have cars that are making a couple thousand horsepower and they won't touch the timing. They're like, I've had this timing in the same timing in the 46 car. 46 everywhere. Yeah, absolutely. Just have a and distributor, like, dude. <laughs> I've been running it like this for three years and it hasn't broken. So I'm not going to touch, you know, the, the time. I'm like, you literally like on the dyno for eight hours, like, if there's anything that you should be playing with, it's, it's the timing right now. Like, how do you know, like at 2000 horsepower, if you're soft on timing, like you could be giving up 200 horsepower yeah. and people will pay a lot of money for 200 horsepower. And you essentially have a free 200 horsepower in your lap. You're just too scared to try it. And one of my favorite things with my dyno is it has um, like a live graph. So you oh, can like, yeah. Plot, yeah. Yeah. plot a graph. And then as you're making your next run and you lift, yeah, if it's not making anything, get out of it. Or, like, if it's, you can see it's, like, making less power and about to eat itself up, like, get out of it. But for playing with timing, it's it's awesome. Yeah, and then uh, I would say the same thing. Um, oh, man, I just lost it all. Anyway, we're moving on. <laughs> <laughs> I would say, oh, here, I have had uh, earlier on, I've had plenty of people where they're, like, I already tuned the car, it runs at the track. And I go over it, and uh, if it's carbureted, a bunch of people, doesn't really happen much anymore. I've converted everybody I know to Turbo LS. But I've had friends on that had carburetor and uh, like a mechanical, like the spinning ignition. What's that called? Uh, it has like the mechanical advance. So like when the distributor spins more, it goes all in and you have the weight for it and everything. So they have a certain amount at idle and start, and then it, it moves around. Uh, I forget what those are called. I call them weights. But uh, <laughs> they change the little thing. Anyway, uh, I've had people that have like 46 in it. That's why I always make fun of small block people, because it's easy. And uh, they had so much pumping loss that we pulled it down to like 32, and they picked up horsepower. I believe it. And their Absolutely. brain was like 36, 46. And I'm like... And then we and then uh, we lowered it down to like 28 and it only dropped off a tiny bit per degree. And I'm like, you're that far over and then you're spraying it like all you're doing is yeah. pumping loss, which is a, I mean, I, maybe if people don't know what that is, I'll, I'll go over it. But uh, there's so many cars where they're locked and I've done a bunch of like I did a four valve uh, navigator motor in a Mustang the other day with a Holly. And I was like, this is probably very similar to an LS3. So I put 12 in it down low and 18 up top and went, whoop, interpolate up to like 6,000. I'm like, probably quit at 5,100 because it's stock cam and everything. And it made like 303 wheel. And then I moved ignition and fuel and everything. And it just didn't really, wasn't significant in any direction. So like that first 12 to 18 was perfect. (laughs) And then also people talk about tuning like you did too, like uh, fuel. I think a lot of people don't realize all if it's a pump gas car, all add well all similar cars. If it doesn't make any power at a twelve seven on motor, you go to a twelve two, and if it doesn't lose any power, you go to like a twelve o. 
and then at some point it's going to be a little bit too much but uh, I made the mistake of tuning on an engine dyno one day that had eight widebands and I got to see the amount of difference in air fuel per cylinder and then what I try to tell people is you know if you have that in one bank of a long tube or you have it in a turbo v8 that's the average of all the cylinders mixed up in a blender and then spat out the so, video that I just filmed I covered that specifically like yeah I absolutely and again I've had guys on my dyno like multi-thousand horsepower nitrous cars individual o2s and another <laughs> It always comes down to like another video, another video, but another video, like I want to, I don't know how I'm going to do it. I need to show examples or everyone's going to think I'm crazy, but like the title of the video is basically going to have to be something along the lines of like, learn how to ignore all of your sensors. Yeah. Cause like you can run around in circles for hours. You know, these guys will make two runs with individual O2s and like get drastically different numbers between all the cylinders and like try and correct it. And it's like, next thing you know, they got, 30 pulls on the dyno and they haven't accomplished anything like i think sometimes you got to accept like a sensor is a reference point not necessarily like an end-all be-all and a lot of that comes with experience like yeah, especially it's hard, like, it's hard to tell somebody like we always say goals can of worms and then people want to learn how to tune and i'm like well the best way is maybe start on your own and try to be scientific or get somebody to help you and have them teach you a lot and then hopefully because uh i'm sure you see it uh every other car i learned something new oh yeah and people yeah. think like they don't know and i'm like i learn stuff all the time but it's that deductive reasoning or what you your expectation and other things that help you come to that i'm sure you do the same thing i do if you do a car and it goes too smooth you get bored so then you start almost like trying to create problems or like figure out like man i've never played with this before what's that do and you start moving like random things around just to like kind of try and see what it's doing. Like, yeah, yeah, I've had some where uh, I'm like, uh, I'm going to chase ignition numbers across the entire plot for 45 minutes just to like, I'm like, oh, we made five foot pounds down here. So, uh, you know, and then stupid stuff like that. But yeah, mm -hmm. if uh, I've had a bunch of like holly cars recently where I'll dump in my base and I'll set, uh, I'll soften the curve up and uh, I'll do that roll in and out, and the, the fuel trim is extremely close. And uh, aside from you, I I just run the closed loop. I trust it a lot, and I have good ex good luck with that. Everybody does something different, so I wanted to mm -hmm. throw it in there. But like you said, I know what I'm looking at. So a lot of people are like, I'm just going to whatever. But I'm like, eh. You know, every now and then I'll smack a car, and it has like negative 45 and positive 45 partway. <laughs> it's like it coughs a little bit and it has brown smoke and then it goes pulls good and then it yep. sounds fine and then you look at the log and it yanked 45 and added 55 and you're like oh okay and then you look at like fuel pressure <laughs> and other stuff real quick but uh yeah. I, I trust the hollies pretty well to uh let them fly most of the time i've done a bunch of cars recently where i i beep up beep and i smack them and they make 600 wheel i mean it's also uh E85 cars, I would never do that on pump gas. E85 has yeah. such a huge tuning window. And then that's where you don't hurt it, but you might run into pumping loss or something else. So a bunch of times I'll smack them on one of my good bases and yank two, and then nothing happens. Keep yanking until it quits. Or sometimes you'll hit them and you'll pull two and it knocks 40 horsepower out of it. And then you put two more in and it picks up 75. I remember when I watched one of your videos, you put my meme in. Or oh, it was yeah, the yeah, Joker yeah. where he's like, I hate yeah. this thing. 
I'm just going to smack it with four degrees. And then he's like, oh, I picked up 120 wheel. Like I think uh, everybody's had, well, anybody that tunes might have had similar situations unless they're clueless. But <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I said I turned the learn off and I actually dropped down all the closed loop of like tremendous amount. Like if I like, you know, if I put it like if it's started from scratch type deal, I might put it at like plus or minus 20. And if I see it like get anywhere close to that, like I'm out of the throttle. Like I, I think that the closed loop's really good and I'll it it's fast and it works well. But I just feel like if I'm off by 20 percent, like I want to abort the mission and and kind of reconfigure where I'm at. Um, what I've noticed with Holly, and I'm curious to see if you've seen this is like. I'll see like weird swings and fueling like during spool up that you would think would be like Excel enrichment, but it's not like there's not, if you look at the log, like nothing's active, but then like, if you look at like the table values, like again, in a VA VE based system, like you're like, well, if I, if I do with the closed loop, if I pull out the correction, like the table's going to look really weird. And like the numbers are going to be pretty weird. And I've, I've kind of only run into that with the Holly stuff. Hmm. So I'm still kind of playing with that. Um, and then like they have both uh, throttle position based and manifold pressure based. Like you have to do both. Loops. You can't, you yeah. can't swing it to all map or all TPS. I've found that all TPS is usually better. Yeah, that's, that's yeah, exactly. Because if it's thing, good it's... off idle and you get like the, you know, a couple of those dash pots, Yep. It's good everywhere because that's the percentage of the throttle opening. And if it's on three pounds and you smack it and pedal, uh, that part of the fuel table is fine. It's the math associated with the throttle opening and closing. But... Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That rate of change. And then like the very bottom part of the acceleration tables is like once you get that good, you know, it's usually pretty smooth sailing. It's smooth sailing from there. Oh, this is a good one. It says, what's your favorite part of the Fairmont 3? stuff and corrections that it's a car i built in like 2012 it was that you know which one it is i think yeah mm -hmm. so people are saying what's your favorite part of correcting that or whatever you saw on it uh or what did you so, absolutely hate there had the camp it doesn't have to be good no, at all so that's actually uh a good like long-term customer of mine like he's had 100 hondas that tuned and he still to this day brings me a bunch of stuff um, he's putting together another car right now. He, he goes through them real quick. But so he told me, like, obviously it was your car. And he was, like, super, like, excited about that. And I'm like, all right, cool. Like, he wanted to retune it and touch some stuff up. I'm like, all right, well, like, how much power should it make? Like, what should it make? And I don't remember what the numbers were. Maybe, like, 700 or something. And, and when like, I had it, it made 721 all up. But it was it was a single 044 or AM380, the inline guy. And okay. I was like, eh, and it had a decent sized meth nozzle and it was okay. And on the 960 pass, I glanced at the air fuel and it was acceptable. And I'm like, okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> whatever. Yeah. So I don't remember like what necessarily fixed it, but I like ran it on gate and I'm like, called him up immediately. I'm like, Hey dude, this car's not going to make anywhere remotely close to what you said it's going to make. Like, do you want me to stop now? And like, you go back over the car or do you want me to like keep going? He was like, yeah, just keep going. And then, like, I don't know if it just surprised me that it just kind of kept going or if I fixed something. But either way, like, it ended up making, like, again, I don't it made remember. very close to the but... same number it made on yeah, mine. Was... That's why I was yeah. like, well, this guy isn't full of shit because 
that on mine made these particular horsepower amounts and yours was identical because sometimes I'm sure you hear it uh, people are like well I guess it all depends on the operator and the dyno but people say hub makes way okay. more and I've I seen was just it. about to say like I knew that some at some point during this conversation like I figured somebody was going to ask like how does the mainline numbers compare to like a dynajet or something like that um so yeah there's definitely like that's an aspect of it for sure um but yeah that car uh he sold it and then shortly after selling it like i think the dude got t-boned in it oh. uh, yeah and like the like my customer put a i don't remember six point or an eight point but he put a cage in it and uh the cage actually like saved the dude's life like 100 percent. like the cage saved the dude's life they got hit so which so. is the inverse of what you usually hear is people getting into a fender bender, knocking their head on a 850 cage. Absolutely. Yep. I, I have a lot of customers like funny car cages and stuff and like driving around on the street. I'm like, man, you are brave as shit. Like yeah. that's going to be a bad day if you blast your head into that. But yeah, so that was the end of that car. Oh, we did. We did. Oh, this guy says blow off valve on a math tune. Yeah, you're asking for trouble. Don't do that. Just do speed density. If it has a math and it's a Chevy computer, you can always speed density it. You can recirculate it and all, but at that point, a math is, in my opinion, on decent amount of boost, the math is garbage, especially yeah, if it's I've blowing heard. through it. The math stuff's like so much easier to do, assuming everything's right. Yeah. But I've done speed density forever, so it's my preferred go-to. As far as the blow-off valve question, it seems to be very like application and computer specific. Yeah. You know, like a supra back in the day like if a charge pipe blew off or something like the car wouldn't even run anymore yeah um, same with subarus like they won't even go anywhere yeah and then i would say same math is extremely easy like an all motor car you're like boop boop done it's oh, yeah. If, yeah. if it's good here and you moved it correctly it's good everywhere nearly because the the calibration was correct unless someone like biffed or changed the tubing size which they do <laughs> oh here's a good one it says uh I would like to have three settings for boost, 5, 15, and 20. Can I do something like that, or what's the best way on Terminator? Well, I always say, like, again, what's your application? Because a lot of times for streetcars with Holly stuff, I do boost by mile an hour because that's acceptable all the time. Uh, you have a really broad range, and that works. And then other people uh, will set up the gate, and then we'll set up boost control, and I'll tell them to put a on-off switch on the power feed. Yeah, that's why we do it a lot of times when you don't have much of an option. So if he wants three sort like three channels of boost, like it gets a little more complicated. But with two, just uh, yeah, throw a toggle switch on the twelve volt. What um, I've done before is I do an AEM clicker dial, a twelve position yeah. pot. You can just use any potentiometer also that'll take voltage up and down, and uh, it'll do a it'll act as a five volt input. And I've done I showed how to do it. Uh, fairly recently and you can turn the dial up and down and you can even do a mile per hour based advanced table with the dial 3d changing it so you could easily uh, i've showed people before like megasquirt products i call it dial a boost but you could very easily completely control the output of the three port or four port with the dial so all the way down is wastegate and then say you make 20 pounds at 75 percent duty cycle on the mac valve you could scale that table so you get the most amount of resolution from zero to 20. so i would say that's probably his best if he wants to move it around a lot but a lot of times if you want to change it like that 
you could do the dial. You could even do the dial and an on-off switch. Mm -hmm. But you can mostly turn it down to wastegate anyway. And then you know, like, on number 7, it makes 12. And on number 8, 9, it makes almost 20. And then, yeah. You can even have it set up to make more than you want and just have it, like, knock the rods out at some point, too. Yeah, yeah. or scramble, you know, have your your power source, your 12-volt for gate, turn it on for, you know, your middle boost level and then scramble boost to, you know, get to your third level. I wasn't thinking about that, but yeah, like uh, easily with a dominator, you can associate a scramble. And then also if you're using CO2, it has a built-in to scramble another percentage on. But yeah, application specific is pretty much. Hopefully we gave him enough. Yeah. Either he's overwhelmed or he knows. Oh, sorry. Uh, As I say, I still get a little bit confused sometimes when you start trying to do like fancy stuff as far as like, what you can do with the dominator versus like what you can't do with the terminator. So 99% of the terminator projects that I've had come through the door are like kind of bare bones, not really doing a whole lot of like fancy stuff. So there's a lot of tinkering and playing there that I'd like to do, but just haven't had the opportunity yet. I have a good one. People ask this all the time and we'll see if you know, uh, with the stock LS vehicle with drive-by-wire and HP tuners, is there a way to cruise control and park for elevated idle to do a belt-driven York air compressor? Like a high <laughs> idle switch like these, like some Fords and tow trucks have? Uh, you can do it with a Holly. I don't yeah, know about I don't think you can offset with an input, guys, on HP. Yeah, not that I'm familiar with. And then where was another one? Jess Neal keeps asking that. Do you know Jess Neal? Yes, that sounds familiar. He was asking, I'm I think, earlier. The worst person on earth with names. Like He was like, how many dirt bikes are in your parking lot? And then he says uh, here how often. You might not even want to answer it. It's uh, the internet and everyone being such weird people they are. How many times a day do you think about killing your neighbors? I don't know if that's at your shop or home. Or <laughs> I haven't seen anything about that in your videos. So, uh, like, so it's weird the things that people like hang on to. And there's... So this building, when I moved in, there was an HVAC company that rented like six or seven of the units like down past me. And the pandemic hit. I think they were struggling before that, but the pandemic was like the nail in the coffin. They went out of business and then like a bunch of like different random things that moved in. And one of them's like a dirt bike, like four wheeler shop. And they just blast up and down the parking lot. So, like, I'll be sitting here trying to film a video or whatever. And then these guys just start ripping up and down the parking lot. And I tend to like totally freak out i guess about it because it just drives me absolutely crazy and like that's what everybody like seems to like hang on to so uh yeah it it drives me crazy and it's funny too because like like i'm in no position to complain about noise like we have a dyno and we'll have big block pro-charged cars like literally vibrating the whole building so i can't complain about noise but we make noise for like five seconds and then it goes away but these guys like rip up and down the parking lot like 400 times in a row and like every time they push the clutch in like they got to rev it 60 times and like i stay in my spot like they're going up and down the parking lot but like the worst part about it is like they're legitimately going to kill somebody like they're going really really fast up and down the parking lot and like somebody's going to walk out of the car and get hit and it's going to be a mess and it's like what if I, and rather than putting the cars in the dyno, like what if I started just ripping the cars up and down? Like trans brake like, launching that F3 yeah, car. Yeah, like it's just like you can't do that. And like, I don't know, I don't want to be like that guy. Like 
as tempting as it is to call the landlord and be like, Hey, you got to get these guys out of here or like do something. But, uh, I just can't bring myself to do it. I'm not that guy, but they bring me stuff all the time. Like they'll break, like try and pry like a valve cover off and break it. And they'll like bring it down here to like weld it back together. And like, you would think at that point, I just like turn the welder up to like nuclear and just blast a six foot hole in the valve cover and just be like, quit doing that. But I don't know, I'm too nice. And actually <laughs> try and fix it properly for them. Uh, there's a good one here. My buddy Calvin was asking. He's always full of good questions. Do you have experience with straight methanol or staged injection? And will a stock bottom end take more power with methanol? My thoughts are it has a softer pressure wave and colder combustion temperatures. I have done very little methanol stuff, but a good buddy of mine does a lot of it. Um, and he brings a lot of cars here with it. Um, so I... I I know more now than I did, you know, not too long ago. So I'm not the guy for that question, but I mean, just almost everybody claims that they pick up a decent amount of power, even going from E85 to straight methanol. You just the intercooler, you can drop a bunch of weight. Um, Those so are primarily I, I what I hear. And then yeah. you do pick up a little bit of horsepower, I would say, a, a percentage. It's just like, yeah. uh, I, always, <laughs> I always see, even with E85, with no ignition timing change, cars pick up 30 rear wheel. Yep. And it's just the fuel difference. So I think that's with a nitro mix or alcohol or alcohol and nitro. Cause I've had, I've rented the dyno to two K series guys that make like 340 wheel and it's nitro alcohol mix. Yep. So I think there's merit to it, but, uh, yeah, it's just the, the problem with methanol is like, once you get yourself into trouble, it's like, catastrophic failure it blow torches everything yeah yeah it, it gets ugly real quick so what where was it there was a good one here i think in the chat somewhere uh people are talking about io when tuning with the scaling i yeah, i think this is one as a holly related one and they go when tuning do you match scaling and spacing of cells on all your tables i try to so I don't have like, if I'm looking at somewhere in the map, I don't want it to be at the bottom of another one. Uh, oh, you mean like fuel and ignition? And I think uh, like they're talking about auto-generated graphs. So I think they're talking about Holly. And if people do the handheld, you can see that 90% of it's motor. And then it's like 20 pounds. It's like zero <laughs> pounds, 20 pounds. I Obviously, keep referring to the video that I just made. And like I opened up like a a holly file and like the very first thing i said is well you can see the scale on this is ridiculous so like here's how you yeah. fix that so, i think yeah, I've, that's... i think i did a video on an all motor car and people asked for i was like how to set up a decent spark table and not be an idiot and uh, i did it for an all motor car and people were like that's great do a turbo car it kind of concerns me because i think people will pop them pretty quickly because uh it's wholly dependent on a lot of things like you said we yeah. start uh, we get the fuel right, and then we move everything, and then you're looking for a constant gain. Or if you know there's, if you smack a turbo LS car and it makes 10 pounds and it makes 300 wheel, you're like, oh, okay, yeah. uh, something's yeah. wrong, or the cam is installed incorrectly, or it has. <laughs> if it uh, obviously, I always, I always think it's funny when someone starts a car on a trailer, and I'm like, it doesn't have three cylinders. I can hear it from, <laughs> from here, 150 feet away. I'm like, you don't have three cylinders. And they're like, well, I, I always try to give them that expectation immediately because they have up and forwards and they burn the plug wires and they have the heat boot and a ceramic end and they spent a million dollars on a plug wire solution but didn't 
fix their header. And then uh, I'm like, it's burned. And they're like, nope, ceramic this and heat boot that. And I'm like, I always like to say this, people, everyone's probably heard me say it a thousand times. I'm like, if you put a piece of chicken in tin foil and put it on your grill, uh, does it cook or does it stay raw? Yeah. And I'm like, if it's touching it, it's going to burn it. It's only a matter of time. And that's always, those are my worst. People have an ugly turbo kit and they, they act like they had no way to get around it but they stack all the hot pipes and then they try to get the plug wires in and yeah. it's always like the on three the on three silverado kits really bad and they boost creep like hell too all of yeah. them every single fox body silverado all of them i did one yep. recently where it would hit 10 and it actually this car it's a truck and it ran straight into turbine limit <laughs> Because when you, we tried to make more boost, it could not. It would go 10 to like a low 20. And I was really nervous because it kept, it would just, it would flat and then like 4,500 and up, it was like, yo, and it would yeah. just keep going. And then eventually. And then it makes it look like the car's going to make power to 9,000 RPM. That's just because the, the boost is going up 10 pounds per thousand RPM. Yeah, it had a beautiful power curve. It looked like a centrifugal blower car, but. uh Oh, uh, where's another one? Uh. If I see a car with those ceramic plug wires, and I just automatically assume it's going to be nothing but problems. Because like, that means they they've already that? experienced the problem, and they're trying to band-aid it, and it's not going to last through a dyno session. Yep, yep, I, right away. You can hear it missing, and you're like, can't reach the plugs, can't replace the wires, everything's hot. Nope, yeah. this is the end of the day right here. Mm -hmm. uh, oh, here's a good one. He's asked this a bunch of times. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm, I'm like deleting him as I go to make sure. Uh, Frank Reyes, he's been in here a while. Hopefully he's still here. He didn't quit. That wouldn't answer my question. <laughs> what dyno does he prefer and how do you deal with RPM pickups? Uh, you buy a mainline dyno and then you never have to deal with it ever again. <laughs> so, so I've had a Dynajet. I rented a shop that actually had a Mustang dyno in it. And then I had two dyno packs and then now I have a mainline. So I can confidently say I've used like a lot of them and RPM pickup is a problem with all of them. And it's so the, the best part about the main line, as far as that goes, is you have multiple options. So you can just worst case scenario, if you can't get it to work, you can just calculate based off of the gear ratio and it will tell you what the engine RPM is going to be. Um, and then you have a couple other options too. But either way, like I've yet to have a car where I was unable to pick up engine RPM. And then there's even like CAN bus. Like it sucks that, uh, Terminator X, like, will only do Holly Canva stuff, but on the HPs and the Dominators, like, you can switch it. Like, they're still very limited compared to a lot of other ECUs, uh, but my dyno can read race pack uh, CAN bus. So, like, I can just plug the dyno into a HP or Dominator car. And oh, then it'll any can? Yeah. Any channel that you can see on the ECU, like, you can plot it on the dyno. Wow, you can do that possible. with a mainline? Yeah. No and then what's other good. really cool, like, very impractical, but for like educational purposes, it's pretty good. Like it has, uh, forget what they call it, like torque optimization or timing optimization. So like hold the car steady state at 3000 RPM and go into your timing table. Like, I don't know, put it at whatever, 15 degrees, and then just bump it up like one degree at a time. And it will plot out like the horsepower and then once it gets to a point where it stops and you start exceeding it, like it will hold it there and tell you like, okay, at 3000 RPM at, you know, 
80 kpa you made you see this park amount and the map and everything yeah it's wow, it's really ridiculous. really cool like shit one of these days man like i don't know come down here and just tank around dick around on the dino I bring my kia yeah that's like i think that's another thing that people don't understand is the most fun that you're going to have on the dino is going to be something that doesn't make a lot of power that's why i said like, i'll bring my kia <laughs> yeah if it makes a thousand horsepower you gotta let it cool down and all that but like with the big crazy like i call it my used dino jet the um the fan i use for the the dino is like damn near the price of a used dino jet dino and i was so hesitant to buy it but now that i have it like there's no way i could live without it but like you could steady you know you hold a car at four thousand rpm a hundred percent throttle for 30 minutes and just swing timing and swing fuel and swing injector timing and just swing whatever you want and just watch what it does real time like I wish I had more time available just to tinker and play because there's just so much cool stuff you can do with it. Yeah, I wish I had uh, a load cell, but again, I like inherited a dyno for free, so I can't I, bitch. Yeah, I'm in a position where I, I really, like this like this building, well, I don't have the space for it, but if I move to the next place and it'll work, I want to get a second dyno. And you just can't be, is yours a 248 or uh, yeah, a 224? It's just, okay, you're, yeah. you're on and hit and you're done. Yeah. So like if I start shopping around for a second dyno, like unless mainline wants to like work something out with me for like a frequent uh, buyer discount, like I'll probably start eyeballing the 224 Dynajet. You can't go wrong with it. They're very inexpensive. They work really well. And then from a numbers perspective like it is the standard like everything is paired to dynajet numbers so it uh yeah, yeah i would say a lot of people poke fun at dynajet but i would say like i'd always try to make that point over the years for 15 years if it the math is there if it weighs a certain amount and it makes a certain amount on my roller mm -hmm. uh it's going to trap a certain amount and uh you know i would say most frequently people say that when i show numbers for something it has gotten significantly less because of the people that watch know what to expect and know that I have nothing to sell and uh, it's not bullshit. Yeah. But uh, I'll show a car that makes whatever and then it runs whatever. And they're like, oh. But then every now and then I, I used to get people in the beginning, they're like, why does everything you tune make no power? Because they're used to seeing, I always make fun of Kyle Loftus. I've seen him in person a bunch of times and I always give him so much <laughs> shit because I'm like, it's not his job, but I just like the scenario, and I like to do that to people. I I, I know people that do it to me, so everything's game. But uh, <laughs> like, uh, I'll be like, you you just highlighted a guy that says he makes two thousand horsepower, and he went one forty nine. And I'm like, I know it's not his job to like grill people, because then no one will want to talk to him, and that's yeah. the reason why I'm not popular. Is because when that happens, I go, what happened? You know, and sometimes. <laughs> What's funny enough is uh, I might come off uh, weird, but I learn something a lot of times like that. I'll be like, well, this seems like bullshit. And I'll ask somebody loaded questions and I'll bury them or I'll learn something. And I'm like, oh, you know, I'm sorry if that a lot of times they don't think so. But uh, I'll ask specific questions. But uh, yeah, that's always fun to do. And then, yeah, it's not his job, but I always get annoyed when people are like, I make 2200 horsepower and they don't go anywhere near that. I'm like, how about you do what you should and say it makes 700 and then you lay down what 1400 does. That's what I've never understood. Like if man, you like, you would think that it would go that way. Like I made a little bit of power. I went really fast. Not I made a whole lot of power and I didn't go anywhere. Like that's kind of like, 
You're the exact making yourself of what look you... bad. Yeah, that's especially that's if you're a racer and a tuner and a shop, and you're like a mixed two thousand horse, or at least elaborate. I, there's been one or two guys, and I try to give them accolade where they're like, we have it's capable of two thousand horsepower, but we're shaking down, and we're yeah. just gonna try to a to b this thing on wastegate. So then when they ask, but again, it's not Kyle's job to like get that out of people and whatever, but I, I'm still going to give him shit about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I can't not. Uh, it's just like when I do something and people are like, it's garbage. I'm like, here's, here's the thing. I'm not delusional. It is garbage. Uh, you know, they think that I'm going to like argue with them. I'm like, no, it's, it's garbage. It's yeah. that's like my, one of my favorite things in the whole world is when someone tries to like kind of start an argument with you and then you just agree with them and then they don't know what to do anymore. Like, oh, yeah. That's... Yeah. That's my favorite is because people are like, well, your shit's slow and you're not a good tuner. I'm like, OK, what? You have anything else? <laughs> I'm like, I'm an IT guy that does this as a hobby. Like, I don't make YouTube very good. I don't tune amazing. Like, I'm like, I, I've done a lot of stuff that survives. And then what I'm confident with is I give people the advice and it works for them, too. But again, like uh, most of the time I reiterate, I'm not an expert. And if you're looking for expert advice, call an expert and pay them and get expert advice. And I hope it works for you because uh, every now and then I know people that have paid a lot and not gotten a lot. So keep it in mind. Yep. At least I'm honest. I'm not trying to upsell you on things. That's like a lot of it too. Like I, I think I mentioned in the ECU comparison video, I'm like, I don't, Blunt. I'm telling you guys to like to pick up Holly, but I don't even sell it. Like it's, that's why, and, oh, and like... uh, that reminds me, sorry. Uh, <laughs> Everybody can watch that video. Watch his video on ECUs. It's a, it's 100% accurate. That's why I posted it. I was like 100%, that's it. And it's between your satisfaction at ease of use, a customer's ease of use and satisfaction. It's there. It's all right there. Price, ec economically, amount of whatever. So there was People a guy... People got like mad at me that like I didn't list like a comparison of features of every ECU and why I didn't claim that this was the best. I'm like, you missed the point of the video. Like I'm not saying like, what ECU is like the best I'm saying like this is the most practical ECU for a lot of people and as a result of that like that's why I'm choosing to do a lot with it because it just works for everybody like if you're trying to run a business and you could have 20 customers a year or you could have 2,000 customers a year like which one makes more sense yeah and uh, I think people were expecting the comparison to be a little bit different but like you know it was basically why I chose kind of to, to start running running with the Holly stuff Oh, a guy was like, uh, I think it's somebody I know. He was like, why did I move away from Megasquirt products? And uh, I mean, I can answer that just like you did. It's kind of like a tinker toy. And for a long time, the Holly Dominator and stuff was the only option for like, even an HP setup is extremely expensive. And uh, I got into, like, I, I've, I'm working my way up a slope, obviously. And some people don't like that, but I'm like, I'm learning along the way. And uh, obviously I've gotten sponsorships that are like, here, play with thousands of dollars worth of stuff. And I'm like, oh, cool. How, I don't know. Yeah. Would you say no? Uh, no. Exactly. And then also what people are learning is, and I think I strive on a lot of fronts is, I'm like, here's something expensive and here's something extremely cheap. So there's a difference. There's people that want to spend it once, like that whole saying, or they want, they want that expensive item or they want American made item. And that's what they're going to get. But I can show you, there wasn't much of a difference other than this. But if that's important, yep. then they do it. It's like, uh, I always suggest the sloppy stage too. Like I found that cam and uh, I was pushing it because uh, there's a cam similar, we call it sloppy stage one. 
and it makes the same power, but it has no chop. Uh, so then the sloppy stage, it's kind of a joke because there's seven other cams they make in that range, but we call the one the sloppy stage two. And that goes into what I've learned is people don't know what they want. You have to tell them that this no, is the cam. This is the cam you need to buy because it, people put in a cam, it makes fantastic power, but it doesn't chop. They're like, you ripped me off. This was a bad suggestion. <laughs> then they put uh -huh. in three more cams because they want chop and then they overdo it or underdo it. But, uh, you know, all that same stuff. And it's, uh, Mostly what I've gotten away from is it's extremely difficult for 90% of people to get firmware on, to load a base tune on, to deal with the software. And I think I went in to explain this. Uh, a guy I met a long time ago with Megasquirt stuff, uh, he lives very close to me, Mopar Mike. He owns EFI Source and he owns AEA Electronics and he manufactures Megasquirt boards. And it's awesome. And he's an integrated circuit engineer and he can make hardware changes immediately, which he's done. Like we make a suggestion, he makes a hardware change. But what people He actually uh, sent me an email and contacted me after that video. So oh, yeah. that's small world. <laughs> yeah. He's a super nice guy and I love working with him. But the biggest issue is, and it's what I always try to explain to people, no fault of his own. Mike is an awesome guy. He creates an amazing product. They have a guy that writes firmware, one guy in the uk james and uh not making fun of james either he does it like uh per diem or whatever you say like per job it's not his full-time job to write firmware and then the other issue is there is the guy that writes the software writes it in java which is god awful and it's convoluted it's extremely hard to navigate for most people i mean like i'm an it guy and it's, it doesn't seem that bad but i've also used it for a long time and so you have three completely separate entities, and then you have another person like DIY Autotune, Jerry. They're all creating different hardware. All the firmware has different I.O., and then you're asking a guy that works on it occasionally to do updates, and then he doesn't really get to test it on a vehicle. And the, like you have all these people that are kind of wishy-washy, and then you have Mike that like really wants to deliver a product, but he's getting held back by them, and that's where I see... That's, it's difficult for me, but like you say, it's the, the Holly's the easiest because until they can make decent software and firmware for Mike, uh, like I said, you, you Game Boy a tune. With the, there's nothing else that can do that. So I loved when Terminator came out. Uh, they called me months ahead of time to like launch the product, and I got to use it. And I was like, they were like, it's going to cost under $1,000. I was like, bullshit. That's I what like, I said, like, these, if the ECU for that price, okay, I get it. But the ECU and a harness and this little handheld thing. And like, a wideband. And a wideband. Like I was like, they said the same. Make, yeah, it Holly, doesn't make sense to, to not use it. Like, it's it's the answer. And I'm like, what else? Because people were like, that's a lie. Matt's getting paid off. And then they're like, HP Tuners is still better. And then they're like, it's cheaper. And I'm like give it to your dad and have him walk through it like setting up a TiVo and it runs. Uh, 90 biggest hurdle is someone getting their car to run. A guy can Game Boy and get it to you and check the temperature and see if it leaks coolant and everyone else is cranking and spitting raw fuel out of their pipes or doesn't have their map scaled right or and you can at least you can you can run the handheld 25 times until the car runs good. Yeah. And I've done Oh, go. The average person can go through the handheld and make sense of like what the questions are and, and, and make the car run. But if you don't give somebody a specific map that's going to run their car with Megasquirt, they'll, they're not going to be able to go through that software and figure out what they need to change. It's, it's just tough. not going to happen. And the other thing that I find 
I wouldn't have expected it to be this way in this day and age, but like, it seems like 90% of people don't own laptops and like, don't have a way to actually connect to the car too. So like them selling the little like handheld thing, like that's a, that's a big deal for a lot of people. Um, and then you I can pull the tune like, and log. And then if you yeah. give someone like anybody that understands Holly, you give them the tune file and the log, it's like gold. Cause you can see all the trims and everything else. And then you can give them a new file. They can put it on the card, turn the car on, load your tune file. Done. Yeah. My only real complaint there is I think that they should include, I mean, hell, even if they got to charge a couple extra dollars for it, just give people the like USB to can cable people don't know that they need it and then like they're, they're already mad. like got like their tuner lined up or you know go to the dyno whatever it is and it's like well shit we can't connect to the computer like i think that's they that's should include it in the base price even if it makes a 1050 just do it that's yeah exactly it the difference in price there is just going to be so minimal that you know people would rather have it and pay the extra money for it i understand the trying to keep it cheap but almost everybody wants that and then they're mad they don't have it. So that's another thing. And having... well, you're giving away like 75% of what it's capable of if you don't have access to the, the laptop, laptop software. Unless a lot of people I've tuned, that's why I give away my bases. Someone copies a build and then they literally, I have the pinouts available. So they pin a flex sensor, they pin everything and they, they put the file on the dash. And oh yeah, that's the other thing we totally missed. Holly Firmware. Uh, again, people beep firmware, like you turn it on, it flashes the dash, you turn it on, it flashes the ECU. Uh, a minute later, you're completely done and you can beep a beep and then you can load another tune file. Like no one else can do that at all. No other system ever can do that in my opinion. So that's another one. And then, uh, but I, yeah, I have people completely flash uh, the tune up. I had a guy on his first pass go like a 960, my base tune. I believe it. They took it out to the track, transbraked it, and it was like an F-body. And, uh, yeah, <laughs> ridiculous. But they just loaded my base and smacked off a mid-nine in an F-body. The, the closed-loop control and how quick it is, like, really... If it wasn't for that, you could never do that. Like, you just spit parts out of it. We but, call like, it... You can be, if you're off by 30%, like, on a tune-up, like, if you didn't have that closed-loop control, like, that's liquid piston territory like that would never work that's why uh, we call it a bunch of my friends and i started calling it the holly trust fall because fueling in my opinion is the most difficult like getting the car to run getting the fuel like and those cars you can you can literally i actually wanted to do a bunch of cars where i do the game boy and then we dyno it and then i do custom tuning or like we game boy it a bunch of times and it, it fires runs idles and you can dyno it right away i have a guy always, supposed to come next week that wanted to do just that he wanted to test his like you know game boy file versus actual custom tuning so if that works out maybe i'll do that and then my buddy uh chris ortiz we always say the same things we say holly trust file fall and then we also say holly take the wheel like jesus take the wheel the memes. <laughs> yeah so we say holly take the wheel i made a meme about it just the other day where like oh you, yeah you saw it I said, oh, it was the robot sitting in the seat. And he's like, well, I guess I'm doing everything now. Oh, yeah, yeah. That one was awesome. <laughs> yep, right. I need to hit the bathroom real quick. Oh, Can that's you, fine. Uh, we'll, uh, for a second? we'll ask the chat to ask some more questions. All right. I'll be back in just a second. Have you worked on a non-V8 Holly car? 
Actually, great troll holio here. Chris Ortiz just did a video of him putting it on a B-Series Turbo Honda. And what he did was there's no direct drop-in, drop-down solution for Honda Ignition, but what it does have is very similar, like 60 minus 2, 30, 36 minus 1 or whatever it is. Sorry if I'm wrong. So he put a crank trigger on for like 15 bucks, and then he put an AEM EPM engine position module in where the distributor once was and he set up his triggers and set up his ignition and fired it off right away upstream o2 on an ls you can use them yeah you can enable closed loop for the primary o2s and it works great uh another guy says here oh new edge update it's we're in the middle of i'm not doing uh updates on this myself but we're building a mark ii vr swap my wife has a Mark II Jetta, which is like the cleanest car I've ever seen. And we're doing a VR swap and uh, I'm just not documenting it. We're taking our time and my wife works like 16 hours a day. So we work on it like once a week and it's almost done. And after that, you know, I should start on my new edge. But then the other funny thing about my new edge is the longer I take to start it, the more parts people give me for it. <laughs> so I almost don't want to. Uh, you know, maybe someone will even give me a, a whole car at that point. Oh, can, Joe, can we please start a GoFundMe for your squeaky fan belt? I have seen oh, this. Oh, man. That, so I <laughs> I was going to joke around and say, like, at the beginning of this, that, like, the answer to every question that you're going to ask me is going to basically come down to, like, I don't have the time to do it. And I've been trying to order a fan for, like, two years, and I just forget until I turn the fan on and it starts squeaking and it makes me so mad. The fan like borderline doesn't work now. It spins at like three RPM. So yeah, I maybe I can remember the first of the week to order something. I know that how that is. is. There's certain things in your life that you're, 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 you're fine as a human being. You're not a sociopath. You don't think about murdering people. And then one <laughs> thing there's, there's one trigger for a lot of people. And you're like, <laughs> I would push a puppy off a cliff like in that moment you're a flash of instantly mad like and then it fades but you're like i would kick someone's grandma into a pit right now i'm so mm -hmm. mad and then uh oh what did someone else say uh holly cruise control that's a good question i don't know of it you can probably set up an advanced table but there's no easy way and i can answer that as liability for them Yep, absolutely. They don't want to, and they probably make sure you can't third-party it. I think I've heard of people that you can run a box that like locks the TPS input or something. Maybe some of you guys know about that. Uh, this guy says, why do you hate LS4s? Mostly because almost all front-wheel drive cars suck, and the transmissions for those, they suck. Everyone has a 4T60E car, and it shatters it all day, and they keep replacing it. Same people with 4L60E apology like stockholm syndrome and uh i have a friend he's in the chat here calvin and uh they're building they have a dsm a fully caged out dsm with an ls4 turbo and a 4t 80e and then another guy brandon furchis is working on that platform too but they're still breaking 4t 80s and there's really no one that makes hard parts you'd have to pay like jakes or somebody to make do all the r d and i'm sure he's not going to make any money so he doesn't care yeah Anyway, <laughs> why can't Honda owners put the ground in the proper location on the valve cover? You being a Honda guy. Almost spit his drink there, Chris. 
Yeah, that, that I definitely referring to the K series. Uh, yeah, nobody ever does that. I don't really know why. <laughs> I guess it causes a lot of electrical noise and other things through the coil pack and not having a good ground or something. So it's um, Honda makes like a like a I don't know what the hell they call it, like a plastic like thermal intake manifold gasket. Oh, yep, I know what you're talking and, about. And uh, you know, like in the factory, it grounds it one way, but then once you switch to the to that style gasket, then you got to put the ground in another spot, and like everybody just always gets them backwards, and it's it's just never right. Yeah, the phenolic or whatever they call it. Like yeah, the temperatures yeah. isolating. Mm -hmm. This is funny. This guy says, "Are you putting an AR5 in the new Edge? No way in hell. Nope. <laughs> nope. I have a 480E with a trans brake and like billet everything and stuff. Uh, yeah." Matt, can you even weld yet? Nope, I've never welded anything in my entire life. Watch everybody's watch. blown away that I've never MIG welded. I've like only TIG welded, and people can't like wrap their head around that for some reason. Oh, I have videos of me welding in sandals and burning holes through them, like making ugly things. And uh, <laughs> go back and look at all that stuff. Oh, it says PFI speed is here. <laughs> yeah. Brent just typed in "Let's go." <laughs> Brent, so like we were just talking Brent, about him. Yeah, speak like of the said, devil. Like, so, like, I don't, I don't really watch a lot of YouTube stuff. I just, I don't have the time. Like I said, I, I find a lot of the stuff like hard to watch. It's what I do all day, every day. So, like, you don't want to go home and watch what you just did at work. You know, watch somebody else do it. But uh, I've kind of known Brent and known of Brent for quite a while, and like, just saw that is through other people. Like, man, check out like what Brent's doing, and like watching the channel grow like crazy, and like, it's just like a genuinely like good dude and like oh man you want to talk about having like the right personality for it like yeah he can have a car that makes like 210 horsepower and like be as like enthusiastic as if somebody just made 6500 horsepower and it's like it's not like the you know like when your wife's watching like a cooking show and then like like they make the meal and they take the bite of food and they like act like they're gonna pass out and you just want to like kick the tv off the table and like chop it with an axe you know like this is the most ridiculous like fake crap i've ever seen like it's not like that with brent but brent is like single-handedly responsible for like me deciding to make a youtube channel like so in my eyes like and i'm like this with like everything like i always think like everything needs to be like the greatest it can be and i'm like if i made a youtube video of this car that made like 320 horsepower like why would anyone care but then, like, watching, like, Brent stuff, like, there's just a wide range of stuff. There's, like, everyday stuff. There's this, like, kind of unique stuff. There's high-power stuff. There's low-power stuff. And, like, people are, like, eating it up. And I'm like, man, this actually looks, like, kind of fun. And uh, I started, I was like, yeah, maybe I'll try it. And, like, you know, you make your first 40 videos and you get, like, a collective, like, 100 views. And you're like, I'm a moron for wasting this much time on it. And then, you know, just kind of keep going and keep going. And then... I mean, shit, let's face it. I wouldn't be sitting here right now if it wasn't for making YouTube videos. So, you know, who knows oh, where, yeah. it will, uh, where it will go. But, you know, exactly. seeing, seeing yeah. Brent do it, like, that's, that's kind of where it started. I've seen similar with him, and I think I share that, not to be egomaniac, but I share that too, like, because people are like, oh, I'm bringing you an all-motor car, and they feel all down, and I'm like, this is going to be fun too. Like, you don't have to make 800 horsepower to be happy. And uh, I did a funny experiment. I bought a Honda Grom and I put a micro squirt on it and an LS1 coil pack. 
and I tuned that and it made like seven and a half horsepower and I got it to like eight and a quarter by tuning it. And people are like, why would you have fun with that? I'm like, why, why wouldn't you? The percentage gain is incredible. Like look it's at all, people don't understand. It's all percentage. It yeah. doesn't matter if it's a thousand, 3000 or 300. Like if you gain a big percentage, like that's what matters. Yeah. Will your dyno read that low? Oh yeah. I have dyno videos of it and I have plots of, and then what I started doing, people saw that and I dynoed like six groms somewhere big bore. Mine was completely stock. We made small modifications. And uh, what I wanted to do was PFI Speed made a donation. And uh, he goes, how does Joe feel about pit bikes? Is that a, a thing about the neighbors again, too? Yep, absolutely. I'm telling you, man, like people find the thing to grab onto. And that is it. like people are like legitimately going to be upset when I move out of this hellhole. Because they like, won't hear the pit bikes ripping. Yeah. I, I recently, was it the bad nitrous wiring car where they're like, brr, brr. Like yeah, the first yeah, time yeah, I yeah. saw it, I think. Yep. Oh yeah, like uh, Chris says, the deltas. Yeah, like I always say, like the, the it's a percentage gain. But yeah, you want to see something. And then uh, what did one guy say that was pretty good? Oh, Chris Wells says we already answered this, so he'll have to go back. I don't have timestamps, guys. But uh, he goes, how has sloppy mechanics content had a positive or negative effect on Joe's business? And you said mostly good because people know what to expect or buy the right stuff or have at least an idea on what's going to be bad or good. That uh, Chris Wells, he's a, he's a local machinist. He's a, like not only really good at what he does, but he's like a genuinely like good dude. So if you're in this area and you want some like motor work, uh, he's who I refer everybody to. Like, yeah, he's, he's a good dude. And then, yeah, background to PFI. I like how uh, extremely positive, the sunny disposition, which is, I would say, uh, I like to try to be that guy. I don't know if I'm always that guy, for sure, not sometimes. But I don't think I've ever heard him say anything bad about anybody. And that's what I, I aspire to be that kind of person, but I'm not. But I want to be that guy. So I look up to him for that because I'm like, uh, why don't I just ignore it? Or why don't I, tr I, I think a lot of times when something like a car sucks or whatever, I'm always, uh, I'm persistent. I have tenacity. But uh, at some point, I'm fatalistic or I, I'm like, this is going to be garbage. And sometimes it surprises me. But I feel like he never thinks that. He's like, what? what? Yeah. Like, I watched the video where the, that all-motor Fong guy had an issue and they, like, they, they took the cylinder head off and fixed the whole thing on the roller. And I'm like, that's a huge sacrifice of his, his time and dyno and everything and just have his guys, like, uh, they did a Turbo V6 uh, J series Civic or something the other day, and it had like weep holes, like for air bleeds and in the intake in like six spots. And his welder welded them shut, and then they put it all back together and made like an easy 500 plus. And yep. I'm like, yeah, these... I tell people like people, I get asked a lot of questions about uh, just dynos and buying dynos and should I buy dynos? And like, I kind of joke around, but not really. And I tell people, if you're gonna buy a dyno, like you also need to buy a TIG welder, like you're gonna use the welder a lot. Um, and that's one of the other great parts about working on Hondas is like literally you can smoke a cylinder head and like 45 minutes later, just slap a new head on it. Don't even have to unstrap the car. Like there's, yeah, it's all there's, in there's the top. Cool stuff. Yeah. It's, you can get to everything. Like you don't have to jack the car. You can take the motor out without even jacking the car. Well, I guess you gotta get the axles out, but I did a, uh, I always wanted to build the turbo civic. I had a lot of friends with them. And then the one day I picked up a 92 bubble D series, like a DX and I turboed that. And I hung a CX racing kit for like 295 on it. And then uh, 
I did Vitara pistons and those FJR rods and the compression ratio was like seven to one, but then yep. it was so much fun. And then I got, actually, I talked so much garbage on precision, but I bought a precision turbo and it worked great. I made like 303 wheel and it was so much fun. And I, I turned it up and down at that time. And I t played with that because I was like, well, how does a Honda tune? And I broke a Ringland and some other stuff. And I'm like, well, exactly like everything else. <laughs> and but yeah, I never took the motor out, like just oil pan and cylinder head and throw everything and dunk pistons in and slap the head back on and yep. floor it again, like whatever. The key to budget Hondas is you got to ditch the D series and you got to get just like an Integra LS engine. Yeah, they're like the same price. But 300 horsepower with the Integra LS and 300 horsepower with the D-Series feels like the difference between, like, a four-cylinder and an eight-cylinder, yeah. just as far as, like, driving around town. I've driven both, and I, what I wanted to do was just because it's, uh, uh, like, a, a crappier motor I had, I always have attractiveness to, like, crappy cars, crappy motors. I was like, yeah. I want to do it with a single cam because I feel like everybody in my area had a, a B-Series, twin cam, yeah. VTEC. So I actually tuned it. It was non-VTEC, and I added a ZC or whatever block with, and then a VTEC head later. And I picked yeah. up like 57 to the tire. Yeah. I was like, dang. So like the analogy I would use for like the D-Series versus like a B-Series, even if it's the crappy LS, is like a 302 Ford motor versus like just throwing an LS in it and accepting like, yeah, you're not like maybe as unique or whatever you want to call it, but you know you buy your 200 ls motor and it's like light years better yeah like, you're starting with like when you explain to people how to take apart an ls and you're like 15 13 and 10 and like yank it apart and then you're like no water passages and stupid spots nothing in the intake yep. pull the intake off throw it across the room put it back on uh reuse all the gaskets bolts everything like people go nuts when i say that i have videos where like i pull it off the dirty floor and throw it on and make 850 wheel and it has all different pistons and everything. Oh, cool. Uh, Brent says, you guys are awesome. Thanks for the kind words. Uh, you both inspire me as well. Love what you guys are doing. <laughs> well, that's nice to hear. Yeah. I made... It's funny. Like, I don't remember it was a video I was watching of yours, or maybe it was one of the other like radio shows, but you said, like, I started laughing like crazy because like somebody said something about they have a motor and, like, I don't know, something was hurt and you're like, it has eight different pistons and rods in it. And you're like, well, if you're not going to fix it, like I want that one. And then yeah. like, when it comes to like, it, it's just funny because I think the same way, like people always ask me, like, especially like a Honda B-Series stuff, like, well, what should I do for a transmission? Like, where should I get it? And I'm like, well, get some scuba diving equipment, find like the local lake and go swimming around. Like if you find a transmission in the bottom of that lake, like that's the one that you want. It's if it's survived. clean, if it looks like anybody's taking care of it, don't buy it. Like you want the worst looking one that you can get. So it's like exactly the same page on that. Yeah. I try to tell people they're like, they want a motor with 1200 miles. And I'm like, that's a, that's going to be a glitter bomb. Yeah, I don't <laughs> yeah. trust that. And then I say, yep. uh, uh, I, my scrapyard guy laughs his ass off. Cause I show up and he has a six liter that was in a fire and the intake is <laughs> melted into the intake ports of the head. And it's all the wire, the copper and everything, plug wires, valve cover was melted on the corner of the one. I'm like, wow, that got hot. It melted the aluminum valve cover. And uh, he's like, it has 244,000. I, I don't even know if I can sell it. I'm like, that's the one I want.
Yep, that's the one for me. <laughs> and that's the engine that was in my Colorado when it made uh, it made 1076 rear wheel. And uh, I'm like, this is like, and people were, every now and then people would be like, it smokes a little. I'm like, <laughs> this thing has no valve guides, no valve seals. I, 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 I gapped the rings with a Harbor Freight grinder with a cutting wheel. <laughs> and I did like 50, 30, 60, just to show that like, it doesn't matter. It smokes as much as a regular car with bad valves and seals. The, 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 like I've learned that it doesn't matter because people would like cry and buy brand new rings when they cut it to like 31. And I'm like, uh, let it fly. These like literally like what I've told you is, and then people who didn't believe me started doing it. And then they're like, it doesn't matter. You can screw everything up. Like yeah. small turbo, disgusting. Uh, and then people don't realize you can weld. It's like cast steel, the manifolds. And we're like, weld a V-band. They're like, it's cast iron. We're like, weld the V-band. <laughs> like, we just keep repeating it. And then uh, I, I've done a bunch of videos where people would, like, call me out. Like, you build that nice off camera. You swap the engine. or So I'll, I have oh. videos. I have a video where, like, I'm in bare feet. And I put a cam in a motor and just, like, slap everything. I don't even. People lose their minds when I don't even, like, put the maple syrup assembly lube on stuff. And I'm like, that's going into the oil pickup and clogging the damn motor. Like, that's think about that like and they're like uh and i'm like it's a i just pulled the cam out of a sludge pup 250,000 mile <laughs> engine and i stuffed in a new one it still has all that disgusting stuff in there it's plenty uh much lubricity i don't think you get it and then i reuse all the gaskets and i hammer everything with an impact gun uh, i did a video where i did barefoot also and i built an 88 rear with an impact gun and that's the rear that was in my colorado for 2 years before i sold it so we were at the racetrack with, uh, I think we were in Ohio, and uh, it was Chuck Seitzinger when he was racing Hondas, and he broke a motor, like, I think the car might have even, like, caught on fire, like, catastrophic failure all the way around. Like, he was taking as a carbon clutch, like, they were taking, like, he had spares, but, like, all the spares were all just old stuff that had failed. So they're, like, looking at discs and, like, finding, like, the least crappy ones and like putting them on a barbecue grill. Like he didn't have, uh, he was like short a piston, like trying to, you know, take eight broken motors to build one. So they literally like, there's a big hole in the piston and they welded the hole and like filed it down with a grinder, put it together, like literally pit, you know, put the engine together, pit it in the dirt and put everything back in the car. And the very first pass was like, legitimately the worst motor you could ever have the car went the fastest that it had ever gone they're the and ones that try the hardest the crappy yeah. motors are the ones that are happy to be alive they're like a rescue dog they yeah. want to please they mm -hmm. want to be loved and then a lot like of I people forget with the uh, ls stuff like the the appeal is how inexpensive it is and it's like i've seen it a hundred times where guys will put together you know basically your package or whatever and you know make 800 900 horsepower go through a whole season you know they're all right there's two or three races left like let's turn it up and then you go and you run really fast and they're like man this was like i had a lot of fun with this car this was awesome and then like during that off season they're like okay like this is all like garbage like let's put some pistons and rods in a motor like let's buy a real turbo let's buy this that the other and then it's like the car never seems to like run good again after that I or like say, even if so, like you're so worried about breaking it now that it's cost some money that like you don't enjoy it quite as much as you used to. That's why we say to people, uh, I brought that out with the don't BS me build because I'm like your goal 
I, people say it all the time. They're saying it in here too. Uh, burnouts and ice cream. I'm like, that is a valid goal to like build something with your kid and do burnouts and get ice cream and go home. And not, ice cream is the answer to all Not of it. worry about it. Like, go mm -hmm. to the ice cream place. Here, look at this. Here, I have to pull it out. But uh, my buddy made stickers that say it. His uh, sister or sister-in-law is a graphic artist. So they say uh, burnouts and ice cream and like uh, fancy lettering. But, oh yeah, I was going to say also, uh, I did a, I did like what I called automotive myth busting for years because people would spew rhetoric that wasn't true. And... Uh, I was starting to build turbo LS cars and everyone's like, you're a moron. And I'm like, tell me what to do and I'll do it. So people would say all sorts of stuff and I would do it and it didn't do anything. So no one had an idea anyway. And I would just air everybody's being incorrect. And then uh, at one of those points, I blowtorched a cylinder head off a car. Like, yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure you've seen it. Like acetylene torch, the cylinder head. Oh, yeah. It was an iron block and I was like, uh, my fingernail kind of drags on it, and I had a completely different... I had a ported 241 from an LS1 car my friend blew up, and it had like an 862 that was unported on the other side, and I stuffed them both on. That car made 711 to the tire with two completely different cylinder heads, and I dynoed that at my buddy's shop that does like the outlaw drag radial cars that go like high fours at 200 in the eighth door slammers. And he's like, what? And I'm like, it is, look, it has a 241 that's ported and it has a, and he's like, what? He just kept it. And I'm like, yeah, it doesn't, on this application, it doesn't matter. So that's hilarious that like an LS doesn't care about so yeah. much of what's going on. It's interesting, like, and you could even like argue like the whole like sloppy mechanics movement or whatever people call it, is that people don't understand that like a lot of that is sort of earned and experience and resources is what makes it cheap like so guys will think that like they can just drop a running 302 fox body off at a shop and get an ls swap a fuel system a turbo kit engine management tuning and they think like that whole thing's going to cost like five grand like people don't understand that like when you're building those cars that cheap like you're putting two different cylinder heads on it because if it doesn't work like you learned something you had some fun you drank a couple beers in the process and you know, you you know where to get the two hundred dollar four eight motor. And, yeah, mechanical you know, ability. What Chinese turbo to use, and you know how to do it yourself. Like it's only cheap because you're getting your hands dirty. Like you can't like just expect like a shop to do it for you and, and it be that inexpensive. Yeah, and that's I try to bring that up. I actually want to do. I've said this to like most people. I'm saying it to you too. I want to do an entire series on bad customers and expectation and. <laughs> Because I talked about it with my Subaru friend. He owns a Subaru shop, and uh, he, we just want to blast customers because of their poor expectation. And he'll do stuff like the person will have a rotted brake line, and he'll replace it, not even charge the person. And then they're mad about something he did performance-wise. And he's like, I just probably saved your life or the front end of your car, at least, because uh, yeah. Subaru drivers are maniacs and assholes. But uh, <laughs> they're mad about something else, and he did all of this work for essentially nothing because he knew... If he was like, you need brake lines, you, they'd be like, oh, you're screwing me. And, blah. and he's like, this yep. car won't even pass inspection. So I always try to reiterate, like uh, we say it almost every radio show. I'm like, you have to understand the overhead, the insurance, the experience, the time. And if, if you can make uh, hundreds of dollars an hour tuning, why do you want to touch a car and do anything and accept a liability? Because people want to drop off parts and then it's garbage you've never touched. Like I, I say to people, a $30 Chinese PQI regulator works great. 
works great for me. And you know, if you're looking for a rock bottom, that's it too. But if you want to buy, if you want support and you need help and you can't do it on your own, you might want to enlist someone's help, like the whole do yep. it once thing. But as long as that do it once person isn't like you need to buy a Texas Speed six thousand dollar built motor to make five hundred wheel. Uh, yeah. Not when a motor is two hundred fifty bucks and you have some time and mechanical ability. So. So we were like a, a a dealer for all the main turbos, like Precision, Comp, Bullseye Power, Borg, Garrett. Like I could get all of them, and I couldn't sell. Like people wanted cheaper turbos, and I'm like, I don't. I've I've never really used any of this stuff. Like I can't sell it to you because if it fails, like then it's I'm gonna have to deal with it. Yeah, and then it's your problem now. This, yeah, the VS stuff, like. So I finally got tired of people asking me, hey, do you sell VS? Do you sell VS? I'm like, no, no. And I finally like tired of dealing with it. I'm like, all right, like let me call these guys. And it turns out like we knew each other and it's like becoming a dealer was like no big deal. You so then to I Varen? sold yeah. Yeah. So I sold my first VS turbo and I probably explained to this dude for like 30 minutes. I'm like, this turbo might last you five minutes. I have no idea. Like understand that if this turbo fails like you can buy three more for the price of like a precision and like that same turbo actually like uh that burgundy colored fox body that i did a couple of videos on like it's the same turbo that's been on that car for two years like some of this inexpensive stuff is like becoming just as good as that's what i try to push yeah and then uh i've I've explained it i think to other people maybe on another radio show uh, a part of what i like to do is we find something that's cheap that works. And a lot of times we find American manufacturing is able to do it even cheaper or close to the same price and it's higher quality. So a lot of people are like, I hate that guy. All he does is sell Chinese stuff. And I'm like, well, there's a nice line in the sand, an education level associated with all that. And uh, a lot of times what I do kind of pushes people to make, like we just had Robert Young on and he was like, uh, in the beginning, I could tell he was kind of pissed at me because he thought, and there, I mean, this is a valid assumption is he's like, what is Varen paying you to push VS products? And I'm like, nothing. I've worked with him for 16 years and he likes what I do and I like what he does. And majority of people have great success. Uh, I think a lot of people that maybe have issues, it's, it's circumstantial or a percentage or people do dumb things, especially people that want to buy cheap stuff. Well, Not like a- the precision stuff, like there's an, a lot of failures with precision turbos you send it in for warranty work and it's always oil contamination or it doesn't matter what 50 bucks for the yeah. turbo to get fixed that's why i always i hate to like badmouth them but i've had so much bad experience with them and my friends and other people that i'm like why would you spend four times the price for essentially like a time bomb yeah or it depends on what it is like if it's a little street car and you want to drive up and down you know the road and do some burnouts and maybe go to the track once every three months like it doesn't matter now if you're trying to go class racing of course you, like every power counts and especially if there's a turbo limit then like yeah like drop some money on like a specific you know turbo there's a lot of very expensive options that are going to work better but yeah it's a whole different ball game and i try to explain to those people if you're in the one percentage class you're going to spend and break like a lot of people don't realize the it's almost like top fuel for those drag radial cars they're they're pulling the thing apart and doing bearings or swapping a rod or they broke six rockers on a pass. Like it's just consumables. But if you know, and then I say that's fine and well, because people are like, they're the fastest cars. And I'm like, but they throw turbines at the crowd every other pass. That's what I don't like. 
Uh, and then people are saying VS is junk, but he doesn't shoot turbines at people at a race event. There's a big comparison. And then I say, that's that's good and all, but are you a drag radial racer that needs a, a half a percent on somebody? And yeah. then my other issue there is uh, Jose Zayas of Force Inductions builds class kill turbos uh, and doesn't spit turbines at people. So uh, I don't know what to tell you. And then what I can also say is like my Civic, I, I swapped it to a Precision. It was like a 58, 52 or something. No problems with that, but it was a small boy that I wasn't really overspeeding the turbo or anything. So, and then uh, that's what I always say to people because people think that uh, there were plenty of times where people are like, the Sloppy Stage 2 isn't as good as whatever. And I'm like, if you check all my posts and videos, uh, I always recommend the Brian Tooley Stage 2 because that's what I had in my Colorado when it made all the power. But uh, obviously for like half the price, it's hard to beat when you're already building economical to not do the $200 Elgin. And like that's the whole thing people aren't getting. It's the sum of all the parts. But are you drag radial racing? Are you a 275 competitor? Most likely not because those guys are spending millions of dollars to make five grand and do this to everybody. When it's, <laughs> yeah. it's like a giant pissing contest. It's unbelievable. Well, I, always I always refer to like that type of stuff as just a money spending competition. Yeah. So that's that's really what it all they show up down. in a newer more expensive trailer and they try to look down on it i'm like man it must be nice to just give some charity or something Jeez, <laughs> race some golf carts one year just golf cart race and give the money to children's cancer or something <laughs> just please like stop the excesses it's cool but it's ridiculous yeah up until like i don't know maybe two three years i guess you could almost say up until i started fooling with this ls stuff like as a shop i kind of felt obligated to try and push like the better stuff like i've given probably half a million dollars in estimates for like motec products like in a wiring harness and like everyone wants motec you know like not so much in the domestic world but like you know over on the import side of things like everyone just knows that kind of motec motec's like the top level so everyone's like yeah you know how much for this how much for that and then you give them an estimate on it and it's like what else you got and you know it just kind of gets old and then Again, you know, 10 years ago, like the Chinese knockoff turbos, like We're they weren't nearly as, as good as they are now. So it, things have just changed. And I guess the reality of it is, is China's gotten a lot better at copy, copying stuff. And uh, there's definitely a whole lot more affordable options. And it, it and just all, it comes it, down to what you want to do. And like I was saying about Robert Young, I, I totally, I sidetrack myself frequently. <laughs> My brain is like squirrel. Oh, I do the same thing. But, uh. He came on, and I mean, when he realized it wasn't bullshit, uh, and then he, he like had an old Tahoe with like a quarter million on it, and he built a turbo to fit that, and uh, he did like a little bit of my HP tuner stuff and other people's, and he started to tune it, and uh, he's like, holy shit, this is fun, and it does work, and everything, and then he got like inspired, now he creates a, a budget turbo lineup, and I'm like, see, here's the thing, like, that guy, and he admits, uh, a bunch of people have admitted this, they get lost in the sauce like of, of uh, success. And he sells $2,000, $4,000 turbos, and they are incredible for what they are. But he's like, I have nothing to sell regular people. And yeah. it helped him realize, so now he sells like a budget lineup. And after the, the podcast, he's like, I'm going to extend a sale where he's selling like one of his badass budget turbos for like $5.99 ship. And like that's, awesome. that's right on with, china stuff and if you i'm not saying anything against people that are like all about american made and purchased but if you're into that that's it that's your answer and that was 
he was put in that position because of, uh, you know, the, the Chinese turbo market. Because, and that's what I like to see. And I, I said that earlier in the show. A lot of what uh, I push is not like not in like uh, I want to do it since, but we get better American parts for a decent price. And people are fine with spending a percentage above whatever. And everybody kind of wins. It forces people that are way overhead and not selling people to selling stuff to regular people to do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sort of the analogy that I use a lot of times with that stuff is like, would you rather be Lamborghini or Volkswagen? Like Lamborghini is like looked at as like this wonderful, great thing, but Volkswagen selling a million times more stuff and making significantly more money. Yeah, so it's and they're like, not, most of them aren't setting on fire after 1300 miles. <laughs> yeah, a 12,000 mile car is considered high mileage. And the motor's <laughs> shot, like it's, it's completely done. Uh, oh, here's a good one. Uh, this guy was saying this, and I have opinions on this, and as I get older, I think I'm maturing uh, a lot because I've been doing YouTube for like 16 years now. And oh, uh, yeah, I start, if you look at my account, I, I turned it on right when YouTube went active in 2006. Wow. So this guy says, you should do a segment on bad shops and how shitty the pros can be. And then it says some shops and tuners need to be called out. And I have... I have opinions on that. It's okay for me to do that sometimes, even though I don't think I should. Uh, when I'm really upset with people, I'll throw them under the bus. But most of the time, I don't want to do it. And then, oh, PFI Speed says Lambos are Volkswagens. <laughs> That's my point. Exactly yep. my point. Same manufacturer. It, it's, it, it's, it's literally, it's an image. It's like, do you want to be like the top level, you know, look at me type of deal? Or do you want to be like catering to normal people and just selling a ton of stuff and making like making real money and like you could almost look at like sloppy mechanics as a whole, like as that, like it's like more like the Volkswagen rather than the, you know, building titanium turbo manifolds and, you know, making things. Yeah. Look really and nice. I like the influence I have to, for like people to build stuff for regular people. Like imagine if all they sold was expensive ass cars and you're like, I don't want a mortgage payment for a car. Like I just want a civic. And then people yeah. made civics and they're like, oh, it's cheap. It's junk. And you're like, nothing else is there. So why is it their fault for creating something affordable? But I was yeah. going to say like about the shops thing, I think it's different for me, but I still don't like to do it. Uh, if I do it, I'm only angry about something. It should be taken with a grain of salt because I can soapbox. But uh, if you're a shop and you're talking about another shop negatively, that's like a marketing campaign. I don't like if someone has people should sell you on their success instead of being like i hate when i watch a video and people are like yeah this tune was a disaster and they always hint to like who did it i'm like just show you did well people will notice when you're doing well that's uh, the approach i try to take I, don't... I see a lot of very subpar stuff and i think it just it's kind of tacky when it makes you look like... bad yeah i, I Why agree. point it out so. But uh, that's what I like to say to these guys. Like, we could, I know plenty of people, and I have plenty of resource to air this stuff, and I never would because part of it's for them to vent safely, and part of it is there's a whole other aspect to this where I've had cars that are an absolute mess, and I put in enough to, like, get it to idle for somebody so they can do their homework, and then they get mad that I did something wrong or everything else was a disaster, it was overheating, and I did what I could, and then they take it somewhere after fixing it, or they take it to somebody that's like, yeah, that guy's garbage, 
and you know stuff like that you don't know what somebody got before you and what was changed in between sometimes it's bad sometimes it's good sometimes it's not that person's fault sometimes they took the car to the person like you and you said no nope and then they left your shop and they're like this guy wouldn't even whatever and they're like yeah don't ever go to him but like that's a bad uh leverage thing is to and like i said i don't want to say something about somebody that might hurt them because here's what's happening like i want to do that whole series the internet has more power than you do if people are like oh that joe guy's terrible like i don't have to worry about that i've made it a business of mine to talk down to like people that think they're better than me uh made it a contest for throwing insults because like you said someone's like you're awful and your facebook group is awful and i'm like yeah i've kicked every i had like sixty thousand members at one time kicked everybody out for no i was pissed at everybody I'm like, if I was a shop, I would be suiciding myself, but I found it hilarious because people are like, you won't do it. No balls kicked everybody out of the group, you know, stuff like that. Because, uh, uh, yeah, I like doing that, but you could never do that. And you, yeah. you would have, uh, you would say something bad and you get buried one day. Like if you yeah. start getting a bunch of bad reviews or like you made fun of some guy that has a, like, that's what I don't, sloppy is like a, it's like a boat and I have to direct it sometimes when I can. It's a wild animal. But like for charity, it's incredible. And for like helping people, it's incredible. But I have to watch like if I target somebody, they'll all go in there. And what will happen is you 4,500 bad reviews all of a sudden. That's only a percentage of sloppy. And for, for even 400 or 40 bad reviews on someone's Google site, uh, they're going to hover over you and see one out of five and be like, puh, even though you would have done a good job. So that's like a double-edged sword there. Like, some yep. of you guys should know about those people, but here's the thing. A lot of them, I'm just totally going off here. We've got to have you answer <laughs> some things. Uh, if you ask on Sloppy, is there a reputable shop here? I live in Virginia. Who does good work? And people are like, this guy does good work. A lot of times there's people who ask for me to tune something, and I'm like, I don't tune those, or I simply don't have time in this time frame. Uh, go to Carl Pritz, go to EFX Tuning in New Jersey, uh, go to, you know, and then we always, uh, I had a little bit of, well, what's this, Fran Shots. Like, uh, I, people are like, I have a sloppy build and I want to take it to Fran. And I'm like, Fran is fine, but he will tell you to fuck off if you call him <laughs> about that. And that's fine. People get mad at him and he's he's the same. He's used to people being mad, but he's like, I don't want to touch a car that's going to be a disaster when I'm going to make uh four times the price doing an lsa swap or like a kong blower on a ctsv that's a good customer that understands the risks and payments and and he's like you're gonna bring your car and expect to pay 300 bucks and that's just not gonna happen i have a warehouse full of stuff that actually makes money and doesn't have problems because we did it start to finish so you yeah. have to understand again his whole overhead priorities uh money making keep the place moving it's well it's like me with the, the fabrication work like i turn away fabrication work that i know a lot of people would kill to have but at this point with what i do like i'm gonna make more money doing something else so you you, you know you should never if somebody doesn't want to do something for you like you probably shouldn't try to like force them or can't make take them it personally them. either yeah like it's it's just not gonna work out good. like i don't understand like the people that get like real rude with you like they want you to do something and either you say no or you're busy or like for whatever reason, like it isn't just like, a, yeah, bring it on down. And then they get like still try to like talk you into it, but they're like really like rude about it. I'm like, 
if somebody like was about to to work on my stuff like the last thing that i would want to do is like piss them off beforehand like what kind of like work do you think you're going to get at that point as opposed to like if you know everything was nice and smooth and the way it should be ahead of time it's, it's weird oh here i uh it's talking about shops that do decent work uh calculated chaos <laughs> what is it epsom i forget where it says I wanted to give him a shout out. I told I wore a shirt, I think, on the Robert Young thing, and I was like, I should have worn my sweatshirt, showed everybody. But uh, this is a good one for my buddy Chris because he just tells people like it is. He doesn't care at all. They, uh, he says, how does Joe feel about living in an industry and having to always deal with new, hot, hype, shop, and drama associated? Because where he is, people are always opening a shop, and they're like, everyone's like, they're new, they're the best, they're coming in, they're taking everybody by storm, and they're so much better than... And uh, what happens is he gets cars from there and it's flat garbage. And all those people did was talk trash on him. Meanwhile, he's fixing everything. And then also, like he says, you know, I don't give a fuck. I'll tell a customer his stuff is trash and then show them how it was trash. And I, I say the same, like if someone brings me, I've made enough. I think it's funny. I've made enough memes and passive aggressive posts where people like are like, I'm going to be that guy. And it stops them from being that guy. And they know I'll call them out to a degree, but uh, yeah. same thing. Like, do you have that issue where people open a shop and everybody wants to go there kind of thing? Or, I mean, I don't really have that going on up here. And anybody that may say something bad about me, I'll agree with them. So it kind of cancels <laughs> it out. And then if someone has something expensive or is kind of hesitant with me, I'm like, go somewhere else. I can't hold your hand. And that's fine if you need your hand held. You're going to pay for having your hand held. Some people have gotten mad where... I'm like, I have to turn you away because you are like attention seeking. You're emailing me three times a day. Uh, like I may schedule you. I make it to my email in the next 30 days to tune for you. And then if someone sounds needy, I'm like, you need someone who can address this neediness. It's not me. You're going to be unhappy. I'm going to be annoyed. I'm going to ignore you forever. <laughs> uh, and that's simply it. And then another guy uh, that reminds me. He's like, how do I get a hold of Matt to do tuning? Again, it might take a while. It might be tomorrow kind of thing. I think uh, I had a guy cancel tomorrow. So if you want your car tuned tomorrow and you're in Allentown, <laughs> hit me up. But I tell people it's don't get mad, but you can email into uh, sloppymechanics at gmail.com. And I can try. Like Sometimes I have time and I go through 20 emails and people are like, I need tuning. I need tuning. And then I'm like, okay, is your car run? And they're like, no. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> And then they're like, can I set up a time three months from now? And I'm like, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to lock myself out. Uh, for a while, I was booked out like six months. It was retarded. And I'm like, I don't have time to like go to dinner with people I know. Like, it's ridiculous. So people get frustrated with me because I won't. If your car doesn't like run, like you don't have like if you're waiting on something or it's not finished, like I won't take your appointment because there's a thousand things that are going to go wrong in the process. And I typically won't schedule anything more than like a week out because if you schedule 20 cars in the first of those 20 cars takes a You're day done. and a half rather than a day forever. Now you have to call all of those other people and reschedule all of it. It's just not worth it. So yeah, scheduling is probably the thing that I struggle with the most right now. Cause it, yeah. And you got guys that are like freak out, like I need an appointment ASAP. Like, and just like you, like, Hey, I got a, a you know, an opening tomorrow, someone canceled. They're like, oh, well, I haven't gotten the motor back from the machine shop yet. I'm yeah. like, well, that, 
I hate to Your call people out. Your definition of ASAP and mine are a little bit different, I guess. I hate to call some of these poor guys out, but I think they think I am booked out a year, and they need to make a reservation like you ever see American Psycho, like Dorcia, where you call and they laugh at you. Like, <laughs> they don't know who you are, so they laugh. Oh, that's funny. PFI Speed uh, says shop of the month. That used to happen here a lot, so that's funny that uh, that happened. I feel like that's a Honda thing, though. A lot of Honda stuff is... The cars are garbage, and the people talk smack, and everybody wants to spend the least amount. But you know, some of them are. Yeah. Oh. So back to like that original question of like all the different shops coming out and like being like the new hot shit. Like, I have dealt with that a lot in this area. Like, if so, I'm like an hour south, forty-five minutes south of like fifty shops. They all have dinos. They all you know specialize this, that, and the other. And like, it used to bother me and like a new shop would come up but what like they open up they get really busy six months in like they don't have any idea how to like run a business or you know maybe don't know like anything about cash flow or whatever it is and it's like they disappear just as fast as they come up like i wish i had like an actual tally of how many shops that i've watched open and close throughout the like time period that i've been doing this and everyone think thinks like right from the get-go like you need 50 employees and a 50,000 square foot facility and they just like their expenses are so high. And I mean, let's not kid ourselves. Like the margins in this industry, like are so much smaller than anything else. Like, yeah. you know, you go to Walmart and you know, you can pay $20 for a t-shirt. They probably bought it for a dollar 50 as to where if like I sell somebody a $1,500 turbo retail, like I probably paid 1350 for it. Like just percentage-wise, like this yeah, is. Yeah, I think a lot of people aren't industry. understanding that, like a header or something, and a Holly product, it's such a small percentage. But then you're paying once you're making. That's the whole thing. Like these people get upset with too. Uh, my tuner friends are like, I'm making almost nothing, but I'm offering years of support. And I and what I'm giving you is something that I know will work and something that I'm comfortable with. I was gonna say a bunch of my a bunch of people I know don't use VS turbos. They don't use Snake Eater. They don't. And I'm like, that's fine. I don't hate you for it. And I'd say to people like, you can use it. You can try it. I have great success with it. Any more than that, uh, it's up to you. Like you said, I've done two cylinder heads, and that's a risk you're taking, knowing that you're the person responsible. Exactly. And yeah. You can't you can't buy something like cheap or like bottom of the barrel and then get mad at somebody else that you made that decision like there's there's a risk that comes with that and like injectors is one of those things like fuel says i think if you're gonna like splurge on your bill in like one aspect of it like spend a little bit of money on the fuel system especially no one ever if has enough tuning. fuel in my opinion yeah especially if you're not tuning it yourself like i've had cars come in like three and four different times because they just tried to save money on the fuel system and it just doesn't work and you feel bad having to charge them for it each time but you know this is it's not a hobby for me like if yeah. you're here and you're taking up my time like i have to charge you for it if not i'm not going to be here like so yeah definitely make sure you have enough fuel <laughs> yeah no one and then people will come to me and like have a single 400 and want to make 800 on ethanol through an auto and i'm like and they have two tens but they have no fuel pump. Yep. And I'm like, I'm sure you dealt with it too, where like guys will see like a, a fuel pump rated at a thousand horsepower and they think they're good to go, but they don't realize it's rated at a thousand horsepower naturally aspirated on gasoline. 
yeah, on gasoline. And once you throw 30 pounds of, you know, boost at it, like now this same fuel pump, will, you know, is good for 600 horsepower yeah, maximum. Yeah, exactly. Like cut that number in half and then take another percentage because that's yeah. it's rear wheel. And then, uh, yeah, anyway. Uh, oh, yeah, this is a good one that Chris is saying. This is straight facts a lot of people need to hear. You being the tuner makes you responsible for everything on the car now. Like the, ever since you tune my car, my brakes aren't good or whatever, you know, that stuff. People need to hear that. And then this was a good one. I wanted to touch on this. A guy said, uh, so yeah, that's the whole, if a place is like, listen to Brent at PFI. Does he ever say anything bad about anybody? No, that's what you should do. Listen to dad. <laughs> listen to dad over here. Don't. Just do what you can and people can see you. he does what he can and he never says anything bad about people and they're comfortable with him. So think about that. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, this is a good one. This is what I wanted to touch on. He asked a while ago and I wanted to, he says, what are your most recommended inputs and outputs goals are ice cream and burnouts besides a butthole pressure sensor? Like you said in the one video. <laughs> So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming gonna hear about that one for the rest of my life. I think I'm assuming we need a shirt that says "butthole pressure sensor," <laughs> and uh, I would say he's he's talking about Holly Terminator because that's what people would ask. I/O and there's four in and four out. Most people might not know. So you have four inputs and four outputs. So we'll ask Joe what his most recommended or popular are. Uh, well, you got to control your fan or fans with an output. Um, I can't stand fans that are on a, uh, you a know, switch? A, a switch that like, that's the biggest problem with the Terminator is like, if you want to do CO2 boost control fans, like trans brake, like you're damn near already almost out. Um, I think especially with like, I wish Holly could just add like four more IO to the HP. And then that way you have like a middle ground between the, the Terminator, the HP, and the Dominator. I wouldn't want to say it out loud, but that something like that might be happening. No, okay. Something like that might be happening. Some not from Holly, but uh, I know something. Anyway, Almost. we'll go over that when it happens. <laughs> but it's it's far along. It's already working in some cars. But anyway, hmm. um, that sounds but, butthole good. sensor will tie up an input. Just saying. Yeah, of course. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, keep going. So you're like fan. I guess it all depends because I have a bunch of cars where I think it's perfectly utilized. The four in and out is just enough to do everything you want, and that's fine. Uh, otherwise, it's just enough for a basic car if you're smart about it. Um, but that's the price point. Basic ECU for a basic car. And that's what I try and tell people. Like People get frustrated that the Terminator can't do a thousand different things. I'm like, well, that's why the Dominator exists. And if you break it down like dollar per input output, the Dominator is like a, it's an excellent choice. It's still very cost effective. It's just more expensive than a Terminator. Yeah. And that's what I think you've said it in videos. A lot of my friends all repeat this, but uh, someone will pay $50,000 for a short block and they don't want to spend a thousand on a trans and they yeah. will have everything in the world. They will have Davis box. They'll have a bump box. They'll have uh, AMS 1000. They'll have they'll have three grand in ancillary stuff and a dominator is too expensive. I like almost word for word went over that in that ECU video. It's all in house with a dominator. It's all logged. It's all the one house is doing everything. And I don't think people can 
uh, appreciate all that, especially from a tuner's perspective. It's one USB cable, and you plug in, connect to everything. You don't need sixteen different cables to sixteen different boxes, and trying to line this up and line that up, and yeah. But I think. Um, so what other I/O? Brent already listed his. He's ahead of us. We ramble too much. We should have Brent on. <laughs> He'll say I yes have, or I no. Fixed list that I use on everything. I, I, I don't really feel like thinking that hard, but I think the overlooked ones are coolant pressure sensors. I think are really important, um, and then like an accelerometer. Okay, if you're interesting. Drag race for drag racing. Yeah, yeah. I think I, then, I think coolant pressure is overlooked for if you're really pushing a, a SBE, you should have it. I recently started looking at them because I would always ask people for data, and they were wishy washy. I'm like, you you probably don't log it. Yeah, <laughs> and then what's interesting not to put like motion raceworks on the spot but they they made that rife sensor that does coolant pressure and temp in the head but what i've noticed is everybody using that has ekg like the head is too noisy and i've put yeah. it in the coolant pipe and it's beautifully smooth and repeatable and everything else because people when i built my 2500 people were like well you can't make that much power and have that much weight and stay in it for long and I did baselines on the unloaded dyno and I turned the power up and down. And then the one day I have it on video, I did five runs from zero to like a over 130 in a three quarter ton with 850 wheel as much as I could and zero coolant pressure difference from the unloaded dyno to the street with all high gear pulls in this 5,500 pound truck. So I'm like, that in my mind is scientifically accurate. So, <laughs> but yeah. Any, so yeah, you you said that's about it for your, that namely like normal stuff and coolant pressure is nice and accelerometer is nice for if you can add it. What's yours and Brent's? I'll see if it's any different than from oh, what I was. He did list, I mean, assuming he does a lot of Honda stuff, he says fans, boost, nitrous, VTEC, and variable cam. Okay, yeah. So variable cam and uh, VTEC All important to him. be pretty Honda specific. Yeah, but that makes uh, sense that he does a lot his wheelhouse. I don't do a lot of turbo and nitrous stuff. I do. <laughs> so, really? I like stacking them because it makes people nervous, and I don't I don't care. Yeah. That's what every now and then when I'm putting a car in the dyno, people are like, are you nervous? I'm like, no. Yeah. No, not at all. Nope. Uh, if it comes apart, it's coming apart. Uh, most That's... of the time, you're not doing anything specific. It comes apart. You can't worry about it. No way. You, you won't sleep. You just you'll you're like an air traffic controller. You get too worried about it, you can't go back in the building. Like you can't make it back to work. I, I've had that conversation with a lot of people. Like at this point, if an engine breaks on my watch, like it just was gonna come apart. Like I, I can confidently say that like I don't think that I'm the reason. So I had a car, it was right at a thousand, mega squirt car, and it pushed, well, we thought it pushed a head gasket. It just pushed out a coolant port or a freeze plug on the head. And like, is the first thing that I had had quote unquote break on me in a long time. And it was a friend's car. And I was like, ruined my life for like two days. I'm like, I should sell the dyno. Like, I'm <laughs> like what the hell is wrong with me? And I actually immediately figured out what the problem was. And I don't know if it's a software glitch or like what happened, but in the VE table, there's a portion of the fuel map that just had, you know, rather than a hundred and, you know, whatever percent, like there was just this random block of cells that was all zero. Hmm. And like, if you look at the log, right when it gets to zero, like it just immediately like push it and lift. But 
and even still, I'm like, obviously I didn't, there's no way that I intentionally put zeros in this table. And is it possible that I fat fingered it? You know, maybe, is it like something else, like a random thing happened maybe, but like, that was like the closest that I've come to, to blowing something up in a really long time. And like my buddy, like, he was just like, I don't care. Like he took it home. He lived 20 minutes away. Like 40 minutes later, he sends me a picture and the head's off. And the only reason the head's off, cause it's on my backside, he couldn't get to it. And then like an hour later, he sends me a picture and the car's running again. And he takes it to the racetrack and everything's fine. So I'm like, you know, <laughs> but like anything at that like, point. I oh. used to think like in this line of work, like if you blew like a car up, like if you broke an engine, like you're going to go out of business. Like that was my outlook on it for a really long time. Oh. Then I see these other shops that, you know, they can light up 17 motors a week and they still got 60 cars in line, like ready to get tuned. It's really weird how it all works. People are like, it, it happens. Uh, you know, I, yeah. So it's tough to say like, uh, you know, and then, uh, well, someone here said crankcase pressure and that's on my 2,500 since I did an integration. So the stock computer was doing a lot. It, it afforded me input. So I did do back pressure crank. I did a two bar map. Uh, I'm sponsored by low dollar motorsports for a lot of stuff. And I did crankcase pressure, back pressure and coolant pressure just to learn more about them. Yep. And, uh, exactly. You can see crankcase pressure, obviously like a ringland, or you can see coolant pressure, which is obviously a head gasket or something else mm -hmm. going on. Uh, this yeah. is nice if, if you throw a dash on a Terminator, at least you get a bunch of inputs and then you can start playing with all that type of stuff. And then people were here were saying the, the pro dash is a, is actually economical and affordable because you can do inputs in the pro dash and throw them to the Terminator. So yeah. it gives you inputs and it's a dash. So I think yeah. that's really underrated too. I push the dash on people, but it's one of those things that once I've had it, I can't unhave it. It's so nice. And then people are like buying $1,200 in gauges and they get a boost gauge and they run like a 20 pound boost gauge. And then now they're running 30 pounds and they're like, okay, I have to swap the boost gauge out and it doesn't match. And yep. they literally don't understand like, uh, uh, it's just, it's life changing. So I could, I mean, I, I've gone on about it before, but I guess I should say what my IO is, what I like to see. But uh, yeah, it says, I guess it depends on the car. If it's a street car versus a race car, I think if you have a trans brake, you should be doing the staging control unless you don't need it. Then you can eliminate a ton of wiring. But if people yeah. want to bump in, it's it's two inputs and one output. And then I like to run the fan on the ECU. One way to afford another output is to run like a German temp switch in the rad. And I know yep. Chris Ortiz does that a lot just to keep outputs. I like yeah. to do I always like to do electronic boost control. Uh, I always like to add a flex sensor anymore since we got E85 like five years ago and it's like yep. God's gift to tuning. Uh, I always say run the flex sensor because you can adjust everything from the flex, even a boost offset if you want. And then uh, if I can afford the inputs, I like to see when we're really slamming on a stock bottom end coolant. Uh, I've only recently looked at crankcase. I feel like if it's huffing like a train trying to start, you know. Yeah, you know. exactly. And then anymore, I never break a ringland on an LS. I used to do it all the time over ignition and crack a middle. Because in my opinion, if you overheat the ring, like if it's too lean or it's a combination of things, the ring will get hot and stick on like pump gas and it'll rip the top off. Not melted, but crack the top off. I think it gets stuck on the way down with the top ring. And if you, I used to put too much ignition in when I was learning on my own stuff and I would knock the middle ringlands. 
And I think that's from pre-ignition smacking it. And the top one has enough meat where the lower ones get cracked. At least that's my, you could mm-hmm. spit like the oil control ring into the, near the wrist pin. I'm like, yeah, that was way over time because nothing's <laughs> melted, but it, it's like someone took a hammer and hit it enough to crack the lower or the top. The top one I think is it was just running too hard on pump. Like it didn't, it was just overheating the cylinder and it got stuck. I don't know what your ideals are on that. Yeah. So actually the guy that commented earlier, Chris Wells, uh, I said is a local machinist. Like anytime we've had any questionable stuff, like I usually send him a bunch of pictures and, and kind of ask what's going on. But again, I've been extremely fortunate in like not tearing up that much stuff. So my, uh, looking at torn up stuff and figuring out like what happened. Like I, I just haven't had to do a lot of it. So I'm going to knock on wood and, and hope that we continue down that path. And then, uh, but when's Holly going to like eliminate having to use up 40 different advanced tables for their flex fuel stuff when they can just integrate it into like a, such a way more simple way of doing it. I've said the same. They need to make a config, add an yeah. entire config tab. And uh, I think they regret bringing me on as some sort of a partnership because when they released Terminator, I think they were like, he's just going to be happy to be here. Like a, like a dog when you let him in yeah. somewhere, like, oh, I just like to see people. And uh, they're like, you know, what, uh, what do you think? And I, I made those posts like, because the Dominator can do the map-based boost control. It has map reference. You can, you can do a map target. You're not mm-hmm. burning anything up and it's just, it's trying to target and you can do a base duty table, like all the intelligent stuff. And they took the budget ECU and put CO2 only on it. Yeah. And I'm like, that's race car stuff. It works amazing, but it's race car stuff. Yeah. The, and I, I would agree with that. They should have ditched the CO2 on the Terminator and made it just like a traditional, like manifold pressure based map target. Yeah. And then the other thing early on is I was like, they should have written a config that you can add to any of them for ethanol and then i I also i think it was another radio show yeah it was with jack all the mustang guys jack hunter and ryan blasser uh we were like what would you like to see added as like an advanced feature not bullshit stuff and they all wanted i wanted to say this too and i'm glad they brought it up before me uh, a health and safety uh, security tab yeah for sure safeties because that you can make a bunch of safeties but you don't know if they're going to work or if they're going to rip a head gasket because you're yanking ignition in and out or uh, like uh like the boost cut is harsh unless you have co2 set up where you can revert to wastegate you can't yeah. it's very difficult to do that with a custom like a 3d table and be like if it's this much boost at this at this uh pulled i've always thought of pulling dwell as a way to do a soft boost cut but i don't even know if that'll work without ripping something or whatever else but uh i'd love to see like a health and safety thing that uh, is very laid out. It's like, if oil pressure is this, if whatever, and stuff like that. I don't, and then also we've said is uh, to test outputs, like a test. Yeah, that's, Come on. That's huge. And I can't believe that that one doesn't exist. Uh, that would be extremely helpful. Yeah, all of that stuff would be incredible, especially the, the health should be first. And then the E85 one uh, yeah. is like, uh, I guess it should be test mode and health are like almost number one. And then I would love to, if it was open source and someone could just make it E85 config, it'd be incredible to just add the config instead of burning. I'm surprised that just the general public hasn't complained enough about not having E85 on the little like Game Boy thing. Cause it would literally could be as simple as an on and off switch. Like 
put three degrees of timing in it, obviously do your fuel offset. And, you know, because there's a lot of people that run like the snipers and the terminators that literally just go through the little Game Boy, make themselves a, a base file and then drive it like that for two years. Like, yeah, forever. You would think that those people would also like want to be able to run E85. Yeah, Brent just said, I've said this many times, programmer nerds need to talk to tuner nerds, so we speak the same. Yeah. Me and Brent had, like, an email conversation going on, was it last night or the night before, that, like, basically that was that was mentioned <laughs> in that. Is, a sit-down, yeah. a powwow, be like, this yeah. is what happens. Please make this not do this if, you, if it's not life-changing, please. People will be so happy, like, that's what I always say, like, if you... And I don't know why they wouldn't add it. And I don't know if it was like a miscommunication, but my rep at Holly's tried to set up like, and they're like, well, what do you want to see for like dome and map target? Cause I made a big stink about it. Like I went in the Terminator groups and I'm like, turn on map target turn. And I got people that didn't even know they wanted that were like uh, Simpsons <laughs> with the torches. And they're like, why did you do that? And I'm like, cause I want you to do it. Yeah. And exactly. then, uh, I think they contacted me and they're like, how do you want this to work? And I'm like, like you already have in the Dominator? Identical. And they're like, it was kind of like declining amount of replies since then. And I was like, just, why are you asking me? I don't know how to program that. Just make the Dominator set up in the turn. It's all the same software. Just make the drop down say dome target, please. Yeah, you would think from there and they'd be like, oh, cool. You actually want like an easy solution. Yeah, this will take just four minutes to do it. Move it's it not over. like you're asking them to rewrite like an entire like. It's not like I said the health or IO thing. Uh, I don't know why. I Maybe I don't. Someone needs to explain the logistics. Like I said, I, I'm, you know, I'm all open to learning something or getting declined. Uh, uh, that's fine. But at least just not don't do it at all and then not answer. But. Oh, Oh, here, this is a decent one. How capable is a DIY street tune compared to a real dyno time? That's, that's again, fully related to what you're going to do with the car. I mean, I know enough that I could do a street tune and go to the track and go uh, mid-nine. I've done it. Yeah. But That's because, like, we know what the numbers are going to be before we even get started. I'm like, you oh, know, 95% it... of the way, but... It, it comes down to your skill level. If it's your first time ever doing it, you might be out in left field. Yeah. I would say on average for the guys that I see that, you know, get some sort of like internet tune, you know, whatever way that is, not, not like a remote tune where someone's like actually tuning the car, but like maybe one of those deals where you like send your factory ECU and they give you a file and they mail it yeah, back. Yeah, like uh, there's a bunch of those places and I hear yeah, some so, of them are reputable. I don't have experience, so yeah. I can't say good or bad. I would say that the average gain on those deals is like a hundred wheel horsepower. Like it's crazy that some of those files are so far off. So, you know, if you build yourself a base map, that's really, really close, then this, you know, your street tune is going to be just fine. But if you're, you know, 15 degrees under time, then maybe he so can rich, it's misfiring. Reply. Than, like yeah, if he's he trying might... to learn how to do a street tune versus you tuning it, because, yeah, I've seen similar where people have, like I said, too much ignition, everything's garbage. Not No offense to them. They don't know, and they're trying. Uh, yeah, I can pick up leaps and bounds off of what they have. on. Like, I can look at something and be like, I'm going to look like a rock star today. Or yeah, I can yep. look at a bass tune and be like, I'm making a horsepower and looking like a jackass today. So I had a car come in a week or two ago, and like he had had a tune. And I actually knew the person that did it. And I'm like, well, this should be pretty reasonable. 
and I don't remember why he was here. Like maybe he changed something or, or whatever it was. But like I pulled the file out of ECU and I looked at it. And I'm like, I'm going to tell you like straight up, man. Like if you want to put it on the dyno, I got to charge you for it. But looking at what I see here, like I don't think we're going to pick up much of anything. He did good. <laughs> and like, yeah, he was like, I think he was so like, uh, like happy that I was like that honest with him that he was like, well, let's just go ahead and do it. If it doesn't pick up anything, like that's fine. But he, like at that point, he trusted you enough to not bullshit him and, you know, yeah, put it on. So, but yeah, let's, and again, like, I'm sure there's people out there that know the, the speed density, like the pound per hour, like fuel strategy better than I do. But like, if I look at the pound per hour stuff, I'm like, as opposed to looking at VE, like I can just look at VE and immediately be able to tell like, yep, this tune's pretty close or nope, this tune's out in left field, but it's easier. The, I think yeah. I don't have a problem with pounds an hour, but if a car is giving me grief, I straight up go back. I, I click convert to VE. And yeah. then if it's, if it's crazy. And like I said to you, like 50, 100, 200 yeah. interpolate and it runs way better. I'm like, okay, I changed the entire strategy and that other option to go hundred percent VE. And I start over because yeah, from there it's way easier but i usually just leave the predetermined pounds an hour unless the car is being a jackass yeah oh this is funny like uh, this is a decent question because people get funny answers and everything with this it says with a stock bottom end four eight or five three making 1100 wheel why don't we have six liters making 12 or 1400 and that's like an odd question because richard holdener has a four eight that made like 1400 so I don't know. This is, it's all speculative too. Like if someone has smaller turbine turbo, it's going to choke on a bigger motor. And then if you were four, eight, it's capable of a little bit more, uh, all that stuff. So that's funny. I'll just jump right into another one that has, is it possible to have too much wastegate, like two sixties on a twin turbo five, three. So I had a car come in, uh, oh, it's been here like multiple times. It makes, I don't remember, 15, 1600. And he had like crazy. Now it's a class like uh, turbo limited deal and just crazy back pressure. And like his thought process was like, if I go from like twin 44s to twin 60s, like, well, I'd be able to dump more exhaust and drop back pressure. And like my thought process was like, no, it doesn't work like that. And we put it on dyno. And of course it, it didn't. Um, but uh, I've I've definitely seen other a lot of people complain and say that like some of their problems is related to too much wastegate, but I've watched cars come in with twin sixties, three pound springs and make you know nine hundred wheel like on three pounds on like legit stuff. Like I've never seen a situation personally where too much wastegate's a problem. Yeah, I've never seen it. I've seen bad uh, priority. And, yeah, in a pro yeah. and not in appropriate spots. And uh, like the on three kit, unfortunately, you got to throw them under the bus a little because it's in a bad spot. And it's like a it's like a super small gate and it just does not get good priority and it's not enough flow. And. Uh, oh, this is uh, Brent. What uh, Brent says, I like VE, but I like millis. I think he's saying milliseconds. He says MS. So he must be really familiar with that with Honda. Oh, yeah. Raw pulse with like so like. It makes perfectly good sense there. And when you're looking at your data log, like you're looking at basically the pulse width. Um, so I see why people would like that. And like, I think like fuel techs like that, 
um, a lot of the older stuff before the whole like VE like model came about, uh, the, just raw pulse width was pretty popular. But then again, like the pulse width is going to change at the same horsepower level. The pulse width is going to be completely different with different size injectors. Yeah, if you're phasing or you have low speed pulse or a lot of different stuff like that. Here's a funny one. We were just mentioning this. Matt, I used your 8 for 8 tune and took 25% chop off the timing table and clicked off a 9.0 at 153. <laughs> That's funny. That's awesome. Uh, your biggest recommendations for additional I.O. on a standalone, buy a Dominator. Yeah. A question for Joe. I, I get that question a lot. Like, should I buy a Terminator or a Dominator? If you if you have if to you ask that to... question, you need a right. Dominator. That's exactly it. If you're worried about I.O., you're going to need more. And uh, it's not that, like you said, and I agree, it's not a lot of money to get. It's 96 inputs and outputs. I think it's 50-something of one and 40-something of the other. It's disgusting amount. Yeah. And then uh, here's a good one. I don't know much about Hondas either. Brent, Brent can answer this too. Let's ask Brent also. You can answer, and then Brent will answer with the delay. Uh, yeah. what's the most heat you have ever made on a stock sleeve K20A2? Uh, I haven't pushed a lot of stock ones. I know we had uh, a buddy of mine use my dyno and made like right at like 800, but this is also like 210 years ago and probably like a cast wheel turbo and, um, you know, how long it lasted wasn't very long. Yeah. But it's so, did. yeah. So that that's the thing, like, People don't take into consideration that an engine can make a whole lot of horsepower for one dyno run, but that doesn't mean it can make it all the way down. Repeatability. So, yeah, there's there's big, huge number, and there's so much BS with dyno numbers, and you know everybody has a record for everything nowadays. So, like yeah. when it just comes to like this one like big peak number, like I borderline like don't really care. That's why anymore. I did an entire video showing particularly because RPM pickups are garbage on DinoJet. And I was telling people are always like, I want to see the RPM graph. I want to see the RPM graph. And I'm like, I did an entire video on a giant turbo automatic LS car. Uh, it's like a decent converter is like 6,000. And it'll draw loop-de-loops and garbage. And the power yep. band looks like a, it looks artificial, like a perfect uh, exponential curve. And then at the... So I'm like, you're not understanding what's going on, and that's not an accurate representation of what's going on. So I do mile-an-hour plots. So if I have a car that, that comes up to 90 miles an hour and lays down 750 wheel all the way to 155, that's very desirable. <laughs> if it draws a pyramid, that's not desirable. So yeah. it's all about uh, how much power it's laying down on average over a mile-an-hour scale, and the RPM pickup is garbage and doesn't work most of the time. So uh, one leads to the less. other. The, I probably the last three years I owned my DynoJet. I don't even think I attempted to hook the RPM pickup up. It just it was complete waste of time. And then uh, this one's interesting. We'll go we'll go over this. What is your favorite part of tuning someone else's car? Uh, whether it's technical experience, uh, emotion, whatever. And what is your least favorite? Just like. Like, oh, I love helping people, or uh, this thing was difficult and I beat it, or I don't know. That's kind of it's kind of weird. I think we all uh, enjoy bending something to our will. 
making everything work how we want repeatedly, ha being happy with it, seeing the person happy and understanding what you created. You know, I think that's how I feel about it. In a weird roundabout way, like when the cars have problems, especially if they've maybe been to two or three other places and no one's been able to sort it out and you throw it on the dyno and you actually spend the time and you, and you figure it out and you fix it. That's the most rewarding. Um, the analogy I use on tuning is, I don't really like football, but it's kind of like you're the quarterback. Like if everything goes good, like even if you borderline didn't have anything to do with it, like you're the, you're the all-star. But when things go bad, even if you didn't really have anything to do with it, like you're the one that everyone wants to take a dump on. Like Ortiz said, does it, once you touch a car as a tuner, that's what like you and I were talking about. Some people you just turn away because you're like, this person's going to be a pain in the ass or the car's a basket case or both. You just, people are always funny. Like when you turn someone down, they're like, well, I have money. You're like, uh, it's going to cost me way more than the amount yeah. you're going to pay. So no thanks. Not all money is equal, that's for sure. And then, uh, could Joe get specific on idle tuning with a factory ECU? I mean, is that... You know more about the factory ECU stuff than I do. <laughs> it is, like I said earlier, especially a stock, like a stock HP tuners, like Chevy ECU. Yeah, it is. Part of it is very simple and part of it is not. And I am nowhere near an expert on it. I can fumble enough to make most cars work, but I am nowhere near. Like Ortiz is incredible with that stuff. Uh, he posts videos all the time of, or he sends them to me at least. He'll have a car that people were like untunable, not drivable, throttle body sucked, whatever. And then uh, he'll send me a video where he's like, dink, whoa, and it fires and calms down. He's like, seems fine to me. Like just like uh, stuff like that. So... What I've noticed with most of the factory ECU stuff is like it either it can have the world's biggest cam and throttle body in it. And it's like you put some numbers in it that you think are going to work and either it works or it's like totally out in left field. And it, you know that it's going to fight you for three days. Well, like I said to you, like I always use that example in my classes where three cars, same year, same everything, three totally different solutions. So it's you can that's why I would ask Chris stuff and he's kind of like I like what he does. He won't answer me he'll like suggest things and he'll hang me out for a while. He doesn't mm -hmm. want to just help me because what that's doing is the copy paste thing. Yeah, he, exactly. he wants me to understand why it's doing it and how to fix it. Cause nothing is going to be the same as that more than likely. So the Camaro that uh, I said that I, I posted a video of and it, I went from an import shop to a domestic shop overnight. It's like embarrassing to say, but it's like first time experience with HP tuners. The guy had completely unrealistic expectations of like how he thought it should idle. I sat there and flashed that car 4,000 times over the course of three days. I spent three days just playing with the idle. and uh, It's art. I, yeah. I, I, you know, a, a lot of that was like me, like, well, what's this do? Like, what happens if I do this? And, and then, like, I found, like, I got it to idle and run perfect sitting there, sitting still, or, like, even free revenue it would come back down. But then when you would drive it and go 40 miles an hour and Flush push in, it would in, die. now everything was different. I think in that case, it was the opposite. Like, it would, like, hang out at you know, oh. 2500 rpm rather than coming back down there's so. like a, there's so much stuff like rolling idle and idle uh there's airflow amounts and then the electronic throttle is completely different and then like you get into garbage ecus like an e40 is total garbage it was only in like a year or two of those middle cars that yep. everybody seems to own like trailblazer ss 
uh, stupid stuff like that. Trailblazer, like you don't pull the fuses for like radio and ABS and it bricks the ECU and stuff <laughs> that you don't learn until it does it, which is fantastic. Yep. Uh, yeah, awful yeah. things. Like people are, uh, people want to get into it, but I'm like, it is. It's it's harder than anything else, which I think is funny because uh, I've done so many systems and learned on my own. Like once you again, once you touch a holly car, you're like, it, it, it's this easy. Like you're. I have. A I was just about to say, like you throw a holly car in it and you watch the 20 minute long video that I posted on idle control, and now you know how it all works, and you don't have to, you don't have to spend three days trying to get a car to idle. Like yeah. it's. Just, it just makes so much more sense it a lot of things are just so much more complex than they need to be for that like the average everyday user like even like motec for example like you put like a complex ecu like that into a car like situationally it makes all the sense in the world but not everybody needs that not everybody's going to know how to control that and like i say all the time like open loop boost control works works significantly better than poorly set up closed loop boost control yeah. And I, I think a lot of that kind of goes like if you control is a really bad thing if you don't know how to use it. So like the simplicity of the Holly system, like you're able to get it to do what you want it to do, but you don't need an engineering degree to figure out how to do it. It's especially the CO2 stuff. Like all you need to know is like the rate limit, like PSI per second or whatever it is, and then how to have your solenoids wired correctly. And if you have Holly dome set up, you're like, I want 15 in the dome. It's like 15. Yeah, I had a car yep. the other day where like I didn't even change settings and it overshot by a pound and then held it rock solid and I changed the rate limiter and it overshot by like a quarter pound and held it and I was like this is ridiculous and yeah. then I've done videos where uh, to defeat the map target I wired the map I split the signal in as a dome pressure and then I copied the map sensor size. And then I showed people how to do that, and everyone has had trouble, like 90% of people struggle with it because it's uh, tuning a PID loop. And I get it, and I understand expectation. And then some people have a four port on a 15-pound wastegate spring and want to run 20. And I'm like, yep. you're not understanding all of the things against you at that point. That's like having uh, you know, a, a pistol to hunt polar bears in the winter. <laughs> like you're, you're in the winter with not enough clothes, and you have a pistol that's going to bounce off of a polar bear. You're you're going to struggle. <laughs> I encourage everybody like use a three port. Don't use a four port. I'm as anti four port as they come. Well, I do. I do cars where I run like a two pound spring and then the four port is good. Well, that's, that's a different ball game. Like if you want to run four times the spring pressure, then yeah, the four port makes more sense. But yeah. most guys, you know, like you said, they want to run a 10 pound spring and want to run 13 pounds yeah. max with a four port solenoid. And it's like even open loop, you go from, 38% duty cycle to 39% duty cycle and the boost goes up by six pounds and there's nothing you can do about it. You just and have to can, accept that range. Yeah. And you can play with the frequency all you want. And I just, just throw a three port on it. If you want to run like a small difference in boost. What I tell people now is I put shop air. I say, put in, take a, whatever wastegate spring you have that you can do this with, put it in. Yeah. And then I use shop air and I have a high resolution, low boost regulator. I use the same thing. And I just, I'm sure somewhere I probably have a handful of videos where like boost control is not working. It's like, all right, let's hook the air compressor up. And, and then if and, that doesn't work, you know, it's mechanical or whatever else. So it, it's yep. pretty easy at that point. But that's all uh, like I would say, like a bunch of skill because I do dumb stuff like people would think it's catastrophic. If I know a car is a ton of back pressure and the boost controller isn't working, I pull all the lines off and I'm like all back no, pressure. Yeah. Here we go. Because if it's garbage, yep. it's not going to 
you know, if it's making eight and we throw 100% at the top port through the solenoid and it makes 11, I'll pull the thing completely and it'll make 13. And then some of those cars are so awful and screwed up, I'll go top only. Oh, yeah. And then they, make, then they make 17. And I'm like, yeah, this is... And people are always like, you're unplugging the wastegate? I'm like, some of our cars, we would gate low and pull the reference so there was never any reference to lose. <laughs> it's all... Like, the turbine was too small, and we just would spring it so that no reference at all, the back pressure would push it open, and you were fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've done that on a bunch of cars where, like, they didn't have a boost controller or anything else, and I set it up with the the shop air on top which i'm surprised a lot of shops don't do that like they struggle with boost control and swap wastegates and everything oh no like, as soon as it starts being like a jerk you just slap smash you know, your... it yeah and if you yeah. put 30 on top and it makes three something's gone like it's very easy to just because i'll do that too like people see me like i'm like spinning the shit out of it i'm like i'm gonna hit it with 15 on the top because my expectation is that it's something's garbage and then they're like oh and i'm like well I want to make fun of you, but that's an experience. So uh, why? Yeah. why? I just like anything else. Like you get to the point, you're like, okay, this thing should have made 15 pounds. It made three. Like rather than making 96 more dyno runs, like let's just throw 40 pounds on it and confirm our suspicion that something mechanically is wrong. Yeah, jump And that way, way we're ahead. not going to waste everybody's time and money. That's and at why. the same time, like you have, you have to be able to use your head and know when to lift on the dyno. Like if the thing makes 350 horsepower, and then you do something like that, and it suddenly sounds like it's going to make 9,000 horsepower. Like, you lift. Let off. You like, lift. It doesn't mean you have to run it all the way to the rev limiter. No, yeah. And then I've done... Uh... Oh, man. I'm gone again, so we'll just ask a question. <laughs> <laughs> I have a thought, and it has disappeared. Oh, this is the guy Jess was asking about your neighbors. I'm going through all the pasted things I have here. Is there a hidden table in a PO1 OS that causes lean start idle? Does reducing base... I mean, yeah, PO1 and P59 is, again, like one of those art forms. And then one of the biggest things I see with people having issues, hot crews sitting in traffic, uh, hot start, is they have the IAT sensor. I used to do this too, and I recommend that nobody does this anymore. If you have an open loop speed density car and you have the IAT sensor in the intake, it's going to heat soak well above what it should. And when you go to start, it's going to be all screwed up. If you're in stop and go traffic, the, the thing will just go lean and lean and lean just because the IAT sensor is soaking. Uh, I mean, he might be talking about that hidden, hidden restart lean idle. I mean, there are fuel just for cranking in there. So yeah, kind of, but it's probably like something else, but yeah, you can change the amount of fuel for cranking uh, after start enrichment and stuff like that. It's not anywhere near as easy as a standalone to find. It's going to be convoluted tables, like we always say, different for every ECU. Oh, okay. IET is sensitive. Yep, because there's things in uh, HP tuners. This has been explained to me, so don't take it for gospel. But there are gas law tables that affect the fueling by iat which is holly you can change it a lot of standalones you can change it but the hp tuners doesn't allow you access or doesn't have the definition to the table for you to change the fueling amount based off of iat correction so if it's really hot and your air fuel sucks you kind of have to live with it you can't change the amount of fueling based off of
Termex bull. Oh, someone had made a comment. This was pretty good about spooling a turbo, uh, like boost build tables and advanced stuff. And I think I have a different aspect on that. If you have a car that you have to get completely nuts, if you're a novice and you have a car that like you need to put it on the trans brake and retard a lot of timing, a lot of times people do more harm than good, in my opinion, uh, like when they're trying to do boost build stuff. If you have appropriate converter and turbo and hot side, it should work. Uh, I do that to a lot of people have like crazy stuff set up and I turn it all off and just put the car in the brake and it builds boost. No problem. And uh, people do stuff. Some people do need assistance. I don't, Joe can answer this for like boost building. Do you have a trans brake? Are you foot braking? A lot of people don't have simply enough converter and their hot side's garbage. Uh, and they just, they, they're foot braking a car at 3,000 that makes boost at 5,000. And they, they're like, it won't leave and stuff. Uh, you need to, if it's a street car and you have a giant converter, you might not like it. And there's a whole list there. And that's why you need to be honest with your expectation and your converter guy and everything else. So Yeah, the Fairmount over here that I'm going to do first of the week, it's got big twins on it and it struggles to build boost. I think what I'm going to do on that one is actually convert. Um, last time I was here, we, we switched from V4 to V5. I think I'm going to switch from V5 to V6 and then try and play with some of their new like uh, rev limit tables and some of the stuff that they have and probably spend way entirely more time than I should, like just tinkering and figuring out how it all works. But uh, yeah, that one, I don't know. Maybe uh, I can chime back in on that one after we, we get that one sorted out, but it's relative. I have some friends with like twin 80s or 84s and some of them have to do it and some of them don't. I think it's all dependent. Yeah. Uh, and it's like a, it's a little bit of a double-edged sword because some of them need RPM in order for it to work, but you give it RPM and then it just wants to, you know, knock the tires off of it. And, you know, then you got to pull 60 degrees of timing out of it. And, you know, so yeah, you, you like get it to spool up and now you got to play with it. Forty yeah. other things to get it to, to actually make it down the track. So it gets very difficult at some point to for that power management and not slowing down the turbo and not bogging the engine and not burning the yeah. tire. And that's a whole we could maybe even do an entire I could have a bunch of people that know how to do that because you want to have the engine enough to not bog and you want to have enough engine to light the turbo, but you don't wanna spin the tire. But if you go lower, you slow down the turbo and it takes more time to recover. Yeah. And then, yeah, that's where the high RPM, higher boost than you would expect, but it, uh, yank 16 or 8 out of it. And, and then uh, throw a, a track condition that changes into the mix. And yeah. everything that worked on Thursday doesn't work on Friday. And Yeah, yeah that's, that's where the experience and all of the mm -hmm. ridiculous stuff comes from. But not, again, like most of the time, uh, people don't get a big enough converter. Or in my opinion, the, com the converter is not right for the combo or you specified a street car, so they made it tight because they were worried you would complain about how loose it is. And I think other people don't have a good expectation of like what a... Because people go, what stall? What stall? Yeah. And it's like it's a moving target because how much does the car make on motor and then how much horsepower does it have to grab up top? Because what they're not understanding is a turbo car, say a turbo LS car, is 300 horsepower down low, and then all of a sudden it needs to hold 750, 900 so the places where it couples are totally different and uh you know yeah i think if i had to like if you're like tomorrow like all right you need to pick something in this industry that's totally different than what you do right now and you need to become an expert at it i think torque converters would be like at the upper end of that list because 
it's like it seems like well we extremely did a, complex we did a four-hour show with ryan jans who does torque converter stuff so if people want to know I, I they should just watch that it. yeah i'm about 15 minutes into that one i haven't checked it out yet but it's like i've dealt with some of these people and it's almost like the torque converter guy can be like the weather guy and you can be completely wrong and it's just like completely accepted as to where like you know they're like send it back and we'll loosen it or tighten it or we'll change this out the other and it's like almost expected that it might take a few tries to get it right as to where like if you send somebody like a base calibration and it doesn't start their car the first revolution that the engine spins over it's like you know people yeah. are all like upset and grumpy with you it's weird that expectation how they swing around this is a i'll just answer this one because i see it uh he's asking me he says hey matt with the colorado build how much did you have to hammer the trans tunnel to fit a 480e uh not at all the ls and it's a truck the ls and 80e went into that thing like you could throw it across the room and put it in uh yeah i mean it's a truck so it took an 80e like a champ there was literally nothing i had to do and i could reach i could be underneath it and reach around like this and touch the top of the trans and move wiring and take the bolts in and out by hand there's literally a truck amount of room under there not to be a jackass but i am oh yeah people talk about the calvin's talking about like dump valve but that's a fairly complex thing normal people that are foot breaking a car aren't going to spend the money and don't need to be don't need to be bothered with dumping all the fluid out of their converter to make it up and then because then they even like have twin dump cars right where you have multiple stages it's almost like lockup where you have a super tight converter and you dump both and then you halfway through the run you but then they don't understand the strategies of people that are doing that are running fours in the eighth yeah or the no prep guys that are you know racing on drag strip backwards from the the shutdown area i think those guys are getting pretty big into the dual dump stuff because they're just trying to run zero converter pressure to get it to actually accelerate rather than flip over and kill everybody yeah i have i love seeing <laughs> i love seeing the oh my god he wrecked into the woods posts for all the people like that do the street outlaws bullshit i'm like oh my god how would that ever happen how oh it's once a week shut the fuck up guys stop it <laughs> That's like people that eat McDonald's every day and then they're huge. Oh, man. You see that? That guy ate McDonald's and had a heart attack. Oh, no. Uh, it's a direct line to that road. <laughs> All right. What? Uh, I so I haven't looked at my phone this whole time. Somebody just reminded me that we're supposed to give away some free stuff. Oh, I yeah. I, I almost want to do... We could tell people. Like I said to you, I almost want to do a separate giveaway. Or you can just... It's up to you. You can say now, but then we have to give people a way to enter, right? Yeah, that's that's what I'm. I'm not real sure on how we should do that, but almost. Uh, let's ask the chat, yeah, <laughs> and say because people complain every way I do this. Uh, we can do a video for you and be like, we're gonna give away. So comment in the YouTube video, and then we can use a thing. I've used both. It'll scrub the comments and look for duplicates. I, it's, I think people like the YouTube because they're like, I don't have Facebook. I hate it. But yeah. trying to reach right out so. and message somebody on YouTube is so difficult. And then make sure it's that person. And then you're like, I have to give them my email. And everyone's like, yeah, it was me. Like, it gets really difficult. Whereas if we make a Facebook post and then we pick a winner, I click on their name. 
and it takes yeah. me to their messenger and I'm like, hey, you won. So I like doing them on Facebook, but people on YouTube get mad. But so what do you, what do you want to do? Or we'll ask, uh, we're going to ask people like Facebook or says throw a dart, flip a coin, <laughs> give away weed. That's one way so to why do don't it. you why don't you explain what you're gonna you want to give away, and then we'll figure out a way to do it by the end of this. All right, so we're gonna give away. Um, we have both T4 and T6 configurations of our. Actually, let me grab one real quick. He has fab stuff that he's gonna give away. Basically, I'll ruin it for him. <laughs> so we have. I guess if uh, you're on YouTube, you can probably see this, but our. T4 or T6, whichever one you want, our collector merd flange things. Um, and then our elbow cutting jigs, which kind of has been what's put sequence on the map. Um, so we have a few different sizes on those, either for like the pipe manifold guys, uh, two to three inch. So two, two and a half and three. And then we have a three and a half, four and five inch elbow jig uh, for like cutting uh, elbows like in a bandsaw and it, it holds them and you can duplicate cuts. Someone and... literally just asked that about a sequence tube cutting jig. <laughs> yeah, that like I say, that that's the hot the hot item. Uh, I don't really if you go to uh sequencemanufacturing.com you can you can see all the stuff. So basically we have, you know, your choice of whichever size uh flange turbo flange collector, whichever size elbow jig you might want. And then the the third winner will get a two hundred and fifty dollar uh, kind of gift card or whatever you want to call it for Stainless Bros. Um, awesome. So their whole lineup of flanges and stainless, and uh, they actually just recently released a line of three twenty one stainless, which is pretty awesome for you know hot side piping. Um, they mufflers. They're actually they just came out with a line of oval mufflers that are really nice. Hmm. Uh, by far my favorite mufflers out there right now. Um, so they have flex joints and, you know, basically anything that you would want to build, you know, anything that you need on a car in stainless, they have all of that. I so, got to say hi to Troy Baum, race wires. <laughs> he said hello to me, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that's awesome. So people are, most of the people they're going back and forth. I'm going to have to like, look, like I said, someone's like, I don't care. It's free stuff. They're like, I prefer YouTube, but I can't argue about free stuff. Yeah. So I, like I said, it's way easier to choose a winner on, uh, I almost have to, like when someone wins on YouTube, like reply to them and be like, Hey, are you there? And then like, sh give me your email and then I'll delete it as soon as I get it. Like you almost have to get like an instant interaction with people because YouTube, uh, yeah. they have like a community thing and a messaging thing, but good luck finding it. Like it's so <laughs> difficult. It's so difficult. But, uh, so yeah, we'll figure it out then, but we'll let people know that, and that's cool. There's going to be three uh, prizes. Normally we do one. We give away something. So it's neat that there's going to be tiers. And that $250 yeah, gift card is pretty incredible for something yeah. to give away. All of the other ones are, I mean, pretty similar in price. So, uh, yeah, so it's, what, seven dollars $800 worth of stuff. So yeah, should be pretty cool. Oh, this is a... Joe, I've watched a ton of your stuff, and I really like how you explain things and aren't afraid to say something's trash when it is. My question is why you fuckers all have to be so far away from the Midwest. No real questions. Keep up the content. So I just wanted to throw that out there. No questions. Just like what you do. And then, uh, uh, 
What's the best way to approach a dyno shop to ask if they would rent you dyno time so you can attempt to tune on your own bucket of bolts? If they go to my website and click on the section that says <laughs> rent my dyno. Uh, I mean, uh, yeah, no, I, so that's, what's funny. Like I kind of have a weird personality, I guess. And I'm able to get along with a lot of different people, maybe even people that like other people don't get along with. And like, it's, it's kind of funny watching people like beat around the bush, like trying to ask about renting dyno time. Cause so many tuners are like kind of cocky, like know it all. Like there's just like a lot of like guys like that. And it's yeah, like, you have to rent their dyno and they like basically want to like fist fight you. Huh. And so like, I'll see guys like beating around the bush, like trying to ask about like, can I rent your dyno? And you can tell they're all like hesitant and like, don't want to ask. And they're like, when's a good time. I'm like, I would rent my dyno at 365 days a year. So if you want to rent my dyno, just simply say, Hey, I want to rent your dyno and then we'll make you an appointment and you can use it for as long as you want. So if you're rent watching like, or like trying to rent from not me and another dyno shop, just pick one where whoever's using or operating the dyno doesn't seem like just, they have this massive ego where they're going to take offense to it. But. I think it's a pretty easy question. Like, do you yeah. rent your dyno? And they're going to say yes or no. I don't think it's an approach or it's not like uh, uh, an animal or something where you have to like, it has to smell your hand or it bites you. Like if you just ask, it shouldn't be that difficult. And if they're weird, uh, you probably don't want to deal with them. That's a like a, a seriously like fair question though, because I've had guys like finally break down and like ask me to rent it. And when I say yes, like they'll like just go off for like 30 minutes on like the experiences that they've had trying to rent other shops dinos. And it's so weird to me. Like, why wouldn't you want to rent your dino out? Like it doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Th this is funny. Like, uh, my buddy squirrel tuned here says every tuner is the best tuner ever and all others suck. Well, most are that <laughs> way. And we touched on that where like, if you have to talk down about people, think about that guys, if you're listening to somebody, talk down on people to sell you their business. So uh, like your achievements should speak for themselves or you should, or you should be in a situation like Joe is where if someone's a pain in the ass, you're like, I don't really want to deal with you. Like they don't have to, cause a lot of that's going around where people are making a dollar to sell you something on the internet and they're just not doing each other any favors and uh, rushing to the bottom. Cause that's what people say about this industry is everyone's on a race to the bottom. And you got to consider what you're getting out of that. Again, like uh, Devin and you and other people, and I know all my shop owner friends are like, you're buying support and you're buying something known as working and paying for all of that too. One of the big problems with tuning is like, if you throw up a 3,500 horsepower dyno chart, like everyone thinks you're great, but you can't really measure the important stuff. Like how well does the car cold start? How well does it idle? Like when you come to a red light, do you have to, does the car shut off? Like, does it cruise well? Yeah. Like all of the stuff that really matters for 95% of the cars, is not like a measurable thing. It's not a plot. Yeah. Like, so it, it's, you know, it's really difficult. And it's easy for like, you know, somebody to post up all these big, horsepower numbers and like everyone thinks they're great but the cars run like garbage outside of that peak number so like definitely pay attention to that stuff because it's it's a car that makes a whole bunch of horsepower isn't enjoyable if it shuts off every time you try and drive it or doesn't start 
Yeah, exactly. This is funny. Chris Ortiz goes, I love renting out the dyno. Make money pushing a button and watch people either know what they're doing or have absolutely no clue. It's <laughs> yeah. refreshing either way, I guess. And then, uh, can I rent your dyno? The next question is, do you have floor dry? That's a good one. <laughs> Making power is the easy part. Yeah, that's what Chris says. Yep. Aside from all the I.O. and ease of use with the Holly, any advantage to using a Hall Tech or Fuel Tech with tuning and configurability with power management? I think you went over a lot of that, maybe not entirely on your ECU build. Can't remember. Yeah, they're they're all they scalable. sort of all do the same thing. Like I Hall Hall Tech might have the most like base I.O. Like, like the most tables to do different things, but I think Holly and FuelTech have both. Their target market has been like kind of like the do-it-yourselfer, like the entry level, like rather than you having to set up like your own PID loops. Like we're going to give you something to start with, uh, you know that type of stuff. Like I think between all three of those, whichever one you're more comfortable with. That's what is, I say to people too. Download yeah. the software and look through it, like. Yeah. Uh, when people, because uh, I'm an IT guy, they're like, what laptop should I buy? I'm like, I don't know. I don't sell laptops. Uh, <laughs> I have extremely expensive ThinkPads that I get through work, and they're incredible. But you probably aren't going to spend $2,400 on a ThinkPad to HP Tune, and I don't think you should. <laughs> have you noticed that, like, what's, like, how confused people get when they ask you a question and, like, kind of want to, like, buy something? And you're just basically like, yeah, I don't sell it. Like, I'll help you choose something. Yeah. And they're like. They don't understand, like, wait, you mean you're not going to try and, like, sell me something? Because everybody like, no. pushes a product, then I don't care. Uh, That's exactly where I'm at. Like, the a lot of times, like, the hassle to make $1.99 on a $1,000 item and potentially risking, a, you know, a charge back on a stolen credit card is just, like, not worth it. I'd much rather, like... That's the other thing that I found, like, really helpful with this YouTube stuff is, like, people ask me a question through email three months later... And like I send them just a link to this 15 minute video and then they reply back like, holy shit, like that's more information than like I ever could have gotten through an email. And like, you know, you just told me there's 15 options. You told me like why you would choose one of those 15 options. But then at the end of it, you didn't try and sell it to me. Like, like, I guess like they feel like they can trust you way more when they don't feel like you're just trying to take their money. Yeah, I think that's why people like coming to me, even though I don't have a shop, I'm not an expert, and I don't say I am, but they like the honesty, because mm -hmm. I'll just tell them. I'll, they'll ask me a question, I'll be like, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> and that, like Chris Ortiz just said, who's tuning it and what do they prefer? Because if you're going to pay somebody to tune something, like if they're going to pay you to tune something you don't touch, it's going to take long. You might be like, I, you have paid for a four-hour block, and I have... Uh, run out of that and I'm not where yep. you want to be so you can't be mad at me for trying something that I don't know enough to stumble through that's part of the expectation so again people should understand that also like I said I have friends who don't sell certain things and I don't hold it against them I might jab at them but obviously a lot of them are successful what what do I have to say about that so yeah. uh, they're like I use these and I use these and I use these and that's what I know works, and that's what you're going to use. Otherwise, uh, the time limit and cost is going to be greater than what I estimate for you. The reality of that is, like, if you're not going to tune it or play with it yourself, 
it doesn't matter what ECU you want. What matters is what ECU does the person that's going to actually tune it and use it, what do they want you to use? And then just use that. This, uh, I mean, this is a good question, but I also say like people every now and then ask me about boost control and I have a video that's like, <laughs> I forget how long it is, but I go over everything like soup to nuts, like using uh, mechanical, like moving the ports or poking bleeds in it uh, straight to like fall and spring or bleeds. And then it goes into electronic and then it goes into CO2. And then, so people might not know that, but I have, uh, I have that video and a lot of people are like, wow, it all makes sense now. If you, if you have questions about that, you can watch that because Andrew here says, can either of you guys do an in-depth video on boost control and PID loop control and your methods towards getting stable closed loop? Like you and I have said, most people, like, that's why I made that video and I almost regret it. Because PID loops are like an experience thing, in my opinion. It's hard. You can read, I think Megasquirt even has a good guide, and there's people that made YouTube videos where they show like a spinning thing, and they're like, this is, per he has dials, and it's P, I, and D. And there's a target, like a weight that swings around. And P, that video is really, really good. I, I know I, exactly what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, he shows it. And it, dude, when you see that thing swinging, it makes sense. Because uh, once you've used PID and you see what happens, you know exactly what to change. And I'll like ham fist stuff back and forth. And then when it gets close, I know what to do. And then if I want more ramp, I slam proportional at it. Or I yank uh, integral. Like if it's waving close, you throw yep. a little bit of D at it, whatever. So very simply, proportional is the uh, the rate of change. Like the, the ham fist. Like the... And then... The integral is trying to loop it in, and then D is what fix. It's going to wave no matter what with just integral, and then you need the D to flat. It's always going to move because it's a feedback loop. So it makes it kind of difficult. I think everybody should. When I have people on the dyno and they have stuff all, I just I make an output that says dyno boost, and I make a custom. It's on a bunch of my tunes if you download it, and I just raw duty a car because it has to create a flat boost curve before you can do targeting. And then people... Yeah, a lot of the different systems will have like a feed forward table. So it's like if you were to turn all the closed loop off, you have like a table with fixed duty cycle. Yep. And that's what it kind of uses as a baseline. And then from there, you'll use your PID to, to smooth it all out. And they but... have that on the Dominator, the map-based target. And it has a base table. And then it has sensitivity. I think it has a simple, like fast, slow, whatever. And then it mm -hmm. has, you can click and turn on a PID loop to get crazy with it but they don't every dominator i've ever done has had co2 i've never used the the map base but oh. it's what the terminator needs yeah because my buddy cameron we use that map based target on the dominator and it's always worked great the only thing you're limited to there is people don't realize the co2 can get your boost up way faster because it's not it's not a catalyst you're not making boost yeah. to add boost you're like 50 pounds on the top and it doesn't know what else to do but slam shut so Oh, I watched your boost control videos. This is much more about how you work towards stable. Yeah, watch that video about, you can search. They can explain it way better than I can, but literally it's it's course adjustment, fine adjustment, and then loop control at the end, P, I, and D. So like if it's overshooting, you would yank P out of it. And if it's undershooting, you would add P to it. And then it's going to oscillate with, you would zero out D at the end and get integral to level out but it's still going to move and then d will you know that whole thing anyway the other nice part about co2 boost control is you can set up all the pid with the car off you just 
sit there and you know just watch just it whack the target yeah yeah use the co2 so that's way easier to set up i see like so i run in somebody my dyno to somebody that does specializes in link ecus a few weeks ago and uh watching him go through the software uh it was like a remote deal and i was operating the car so the laptop was in there as i was watching what he was doing we were talking a little bit and you could tell he knew the software really really well and he was jamming through it and he did everything open loop and then he switched over to closed loop and like 25 dyno runs later like the the boost control was just still all over the place and i try and keep my mouth shut like with the dyno rental stuff but like it, it got it was like 25 degrees outside it was late i'm like kind of like wanting to go home i'm like dude like just turn everything like it would ramp up overshoot come down and then just like do this i'm like dude like everything is like try these numbers like and then like he he moved like one of the values like half of the way that i suggested and like i think it maybe it didn't come up to the boost enough like maybe it didn't have enough p-term so it like didn't come up fast enough so then he just put everything back to the way that it was and like we made another 15 runs so like the i think the key to the to close the boost control, especially if you're like, you're not real sure is just like, if the software that you're using has the ability to set like a minimum and a maximum, like, especially on the I term, like make those numbers really small, like only allow it to add or subtract 5% duty cycle. Cause if you're allowing it to add or subtract 30% duty yeah, cycle, it's gonna boost dance is going to wave over. like crazy. And but then, then like, if you set it up to your minimum and max is five and then you just watch it peg five, like it obviously was going to go way further. So at that point, like, you know, like your, your numbers are out in left field. And what frustrating part about all these different ECUs is the concept of PID is the same on all of them, but like the actual table, how, value they, number, how they utilize be, the PID yeah, curve. Yeah. They'll be like way different. Like, you know, one ECU, you might have, you know, 13 for your number. And then the next one, it might be like 0.4. So like getting familiar with like the numbers that the ECU wants to use can be kind of frustrating. And then he was saying, uh, uh, he says, when you say D, are you talking one, two, five, or 10, or 20, or 30? So, like you said, it depends on the computer, but yeah, I can. Depends on PCU. I, I throw base numbers at a certain combo, like I'll go uh, 50, 25, and 5, and see what it does on a lot of stuff, like boost control or whatever else. And then on a lot of other cars, you'll, you'll zero out i and d and you'll just all throw uh, proportional like 25 at it and what's going to happen is you're targeting 10 pounds that is a two pound spring and you type in a number for proportional it's going to start chasing the target and if it's going slow as hell i'll throw 75 at it and if it gets closer to the target you're going to see that wave and then uh if it's overshooting uh for when you're tuning it i bring in enough proportional so that it's getting close to the boost and then I try to line out the eye to get it to level and then I'll throw proportional at it. Depends on the car. Some people want it to overshoot so it comes up on boost faster, but then other cars struggle with that. So it's all, you want it to get to the target with proportional and then fade in all the other numbers. Yeah. If you don't get crazy aggressive with the, the P, you can, you can almost zero out the D, but if you get real aggressive on the P side of it, then you'll need to tame it down with some D. Yeah, I guess that's a good way to explain it too, is if you're making it aggressive, you're fucking with the other numbers. Yeah. I think of it as the P being like the ramp two, and then the D being the brakes. Yep. So like, if you're going to floor it towards a red light, 
like you're going to need to hit the brakes really hard once you get close to that red light. All so the numbers start getting bigger. through the intersection. Yeah, so it's if, if you raise P, you're usually raising D. And then I kind of treat I like it's, it's a, like P and D are kind of together. And then I is like sort of its its own thing. And like if you're dealing with the waviness, like that's almost always just going to be in the I term. Hmm. But I, yeah, I, the, and then especially if the ECU has a, a, a feed forward table, like if it takes 55% duty cycle to make 20 pounds, but you have 50%, like your closed loop is going to have to make up for 5% before it even like has the chance to do anything. So if you have a feed forward table, the closer you get that, then the less work the the closed loop's going to have to do. Just like a, a fuel table. Yeah. You know, if That's your what V people table's dialed be... in properly, like your closed loop's going to be real small. People might not be getting that. So like I'll lay that out quick. So on like a standard map target boost control, say you make 10 pounds base and at 60% you make 26 pounds. So you have a base duty cycle table. So you know... You do the raw output and you know 60% makes this and 25% makes 13 pounds and 50% makes 18 pounds. So once you lay out that table, it knows if you're asking for 16 to reference the 50% to hit 16. And then the correction is just hitting that target. So say your car at higher RPM drops two pounds, it's going to fix that. So you're always running the target you want. So again with the fuel table being close it doesn't have to correct as much but if your base duty table is awful it's going to swing all over the place because you're going to have to give it authority like you said to add 50 percent but sometimes you don't get that like you don't get it with the terminator so i always run a raw output anymore because it's the easiest way to define exactly what you want because then some people are like well i want this on the break but then i want this up top and i'm like just do an rpm plot and on the break down here is 25% and up here it's 75%. Uh, it's very easy. Just a simple open loop duty cycle based boost control works extremely good. Far very better. Repeatable. A, yeah. Yeah. Far better than a closed loop control system that isn't set up properly. Like the different, and you can even do like temperature based offsets, like as to where the closed loop would absorb it. If you know the temperature drops 30 pounds and the boost goes up two PSI, the closed loop will take care of it. But if you're doing open loop and you you log it and you see that the boost goes up two psi, once summer that winter. Changes, if you absolutely yeah. need two pounds worth of control, you can do it. Yeah, you can just do another offset table. So there's there's multiple ways to do it. Closed loop boost control is probably one of the things that people struggle with the most when it comes. It's to... It's difficult, and that's why I made that video. And everyone's like, I can't get it to work, and I'm like, Why did I do this? <laughs> I provided like a solution that made people. So I was going to ask this one before it scrolled up on me twice, but he says, uh, why would a tuner take on a job that they're unsure of and then not provide the customer with a good product they're paying for? And sometimes people are pushy as hell and don't care until they get a bad result. Yeah. That's probably like directed completely towards that last like nitrous car video I did. So that situation, the guy called, I could tell from the phone call that it had kind of trouble written all over it. And I was like, I don't want to fix it, but here's what needs, here's what you need to do before you bring it. Homework, then I it, call it. Yeah. So then it showed up on a trailer. I looked at it. I said, no, like this, you didn't do anything. So then it went to another shop and then come three or four conversations with them explaining it to it. Then it showed up again. It's here for four minutes. I was like, nope, still not right. 
And then it came back again. And I'm like, okay, this still isn't right. And then it's just kind of like people get frustrated. And I, I'm not sure if they just think that it's good enough that it's going to work and you're just being anal about the way that it looks or if they're just so sick of it that they think that you'll fix it. But it's one of those two things. But ultimately, it gets to a point where people, they just don't care anymore. They just want you to just, here, make it work. Like, That's I'm what tired I said to him. It. People are, uh, you know, at some point they don't care. Or they have yeah. to see it fail to listen to you finally. That's that's the key right they there. They have to see it fail. So with that car, it got it, it, they needed to see it fail in order to accept that something was wrong. And if I'm completely honest, I didn't think that car was going to make it on the dyno. I honestly thought, like, the way everything looked, that I was going to sit here, I was going to throw a file in it. Like, it wouldn't idle. It wouldn't, you know, run right. Like, it was just going to be like, okay, like, here, you see what I mean? Like, it's not ready. But then it actually ran pretty good. And then I was like, all right, we'll put it on the dyno and like, we'll make a couple pulls on See motor. And it it's, Keep nudging it's it. gonna, it's gonna miss by, it's gonna do this, that, the other. And then like, it ran pretty good. And then like, I pulled the nitrous bottle out of the back of it. And I'm like, Oh my God, like we can't use this. And then I like called the dude that did all the work on the car. He didn't see, he honest to God, like didn't understand what I was referring to. And I'm like, Hey, this isn't right. So then like, I kind of overrode him who was like the guy that I was supposed to contact throughout all of it. And I called the owner of the car and he was even more so like, just, yeah, just everything's good, man. Just go for it. So like, I tried my hardest to be like, are you sure you guys want to do this? But like, they just, they just needed to see it all like happen before they were to take care of anything. And that one broke the rear, which I think was probably like the best possible outcome for, you know, given the situation. <laughs> yeah. Before and he burned he did, himself down. Yeah. And they picked that car up as happy as can be like, happy as can be and you know i told him straight up like all right here's you like you lived through this but you have and like at that point they're there and you could point it out and you can be very specific you have to show them it not working yeah. some of the and it, it'll come back that car will come back and it'll be exactly the same it'll have a different rear in it but all the rest of it will be exactly the same and then some people uh they just need to be helped along with that and then they will fix it other people don't care other people are going to trash you and go to another shop whatever uh it all comes know. back to that like being a psychologist thing that i had mentioned earlier like to just people different people are going to do different things and it's very easy for like somebody watching a video to be like oh man this car sucks why would you ever do that and then there's you know 80 other people that are like hey this car looks just like mine a lot of them are a disaster mine. and they need to see it so they're more prepared when they bring it and that's mm -hmm. what people don't want to show but other people are dealing with it but they don't want to uh get the backlash of that or whatever else who knows uh yeah. where was again another... like, my whole thing with like making a lot of these videos is people see the problems and they correct their cars like from watching the video so it's yeah, like, like i said I, I make i make fun of enough people that they yeah. know it it's like honestly like helping people out <laughs> and then this is a good one because i feel the same in the camaro video you mentioned the car at a wet kit and you mentioned how you would rather do a dry progressive can you say why drive over dry over wet? I'm sure it's exactly what I would say. So go ahead. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of like a carbureted versus fuel injected. It's like just the dry shots, like old school way of doing it. And then the wet kit, like you have fuel injectors and you can precisely control everything that you want. And then on the progressive side of it, it's basically like having a boost controller for your nitrous. Yeah. Uh, so you can, you know, 
get it to leave nice and soft and then progressively bring it in. Yeah, I would say like, uh, man, like a Holly nitrous, like the Terminator nitrous stuff is life changing. So people realize that. And then all of these modern cars are have a intake manifold that's designed to flow dry. It flows air and then you inject. So if you put wet kit on it, people always blow their intake off. You want to know how? They puddled fuel. You can't puddle nitrous in the intake. So a lot of it's more effective. And then, yeah, when you have, uh, I did a car recently that had a thousand CC injectors and it made like 440 on motor on ethanol and you was using none of the injector, but then we sprayed it dry with a bunch of power. But then like you said, you can run a plate that's like a 500 shot and you can bring that down to 200 and you can just change the tune, not change any jets. You can progressively launch on 200 and walk it up with one single jet to 500. You could even have a dial, like I said, an AEM dial that affects the entire overall horsepower and another dial that does the ramp. You can be in the <laughs> staging lane and change it both. Whereas if you have a wet kit and your bottle sucks, you're, you, you're screwed. Or if you want yep. to change your jet, so like, yeah, you can even change the target air fuel ratio and ramp an amount of ignition in over RPM. That's something Chris Ortiz taught me. I got a shout out to him, but because uh, nitrous cars have a shelf of power, like a stick shift car, it's like up and then it's literally a, a wall. And that does, that gives you a hell for traction and on your rod bearings, it's just beating the shit out of the motor. And uh, if you have like a, a bunch of nitrous cars I've tuned recently, I have like a really smooth uh rpm curve almost like a blower or a turbo car and that's all associated with bringing it in nicely and if you're on a roller dyno and you just blow the tires off the second you hit it with nitrous so like with the progressive kit you can get it to hook up and work on a dyno if you're ramping in a little bit slower yep and then there's cheap ways to do dry i did nitrous rental car video in 06 when i first started the youtube and we were blow you can blow into the math on a lot of those cars and even on some of them uh, you can set up the math curve if you can tune it to have more fuel in the extended part of the math and all sorts of other stuff. But that we actually had the sniffer on the wide band on the dyno and we hit it and it would go 18 and then walk <laughs> back down. And we sprayed like six bottles through it, took it to the track, raced it, cut four seconds off the quarter mile time. Like, and people ask like, uh, once you've done a lot of high horsepower stuff, Matt, like low power stuff might not be fun. I'm like, no, it is still fun to have a, a 150 horsepower V8 rear wheel drive and spray it with like 225 and it just eats it all day. Like, yeah. That's that... what I said earlier in the video. Like if you take a car that's a turd and you hit it with nitrous, it's like changes everything. It feels it's like you're like... getting rear ended. The car is yeah, so much awesome. fun to just spray it. Like slow car with nitrous is far more fun than a fast car with nitrous. Oh, what's what's anybody have any other questions? I'm out of the other pre-assigned questions and uh, we're at four hours and 12 minutes. You need oh, to go shit. home. You need <laughs> to go home. I've been here all day. No point going on now. So we'll we'll just go over as much. Everyone else is going to bed, I realized, because it's <laughs> it's midnight. Well, it's you're in the same time zone. What am I saying? <laughs> it's midnight here, How far guys. Are you from MIR? I don't know. I think most of those tracks are like two hours, two and a half hours. Oh, okay. Because yeah, I'm, I'm two hours from Atco, so MIR is only like a little bit farther, but it's in like the same direction. Oh, Cecil is two hours for me too. It's two hours to get to Atco and two hours to get to Cecil, which you wouldn't think, but you're going through Philly and across bridges to Atco, and MIR, uh -huh. you can kind of go around that. So, huh. 
Like, oh, what are we? Yeah, going you with? should uh, bring something down here one day and just throw it on the hub dyno and just start pushing buttons and playing with shit. Maybe once I, uh, maybe we'll bring someone's car that's more reliable because I'm in between building everything I have. Oh, I know how that goes. I had, I mean, I've had stuff and I had stuff, but I recently got rid of a lot of it, and um, I'm building a Mustang, like I said, that has, I'm, I have a pile of parts for it. And uh, we've been doing a build for my wife, and I, I don't want to rush her. I hate to rush her, and I just want to help her. And the thing is, I do, I build stuff like uh, shitty, so this is actually really <laughs> nice. So I'm trying to take my time, and we're, we're trying to do it nice because she's gonna own it forever, and not like me and slap it and sell it in six months. So yeah, that's that's me. Like, sell it as fast as it goes together. Uh. If you were to spend an extra grand or fifteen hundred on your project to eliminate headaches from like the don't BS me build base, what would you recommend to splurge on? Fuel system and ECU are, are the ones for me. I would say, yeah, I was gonna say because you already said fuel system. Yeah. I agreed. No one ever has enough fuel system, and then yeah. or uh, converter. I think people overlook converter. I think there's a lot of magic that can happen there. I learned a lot about that because I had cars that. Uh, I was throwing the book at and it would run the same speed no matter what engine turbo everything spraying on top 1060 1060 like all day and then I got a decent converter set up and all of a sudden I'm in nines at 140 and I'm like oh okay <laughs> so now I know what to ask for when I build stuff so they do really well but I know what I can get out of people on a certain timeline if it's ADE if it's TH400 and uh, funny enough, we have found those JEGS converters. There's a loose one and a tight one. So depending on what you want to do, uh, a bunch of cars have been in the eights with those. It's a $300 converter. No shit. And it's on the shelf. Oh. Like you can get it in two days. You don't have to wait for someone to. So it all depends. Because uh, that one, there, there's two there's two paths. So your car has to make an amount and weigh an amount for that to be perfect. But a lot of them fall into that. They all want that eight second 800 horsepower or whatever and they work great for that but for like the eights for eight build i had uh jake's performance spec me a budget converter which he makes now too because of me uh but and that was perfect like i showed videos because people are like s475 is lazy and the compressor isn't good and it's a little big for a 4.8 and blah blah and i could put it on the brake and i made wastegate and then i made 12 at the same amount of time and then i made 18 and lifted at one point because i was like i'm gonna spit the rods <laughs> sitting in my garage uh yeah 18 pounds on a stock bottom end at 3500 rpm i was yeah. like uh <laughs> you guys killed it on pid very helpful for me been watching the stream since it started dang oh he yeah. says the kia is gonna need a hub dyno to put all that power down Harness the power of the Kia. <laughs> I don't know if you know all those jokes. I have a daily driver Kia I bought new in 2013. And my wife calls it the race Kia and the battleship Kia now. It's been in like five accidents and it's just, it just has like <laughs> 300,000 miles and it's a champ. And awesome. it has it has no rings left. It, it has blow by like a blown up diesel engine right now and it's just... <laughs> I had my friend build a turbo manifold and we're just going to send it like to him. I hate when people say send it. I wanted to say send it to like a Viking funeral. <laughs> it's going to die in a blazing fire into Valhalla. Uh, 
I would like to do 500 horsepower, my 5.3 LH8, and my RADA. What do you recommend for ECU? What do you want to make 500 horsepower with, like an all-motor build? The stock ECU should be able to handle that really well. Uh, have someone else tune it if you have no idea learning software. Because I think that ECU for V8 Colorados is like an L67 or E67, which is bullshit if you've never touched it. It's not terrible. I think it's the same one that's in h3 and h2 hummers and ctsvs and some stuff like that but uh they're difficult at times it says i believe joe started in the honda world but since branching out how much of his business is still honda based i think you said when you went domestic 90 percent of it went domestic at the same yeah it's i i like i have honda customers that are going to be diehard honda guys forever and they'll all come around and i mean i don't it's not that i like turn away Honda stuff, I'm just not relevant. Like when I was racing Hondas and stuff, like, you know, we'd have 25 Hondas at the shop at a time. But now that I've kind of been out of that scene for a while, like I've kind of died out. And uh, the import side of things has really dropped off quite a bit, I think, uh, I, you know, at least in this area. So um, I have ironically have two over here right now. And they've both been here for way too long because I got kind of needed to work on them, not just tune them. Um, but yeah, I, I still get some, and I think I have an S2000 and like a B series Honda to do next week or something like that. So they still trickle in from time to time, but like specifically from YouTube, like everything is just becoming Holly based and all the Holly cars are, you know, LS. And then there's with a little bit of Ford sprinkled in there, but it's primarily like LS stuff. And then Chris goes, margins on Hondas is doo-doo. I don't even tune them anymore. It was my best choice ever. <laughs> I, a lot of them are awful. I have so many, like, Honda files, and I've done so many of them that it's, yeah, it's the same money. If Really, if anything, it probably takes half the amount of time for me to jam through a Honda as it does through, like, anything else. Uh, so, yeah, I, I don't mind the Honda stuff at all. All right, yeah, I mean... I think we've covered it and everyone else has asked it and it's already <laughs> midnight. So I think we'll call it, but yeah, that was great. We got a bunch of stuff answered. A lot of people say they're happy with their answers. So that's always good. Instead uh, yeah. of booing us off stage. Why no <laughs> love for DSMs? I just don't have any experience with them. I don't think we ever said no love. Yeah, we never, they weren't even mentioned. It wasn't a matter of like, love or no love is just not mentioned at all i don't ever touch them either my wife has a a beautiful evo 9 with like it's easier to list what isn't done to it instead of <laughs> yeah. what is but it's like shep built motor twin can like twin disc clutch like everything oh wow gt 35r like it's after it's not 5500 it's like a light switch to terror <laughs> Other than mm -hmm. that, it's it's awesome. But she has it just like she drives it like a few days a year. <laughs> yeah, she's so worried. She's always loved those and never had the opportunity to. She's had one G's and stuff, and she always liked the Evos, and that's like the last of the four G. And uh, she always wanted one, and I totally pushed her into getting one, so she would just have it forever. <laughs> People are always yeah. like, anytime someone's like, "Wow, that's a nice car," I'm like, "That's my wife's." Yeah. anything she owns they're like what's that what's that i've never seen that i'm like it's hers it's hers 
I've noticed that's one thing that's really weird about having a shop is people will come into a shop and they'll like look at every car and they'll be like, whose is that? It's like, well, if you don't know whose car that is, then like if I tell you whose car it is, you're still not going to know whose car it is. I always thought that was like a really weird question that I get asked probably 30,000 times a year. Oh, uh, what did this guy say? They want to know about if you touch any two Jay-Z's. Uh, a little bit here and there. Not a whole, it's been quite a while. The first, uh, turbo and nitrous car I ever did was a two Jay-Z. It made a thousand wheel on the turbo and then hit it with a 50 shot. And I think it made like 1200, like the nitrous just changed everything on that one. So that was pretty cool to see. I think that's one thing I'll cover that quick. People, uh, I think I've gotten every now and then people say something like I'll mention in a video, like I have my turbo truck and I'm like, I'm going to spray. I had two dry stages on top of the turbo at one point, And, uh, I threw in like 35 jets and people are like, why so small? And I'm like, uh, it's like a 50 shot, a 35 jet in my opinion is about 50 rear wheel. I'm like, well, I have over an atmosphere into this engine and if it doesn't <laughs> suck, it's going to make way more than 50. So in my experience, like a, at that point, a 50 jets making 150 plus rear wheel through an auto and it did, I staggered the shots and it made like 331 rear wheel yep. with two 35 jets. If anybody knows jet size, uh, that's why a lot of times people are like, whatever shot. And I'm like, what jet? Cause they're, they vary. And then I'm like, what nozzle? Cause they're like, I'm, I have a 200 shot and they have like a piranha nozzle, like the smallest nitrous express nozzle in the world. And I'm like, it's 75 like wheel max, maybe even 75 crank. <laughs> I had one of those on my sport bike. I had a piranha nozzle. I sprayed dry. We had somebody actually like a big name tuner guy. Uh, this is 12, 13 years ago. And they put nitrous on a turbo car and it was like the first time, like they were full blown expecting like worst case scenario. And like, I, I don't remember what the numbers were, but they were like maybe running like 30 pounds of boost and then hit it with like a hundred shot and the boost went to like 50 pounds and like anything, any drop of coolant in the motor was on the ceiling. Like it was <laughs> like full blown explosion. That's awesome. It was, uh, yeah, it was, <laughs> that one was pretty funny. And then, uh, uh, what was something else I wanted to, what haircut should I get? Part <laughs> numbers in the JEGS converters. We actually added that to the sloppy wiki. If you look, we have the two part numbers for the loose and the tight converter. They're on there. Uh, yeah. So, oh, this guy says Joe tuned me and my dad's S10. Is that the gray one that was just on? Adam I've done a handful, but I would assume that's them. That would, sounds like it fits the bill. Runs great, very honest. He recently did it, easy going. Wanted to say thanks again. Awesome. So yeah, that's cool. So yeah, I'll just call it, guys, because we're running out of steam, and I should go to bed. I got to get up <laughs> early. So, but uh, yeah, thanks for being on. We did awesome. Uh, again, like it was nice to learn everything. It's always funny to see to me like people that own a shop in tune do a lot similar to me even though like i have no formal training <laughs> i've been like thinking about doing like a video series because i always get asked and so many people like should i quit my job and like start a shop like i've been thinking about doing like a series of videos of like kind of covering the forty thousand questions i oh, get asked because like, people want to people want to yeah because people say to me all day man you got to open a shop and i'm like bro <laughs> <laughs> 
I have yeah. an IT job. I have benefits. Why would I throw that in the trash to like open a shop? No offense. It's difficult. People don't get the difficulty. Uh, if I tell like my answer to everybody is if you're in a position where you can work a day job and then selectively pick and choose like this stuff to do, like that's the position that you want to be in. That's so I, I had do, a guy yeah. like wanted to, uh, he's somewhat local and he's like, Renting my dyno a few times and you know, you could tell his like goal in life is to like buy a dyno and open up a shop. I'm like, dude, you have like a pro hub dyno 10 minutes from your house that you can rent when you need it. Like you're going to have to tune like 20 cars a month for free just to cover your overhead. If you decide to like do it on your own, yeah. like as to where with this, if it's the middle of January and we get 30 inches of snow, like, if you just rent my dyno, it's not going to cost you a penny. Like you have no idea, like how good of a position you're in right now. Like don't go, you know, 200 grand into debt, like setting up a facility to like, to do this, like just rent the dyno. Like you'd be so much better off. Yeah. That's what I did too. You know, it's, it's my friends and I got into it and I made a lot of mistakes on my own stuff and people would beg me to touch stuff. And I'm like, ah, I, I didn't have the confidence that I didn't want the responsibility and yeah. uh and then people don't realize like i always like to use the phrase you're marrying a car once you yeah, touch it yeah. it's mm -hmm. it's like chris says it's everything's your fault after that even if the brakes stop working and yeah. uh they have to assume that responsibility so it's easier to get your feet wet if you can and then see if it's for you or not and if you start to do well it might even be a scenario where you end up being better than the shop owner and he just pays you to tune like it, absolutely it could be no problem so yeah so well that particular instance like he messes with like cars and ecus that i have no interest in messing with so like uh actually about well we've been doing this for four hours so i guess five or six hours ago like i sent him an email like hey somebody contacted me about this car and he like do you want to do it and you know so if that's the case like you just come here and you know i'd handle the customer on the dyno rental side of it and he'd just get paid to to come in and do it and or some like, people yeah. like if you get a Mopar and you know somebody that's really good at a Mopar, you bring him in for like that job. Yeah, Similar. that's literally he's a Mopar guy and the phone call was for a Mopar and I it's just I don't know anything about him. I don't really. You don't want to know. You don't want it yeah, in your so head. I'd much rather just have and I've watched him do enough cars now that I'm like, OK, like, you know, he's I know fine. he's not going to, you know, shoot the heads off of the thing on the first pull. So drop like, the valve seats out of the Hemi. What? <laughs> <laughs> all right well yeah so we'll call it and thanks for coming on and we can have you again sometime and i hope everybody learned something i'm sure they did they were saying the whole time thanks for answering my stupid questions and awesome. making it understandable so all I right i definitely appreciate the uh the opportunity and uh stay in touch and like i said if you want to come down here or do anything else you know together and type of joint stuff let me know i'd be happy to do it Okay, yeah, definitely something I will, uh, if I have something other than, we'll, we'll just bring the Kia down and roast it on the dyno and I'll <laughs> leave it there. There you go. <laughs> All right, thank you. All right, man. Go talk to you. See yeah. you. Bye.